that's a lesson I learned this week. Cinderella, you don't know what it's got till it's gone from the 1990s. And what I'm referring to is not my relationship. That's fine. But what's not fine is Bovada. You may have heard in recent shows that I was having trouble with my account. My account was getting frozen. They were taking away my bonuses. So did they ban me from Bovada? No, they did not. Bovada is going away for me, but it's also going away for everybody. And that will be the main story of tonight's show. I am Todd Dandruff with Telus. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We usually do this on Wednesdays, though we haven't in quite some time. Yesterday was supposed to be the first Wednesday show in a while, but I couldn't make it. I had a stomach ache, and I figured, you know, I can't talk for five hours with a badly aching stomach. It just would have been very distracting and very painful. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to delay it one more day. What the hell? So here we are on Thursday. This is being recorded on Thursday. We're actually starting earlier than our normal time. At first, I scheduled it for 5.45 p.m. Then I noticed that uh, eh, a lot of West Coast people who listen to the show won't be home from work. So I said, I'll make it 6.10, and then, of course, I was late, so... It's almost 6.40 now, (laughs) but we're still earlier than the normal start time of 7.30, but of course we're also a day late, so you could also say we're 23 hours late. But either way, the show's going, so welcome. Don't have Drexel with me right now. He might come on later. Calwatt said he will co-host, but uh, he will come on a bit later. Not sure exactly when. But either way, welcome, and... As I said, the main topic tonight is the Bovada thing, but of course there's other things going on too. But I've got a lot to say about Bovada because it affects me personally, and because that announcement was a very, very big one to me, arguably a bigger announcement to me personally than the Black Friday bus five years ago. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating either. So... Let me get through all the intro stuff, then we will get going. This is Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I'm Todd Dandruff with Telus. If you want to call me during the show, you can. That phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain that is near Las Vegas, gets snow in the winter. It's nice and cool in the summer if you want to go up there and get a respite from the Las Vegas heat. The Mount Charleston line can be reached at 702-430-1808. That's 702-430-1808. If you want to text me during the show or before the show or after the show, it doesn't matter. I will respond to you and I may read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. The text phone number is 775-372-8355. It's the same as the main show phone number. 775-372-8355 is also the text number to the show. If you want to text Brandon and tell him you miss him and ask him to kindly come onto this program, you can do so. You can text him anytime at 203-299-2436. 203-299-2436. Of course, we have the call to listen line, and I don't care if 2 plus 2 wants to copy it from us. By the way, the whole rant about that last week wasn't serious. I... Don't really care if they copy it, but we do have a call to listen line, and we've had ours since November. 
And the call to listen line is exactly as it sounds. It's a phone number you can call to listen to the show. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need the internet. You don't need a computer. You don't need anything except for a phone of any kind that can dial. And then you can listen to the show live, or you can hear our streaming reruns on that number when we're not live. That phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162. That's the call to listen line. And the streaming reruns I refer to, Poker Fraud Alert is broadcasting 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But only once a week is the show live. The rest of the time, the server picks random shows. We've had about 200 shows in our existence. Random shows to broadcast over the last four and a half years. And it broadcasts them as if they are live. And then when that's done, it moves on to another random show. It keeps doing that until the show comes back live. You can hear the call to listen line. You can hear the streaming reruns on there. Or you can hear it through the Poker Fraud Alert radio page. Just click the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com. Other ways to listen to the show include the TuneIn app. The TuneIn app can listen both live and uh, archived shows. You can... Hear the archives on Stitcher. You can hear them on iTunes. You can even just go to the server of PokerFraudAlert.com. Just go to the radio forum, and you can download the MP3s directly. Or just click on the MP3s, and they'll play. So, a lot of ways to listen to this show. Pretty much every way you can think of, except we're not on live terrestrial radio. We, we don't broadcast over the airwaves. But other than that, we broadcast in every way possible. I think there's more options to listen to this show than any radio show in the world that I know of. I just I give you so many different options. In fact, the one thing we don't have yet is SoundCloud. I've never been a big SoundCloud fan, but someone messaged me and made fun of a friend of his for listening to podcasts via SoundCloud. So I said, well, I don't like SoundCloud either, but uh, even though you're making fun of your friend for it, I'm going to add SoundCloud as an option for Poker Fraud Alert. <laughs> even though it's uh, even though you're mocking your friend for it, that's the reason I'm adding it. Because someone was mocking his friend for using SoundCloud, but we're not on SoundCloud yet. But I'm hoping to get to it by like next week. It's not going to be that hard. We have a chat room. If you're listening live, you can go in the chat room. You need a flash-enabled device. You need a Poker Fraud Alert forum account in good standing, meaning it was validated and not banned to get in there. I won't be reading it that much. It's mainly to chat with each other during the live show. If you're not listening live, I guarantee there will be nobody in there. Uh, here's some comments from the chat room, though, which I will read right now. SMI Florida says, finally an early show for us East Coast listeners. I actually thought about that when I announced the time for today's show. Beer and Poker says, RIP Bovada, Godspeed, Sweet Princess. Biffco99, he said, awesome opening song, literally lol So obviously... He got it right away, why I've chose that song. And oh, Real Talk points out that I don't broadcast on Twitch. Yeah, he's right. I don't broadcast on Twitch. And that's because this is an audio show. This will never be a video show. I know video shows are all the rage. You've got Chicago Joey and his condo. and uh, you know, I, I don't do that. I've, been, I've always been a fan of radio. I've always had the fantasy of being a radio talk show host or a radio DJ. And this is the way I live out the fantasy is through this show. And it's going to only be on the radio, just like I always pictured. 
yeah, 35, 40 years ago. Let's see anything else? I guess we have the agenda. Oh, the free roll. Forgot about the free roll. We have a free roll tonight. We, we haven't had a free roll in a while because uh, the show was like overnight and at funny times. And this is kind of a funny time, too, but at least it's prime time for like everyone, at least everyone in the U.S. So we have a free roll tonight. It's $72. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It starts at 7 o'clock, so you got 14 minutes still to get in there. The No Fraud Online Poker Room can be found near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. Just click that tab. You need a separate account to get onto that poker room, but it's totally free. You don't need any chips, not even play chips, to get into that free roll. You just need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. But to qualify for the free money, you must read the rules and be familiar with them, because if you do not follow the rules, you will not win the free money. The rules can be found, and they haven't changed in a long time, but if you've never seen them, the rules can be found at PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, exactly as it sounds. The prize pool tonight, as I said, $72. 35 for first, 21 for second, 10 for third, 6 for fourth. I did not donate the money for this. I never do. I'm too cheap, I'll be honest. I think that paying for the server and putting out my time and effort to do this damn thing is well enough. That's all I'm doing for you guys. But the listeners are picking up the slack. They are donating to the free roll as they have for the last four and a half years. This week, we got $9 from Crow Diddley. Mumbles Badly, who's much maligned on the forum, but I think people are just starting to warm up to him. $50. I met him in person at the World Series, by the way. Danny Deadwood gave $8, and Spenny Wins gave $5. Spenny Wins lived up to his name, finished like fourth place, and donated right back. So that's the 72. If you get fifth place, you're on the bubble. It starts at 7, but guess what? You have until 725 to late register because there's 25 minutes of late registration. I would say good luck to all, but that's stupid because that's not possible in poker. It's possible in, like, blackjack. It's possible in uh, any other game where everybody could possibly be betting the same way or where everybody's against the house. But you, you can't say good luck all in poker because poker is a game where your success comes at the expense of someone else's failure. In poker, for every dream that is shattered, another one comes true. Here's the agenda this week. I already told you Bovada is going to be gone. It's not gone yet, but it's going to be very soon. Bovada Poker is ending on October 1st, 2016. Less than two months away. There will be no lo- no more Bovada Poker. That's it. It's gone. It's going to be off. This will happen because of a sale, which supposedly already took place, to a company called Ignition Casino. But if you haven't heard of Ignition Casino, don't feel bad. No one really had. But Ignition Casino appears to be a shell company owned by Bovada. So some people say, big deal. Doesn't matter then. It's just Bovada selling to itself and the poker continues on, right? Wrong. This could be a huge, huge change and not in a good way. One of the other big U.S.-facing poker networks, America's Card Room, the winning poker network, they are embroiled in a little bit of a controversy right now because uh, a player is accusing them of allowing a scammer to gain access to his account by emailing them and claiming to be him. And he claims they just stupidly let this scammer reset the password without checking his credentials. The scammer allegedly went and dumped 
$11,500 to other players, presumably friends of his. And then if that wasn't bad enough, it happened on a second skin of the winning poker network. First it was on Black Ship Poker, then on America's Card Room. And this guy's furious because he's saying that he could not have prevented this. America's Card Room idiot support allowed this to happen. And he is out $11,500 and plus, I think, another 6000 from the other account. And he says they're not making good on it. So who's right? Who's wrong? There's two sides to every story, of course, and we have, at the moment, both sides. And we'll talk about them. A class action lawsuit against the Borgata related to that 2014 chip counterfeiting scandal. That's where Christian Lusardi slipped counterfeit $5,000 chips, a whole lot of them, into a tournament and screwed up the whole thing, basically. He's currently in prison for it, but the payouts by Borgata after this happened I felt were wholly insufficient, and so did some of the people receiving these payments. There have been two class action lawsuits against the Borgata, and uh, the second of the two has failed. And I will tell you what the lawsuit was about, who was suing, and how it failed. Speaking of failure, New Jersey, I guess failure in New Jersey, both these stories, but New Jersey itself has failed in its attempt to legalize sports betting. MGM Properties are quietly taking away your poker comps that you have earned if they were earned more than a year ago. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you have earned poker comps, I'm not talking about video poker, I'm talking about regular poker in the poker room, at any MGM property, if you've earned any comps there more than a year ago and have not spent every penny of everything you earned more than a year ago, I guarantee you have lost poker comps. This started pretty recently. But I guarantee you've lost them. I've lost them. You've probably lost them. I will tell you how this happened, how to prevent it from affecting you further, at least as much as possible, and the exact scheme they use to take away your poker comps. And it's not enough to just talk about it. We're going to have one Colonel Nigel Fabersham calling up an MGM property and uh, getting the lowdown on this one. Marcel Lusky. Remember him, the Flying Dutchman? He is suing poker stars, and yes, he was once a former poker stars pro, but it's not really about that. He's suing poker stars for stealing his poker tournament rule set that he said they could use under an oral agreement in exchange for compensation, and now he claims that they're not paying him, and they've just pretty much stolen the rules. I didn't know you could steal rules, but I guess you kind of can. I, from from reading the details about the lawsuit, I think he may have a point. Doug Polk, a high-limit player, is calling out Durr, Tom Dwan, for the Durr Challenge, which was never completed. He's calling it the largest scam in poker history. We'll talk about that. This will be a little segment about Las Vegas. Actually, we have three Las Vegas segments on this show. None of them all that long, but... You probably do not know who owns every single Las Vegas property. You have to be a real Las Vegas buff. Like maybe Daredevil, if he were still on the show, maybe he would know it because he, he really knew a lot about Vegas, despite being a Canadian. But most of us, even I don't know who owns every single casino. I know most of them, but not all of them. Anyway, I'm going to go down the list of all the Las Vegas casinos and read to you who owns each one. And I think it'll still make good radio because it's interesting because you've you hear a casino's name, but that doesn't necessarily mean much as far as who owns it. It's, it's more interesting to know who you're really playing against. 
the the name of the property, the physical property doesn't matter. It matters who the owner is. So uh, it's also interesting to keep that in mind if you ever do anything at these casinos that could get you banned, including advantage play or anything else that you think might uh, get you banned. You should know who owns each casino so you know where to be careful if you don't want to lose the ability to enter those properties. So anyway, I'm going to read you a list of each Las Vegas casino and who owns it. In-N-Out Burger, a fast food icon of the West. Very, very popular in California. They do have locations in Las Vegas, but what is sorely missing is an In-N-Out Burger on the Las Vegas Strip. There will be one, and I will tell you about it. It's going to be very soon. There is a 24-hour total rewards desk in Las Vegas. I did not know this until very recently, and I want to pass this on to you guys. If you stick around till near the end of the show, I will tell you about the only total rewards desk in Las Vegas that is 24 hours, which can be very useful because sometimes you need total rewards in the middle of the night, and you go, ah, crap, i got to wait till like 9 or 10 tomorrow in the morning when they open. No, you don't. There's a total rewards desk in Vegas open 24 hours. Only general topic I have this week... I'm going to give you some tips for booking flights because there's a lot of tricks, including tricks that the websites use against you. I'm going to give you a lot of tips for booking sites or booking flights, what websites to use, uh, what seats to choose, how to know what seats to choose, how to figure out whether first class is worth it. It might be, even if you're not a big first class person. And yeah, so that's uh, and also one other tip: if an airline screws you on how to possibly get the money back. So, I'll give you some various tips about booking airline flights because I've I've been through the process myself recently and reminded me. You'll probably know some of them, but you probably won't know all of them. Some of these are a bit obscure. But all of them, I feel, are pretty useful. Okay, so we're going to get going here. Let's see, I, I saw Calwatt came on. I don't know if he's available to talk. I saw him. Came, he came onto the. He logged into the forum. So Calwatt, if you're listening, you're welcome to call in and co-host. If not, I will go on myself. Okay, so let's talk about Bovada. This this was uh, this was very very unnerving to me. It's one of these things where you just get hit with it. No warning. You you think everything's fine, or in my case, probably fine, and then your whole world turns upside down. I guess that's the truth of a lot of things in life. Um, a car accident that happens out of nowhere a major illness that either strikes you or someone in your family that, that you didn't expect. Sometimes even a death in the family. A lot of times just the bad things just hit you out of nowhere. This definitely happens in poker. We had that with NetTeller back in 2007 when they were busted. We had the Black Friday bus, the best known traumatic day in poker for everybody. That was April 15, 2011 when... Poker stars Full Tilt and UB were all busted by the U.S. Department of Justice, and then we found out a bit later that Full Tilt didn't have our money, nor did UB. Only one that had our money was Poker Stars, and they stole a lot of our uh, FPP value, Poker Stars. But 
at least they paid us the, <laughs> the the balance on our actual accounts. So that hit out of nowhere. The UIGEA, which officially made online poker financial transactions illegal, that made a lot of sites exit the U.S. market, occurred out of nowhere in October 2006. But we haven't had one of these in a while, right? Like, can you really think of a major thing that's occurred with online poker that's been negative for everyone, like for a large group of people, since Black Friday? You probably can't. There were some major developments, like poker stars buying full tilts, but that was positive. But as far as a negative development that affects a mass group of people in poker, we have not had one since Black Friday. Well, we've had one. On August 9th, two days ago, feels like more, but it's only two days ago. In the morning, many people, not me for some reason, not some other people, but many people got the following email. Hey, whatever the name is of uh, the person receiving it, we have some important news we want to share with you. Bovada Poker has been acquired by Ignition Casino. That is never good news. You you don't ever want to read something like that because that means whatever you're happy with at the moment is probably going to change. Especially if you haven't heard of the company acquiring them. This means you'll be required to transfer your account by September 30th, 2016. After this date, poker at Bovada will no longer be available. You'll still have access to Bovada's sportsbook, casino, and racebook products. Well, what is that saying? That's saying Bovada's not closing. It's not like it's not like Bovada sold their entire operation to Ignition. It's just going to be a different name now. That wouldn't matter much. But what really matters here is that Bovada is basically splitting. They're carving out their poker room and saying, "Okay, poker room, goodbye. We're we're putting you on a, a little boat and sending you out to sea. Everything else you can stay. Sportsbook, casino, racebook, you can all stay. Poker, bye bye." So it goes on to say, Ignition Casino uses the same platform as Bovada, so the features you enjoy, such as anonymous tables, zone poker, mobile poker, and guaranteed tournaments like the weekly 100K, will be there waiting for you. Isn't that sweet? Both sites will also operate simultaneously with shared player pools until the transition is complete. Any poker points that you have accrued on Bovada will need to be used before September 30th as they will not carry over to Ignition Casino. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that lovely? Uh, poker points, which are already kind of crappy as it is. It's a crappy reward system they have there, like a really crappy one. But you, you can't even cash them out in any way. You, just, you, you have like less than two months to get all your poker points used, which is the least of our problems here, but it's still dumb. We'll do everything we can to make this transition as easy as possible. Please be sure to visit our FAQ page that frequently asks questions where you'll find information on account transfers, how to score your generous migration bonus. And uh, by the way, when you hear how generous the migration bonus is, your reaction will be... (laughs) What to do with your poker points and any other questions you may have. We're confident in Ignition Casino's ability to provide you with the same level of service and security you're used to at Bovada. To find out more, check out their website today. Well, this is very bad news for players on Bovada. 
Now, now, before I go into the whole analysis of this, I want to tell you about my personal situation as a professional poker player today and why it's so important to me. And if you don't care why it's important to me, uh, I give you the big middle finger through the radio because this is my show and (laughs) uh, I'm going to talk about how it's important to me. It really matters to me. It matters to a lot of you too, I'm sure. In fact, a lot of you are probably in the same boat as me or a similar boat as me with this if you play a whole lot on Bovada. But for me, Bovada really is my professional poker career now. It really is. The reason for this is that I am a limit hold'em cash player. And there is no place to play limit hold'em cash other than on these uh, regulated online poker sites of which I am not currently in the right uh, geographic area to play them. So where I am, I I only have Bovada as a place that I can play online limit hold'em cash. You say, well, what about uh, live poker? Couldn't you go to Commerce or uh, couldn't you go to another card room that spreads limit hold'em and start playing that way? Why do you have to play online poker? Well, number one, I don't live very close to any card room. I don't. Number two, I'm not 25 years old and single. I have a son. I have a young son. I have a family. I I can't be one of these people that spends uh, all day and all night playing live poker. But you know what? Even if I was 25 and single, I still wouldn't do this because playing live poker to me is soul-crushing if you do it more than once in a while. I, I like it occasionally. I look forward to it occasionally. I just can't do it every single day, day in, day out. I can't even do it several days a week because it gets to me. It's it's uh, kind of a depressing environment, to be honest. And I also feel kind of trapped when I'm playing online poker. I feel like I'm stuck there. That I can't do other things. My life freezes. Now, sure, I can get up and leave the game at any time, but then other than leaving for short periods, then you lose your seat. So you have to really be done playing when you get up and leave the game. So if you've co- if you've come to a card room and you, you want to play a long session, uh, your life pretty much stops. You can take a few phone calls here and there, but that's about it. You can browse the web on your smartphone, but that's about it. Uh, most things in my life just stop, and I'm away from everyone and everything that are that's in my normal life. So I, I don't like playing live. On a regular basis, that is. So the only reason I'm still a professional poker player is because I have Bovada. Bovada has 30, 60 limit hold'em games running every single day for the vast majority of every day. They'll die sometimes very, very, very late at night, but uh, for the most part you can find at least one limit hold'em game, sometimes more than that. Sometimes you can find even up to four going at the same time of 30, 60, sometimes even 20, 40. For those that don't want to play as high as that, they also have uh, 1020 that usually runs there. And that's where I've been playing. Are the games good? Well, sometimes. During NFL season, they're better than when it's not NFL season. The worst time for the games is the summer, like right now. But uh, for the most part, these are playable games. And when I say playable, I mean for a poker professional such as myself, they are usually good enough to where I can expect a profit. In fact, the games were good enough to where, even though they are very aggressive and there's a lot of swings, that it was rare that I would go through more than like a month without 
being a winning player. Like, I wouldn't have many losing months there. I'd have a losing few weeks sometimes. I'd have a month where I play a whole lot and basically break even. But I wouldn't have many months where I actually lose. And then I'd have some very good months where I win a whole lot if things go well. So that that's what I've been doing for poker. You say, what about the World Series? Well, the World Series, it's, it's a, a fun thing I do once a year every summer. I say once a year, of course, it's a, over a period of, of weeks, but I don't expect to make a living from the World Series. I'm not a professional tournament player. I play it just because I enjoy it. Uh, but there's so much variance at it, and you don't have time to smooth out the variance because you, you I just don't play that many events. What, I play like nine events every year? That's nothing. So I play it, and uh, if I happen to do well, then great. If I don't do well, then... Not so great. And that's that doesn't really figure into my professional poker career. In fact, I so much don't want it to figure into my professional poker career that I sell off like 40% of my action to people who listen to the show. So, really, my professional poker career was Bovada at this point. It wasn't always, but that's what it has been for quite some time now. When Black Friday came down on April 15th, 2011, closing Poker Stars full tilt and UB to U.S. customers, many people declared it to be the end if they lived in the U.S. They said, that's it. Online poker's done for me. My poker career's over. And I said, yeah, this is unfortunate. Yeah, I don't like it. And quietly, I had another thought that I didn't share very much because I didn't want other good limit hold'em players to duplicate this thought and do what I was doing. And that was, I'm going to continue playing on Bodog, which became Bovada, because they were not affected. I knew I still had Bodog slash Bovada. But now that Bovada is going away for poker, I will not have anything except for the Ignition Casino. But that brings us to our next topic. Why am I all doom and gloom when the poker product is not closing, it's just moving? Why do I care if it's called Ignition Poker? Which, by the way, speaking of Ignition Poker, let's see if it's still there. I want you to go check out a Twitter account. (laughs) I want you to go check out a Twitter account called Ignition Poker. Twitter.com slash Ignition Poker. Oh, I think it, I think it got deleted. That's too bad. <laughs> uh, Ignition Poker. Someone ran and set this up immediately as a, a troll account, and the name that was associated with the Ignition Poker Twitter account was Dan Whittles. <laughs> so it was obviously a listener, a listener to this show. So whoever did that, good job. And they were masquerading like they were Ignition Poker and tweeting to people, "Rake free for all of October. Come on over here." And <laughs> they were even tweeting me. And at first, I really thought it was Ignition Poker, and then I clicked on it and saw the Dan Whittles thing and realized it was a phony. So I, I guess Ignition Poker complained, and <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> Clever idea, though. Clever idea. But anyway, Ignition Poker, why, why am I down on that? Why, why don't I think it's going to be the same thing? 
Well, what made Bovada so good was the fact that it was not just a poker room. It was a one-stop shop for all things gambling. If you wanted to play casino games, you could. If you wanted to bet sports, you could. If you wanted to bet on the horses, you could. If you wanted to bet props, you could. And if you wanted to play poker, you could. So most types of gambling and all types of common gambling were available on Bovada. You just needed one account, one balance, and you could do everything on the same site. And a lot of people really liked that. A lot of recreational players really liked that. And they had a big name. Now, sure, Bodog was the better well, better known name, but Bovada got to be known pretty well, too. It, uh, the average recreational online gambler learned pretty quickly that Bodog was Bovada. And if they didn't know, then they had easy ways to find it out. So that didn't change very much. That didn't really hurt the brand when Bodog split off to be Bodog and Bovada, where the Bovada was uh, for people in the U.S. Also, uh, Bovada and Bodog were sharing their player pools, and they still are. When you're sitting at a Bovada table, you're actually sitting with both Bovada U.S. players and Bodog non-U.S. players. So, a lot of the fish in your game probably did not sign up to play poker specifically. They probably signed up just to gamble. And poker was one of a few things that they probably liked to do there. Maybe it was a sports better who liked to play poker. Maybe it was a, a casino gambler who liked to play poker. Poker was just one of the options they had. And those are the players you wanted in your game. You didn't want the people, necessarily, who were signing up just to play poker unless they also happened to be really bad. But most people signing up just to play poker tend to have a clue on how to play decent poker. So that's why the Bovada games were good. And I can tell you that's why they were good, because the games were noticeably better during NFL season. I can say this as a limit hold'em player. And while I don't play No Limit Hold'em on there anymore, I know some winning No Limit players in Bovada who have echoed the same thing to me, telling me that NFL season is better. Much better. So it's better for them, and the No Limit game is better for me in the Limit games. So why do you think the games are better during NFL season? Let's see, people. Why are the games better during NFL season? Why are they way better during NFL season? Why, why is the worst time on Bovada right now when it's been a while since the NFL has gone? I mean, they're just starting the preseason, but that doesn't really matter much. Why is like August and July, why are those the two worst months for good gains on Bovada? Well, it's because the NFL sports bettors are not there. So the games are worse. Ignition Poker, the Ignition Casino, they don't have a sports book. They will not have a sports book. They have a casino... But it's not going to matter that much because there are not going to be many people signing up for the Ignition Casino. Why? Because it's not a known brand name. And people can still play games. They can still play casino games on Bovada. So if you're a casino player, you're going to stick with Bovada where you can still play them. You're going to stick with a site you know. And the average person is not going to know that Ignition and Bovada are probably the same company. The average recreational player will not know that. They will really believe that uh, it was just spun off and they're not going to take a chance with this new Ignition Casino. They're going to stick where they have to. Or they're going to stick where they are familiar with. 
you're only going to ignition because you have to. So, who's going to be on ignition poker? Well, people like me. Other good poker players. Everybody who plays online poker for a living, uh, who has a Bovada account, they're, they're going to go over to Ignition Poker. But do you want to play against them? Do you want to see? In a, do you want to sit in a limit hold'em game with uh, me and the uh, the various uh, Minnesota limit hold'em all stars that have been around for uh, ten, fifteen years in the game? Is, is that uh, the game you want? I don't think so. Do you want to sit in a no limit game with all the uh, the no limit grinders and all stars? No. You don't want that either. You, you need fish. You need recreational players. They're not going to be there. Now, there is a glimmer of hope. And that is the fact that it appears, it's not 100% verified, but it appears that Bodog, which is not separating its poker product from the rest of the site, that they will be connected to Ignition. So Bodog, which you can use if you're not a U.S. player, the players you play on there will not only be the Bodog players, but also the new Ignition players. Why is that good? Well, Bodog has a very, very strong marketing push that they are doing in Asia and have been doing in Asia for a long time. It's not new. So even if the Ignition poker room is full of pros and just about no fish, if Bodog is bringing in lots of fish from Asia... A lot of new money over there, like in China, where uh, you have a lot of people who like to gamble, and that huge population, there's uh, certain people who have a lot of money over there. Overall, it's a poor country, but uh, uh, you know the average person there is poor, but there's uh, a lot of rich people, too. So, if we can still combine with the Asian players, where there's still a lot of fish, then it won't be quite as bad even if the Ignition players are mostly good. But that's only a small silver lining, because if that were true, then the games on Bovada would still be very good in the summer. And they're not. I, I just played one last night, and it wasn't good. And you're saying, oh, that's just one game. I've been noticing this for a while. Like, I play the games, and I, I, I can try to delude myself, oh, this guy's not very good. But then I, yeah, I play with him a little longer. I go, no, nah, actually, he is pretty good. He may have made one dumb move at the beginning, but since then he's been pretty solid. Or maybe his, his what appeared to be a dumb move was just uh, an aggressive move that he thought would work and it didn't, but other than that, he's a good player. Like, yeah, You've seen good players make bad moves sometimes. But then you play with them longer and you know they're not bad. That, that's what I'm seeing in Bovada. I'm just not seeing many bad players. And honestly, having like a, a six-handed game where five players are very good and one sucks, that's not a very good situation either. It's too much variance. Uh, often you're not the one to get the money from the fish. Sometimes uh, the fish beats you and dumps it to everybody else. Sometimes you beat the fish, but others beat you more. It's just not a good spot. You, w- you want a game, ideally, where it's a few mediocre players and like a few bad ones. That's an ideal situation. When it's you, a few really good ones, and then like one bad one, that's, that's not very good either. So the games just haven't been very good. So if if we're going to have a whole lot of Asian fish on there, where are they? Why am I not seeing them every day in the games? And it's not even confirmed that they are going to be 
with Bodog. They probably will be, but it's not confirmed yet. I'm not going to bother to call support. I, I was considering calling support on, on the phone here, but the people who answer the phone over there are not knowledgeable. They'll just answer off the top of their heads, and they won't really know. So I won't bother. That's the only silver lining, though. I think it's doubtful we're going to get many fish through ignition. Now, you may say, well, look, Bovada, Bodog, it's still pretty well known in the U.S., and there's still poker fish out there. So why won't these people go sign up for ignition if they want to play poker? Why don't these fish do that? Well, some will, but a lot of them won't even know it's there. Or if they do know it's there, they just kind of won't want to bother. Like they're used to Bovada, that's what they want to play. And then there's a lot of them that were willing to play poker if they had the money on there that they could do other things with, but it's just not that appealing to put money on to Ignition, a new company, for at least what they think is a new company, and won't even have a sports book. I just don't see many people, the average people, knowing about Ignition or even remembering it was there. And they may have gotten the notice, the email about it, but it's not the same thing. What was so great about Bovada is that the average recreational gambler would go, hmm, I want to play, I want to gamble online. I know there's nowhere I can legally do it, but what's a site that I would know of that I could do it that seems like it's been around and I can pretty much trust? Oh, I know, Bovada. Like that's, that's what so many recreational players have thought. Bovada even gets free advertising from various sports outlets that are describing like odds on a game. I go, right now the Bovada line on the on the NBA finals is uh is Golden State minus 180. Like they'll say things like that. They're not trying to advertise Bovada, but Bovada's name was out there. Ignition is not going to be out there. You're going to know about Ignition. I'm going to know about Ignition. The average fish is not going to know about Ignition even if he gets the email informing him. Even if he gets the email saying, "Hey, would you like to transfer it over?" He he's probably going to say no. Now, I'm going to read you from the FAQ, the Frequently Asked Questions about Ignition Poker and the transfer, the account transfer. You can read this yourself if you like. If you go to uh, www.bovada.lv slash poker-account-transfer-faq. Bovada.lv slash poker-account-transfer-faq. Uh, I'm not going to read everything I've already told you. It's a waste of time. But uh, do I need to transfer my account? If you wish to continue to play poker, you will need to transfer your account details using the details listed below. Your Bovada account will remain open after the poker closure date to give you continued access to the Sportsbook, Casino, and Racebook. Any player account residing in the states of New Jersey, New York, Delaware, Maryland, and Nevada will not be permitted to transfer their account per Ignition Casino Terms of Service. That is important to talk about. Bovada has been very, very careful not to piss off the U.S. government too much. They piss off the U.S. government by existing, believe me. The U.S. government knows that Bovada is the biggest U.S.-facing online gambling site and online sportsbook in the country. They know. And they're not happy about it, but so far they have not taken action. And in fact, they've been very careful do not do the wrong things that can get them busted beyond what they have to do. So something they've been doing is avoiding the most likely fights. 
It's kind of the same way where if you want to avoid being a victim of crime, you stay out of bad neighborhoods. And that doesn't mean if you stay in good neighborhoods that you'll never be a victim of crime. It's very possible in, in uh, Beverly Hills that someone will mug you and kill you. But uh, you're, much more, you're much less likely to be mugged and killed in, in uh, the nice areas of Beverly Hills than you are in, in Compton. That's a fact. So Bovada acts the same way as far as getting busted by the government. They're, they're staying out of the, uh, the bad neighborhood states to them. Those states include the ones offering legalized online poker because they don't want those states getting pissed off that Bovada is competing with them. So that includes New Jersey, Delaware, and Nevada. And then they're also staying away from two other states where the U.S. Attorney's Office has offices that have previously gone after online poker. Of course, you all know about the U.S. Attorney's Office from the Southern District of New York. That's the one behind the Black Friday bus and behind so many other high-profile bus of poker rooms, sports books, other internet gambling sites, and payment processors. They just uh, It always seems like the Southern District of New York is the one doing it. And then there's also Maryland. They're not quite as prolific, but Maryland has also gone after online gambling sites a number of times. So for that reason, they don't allow people from New York or Maryland. Now, why does it matter if they allow citizens from New York or Maryland to play or not, if, it, if, if this is a federal office? Well, the federal office is representing all Americans, so why does it matter about just New York and Maryland where they're located? Well, because these offices, these two offices, are representing the geographic area of the country where they are in. And in order to t- basically take the case, they have to show that it is, it is affecting their geographic area. So the way they establish this, I'll give you a very simple example. The way the one in the Southern District of New York establishes it is they find a New York resident. Sometimes it's uh, just a citizen they've been dealing with in some way, or sometimes it's uh, yeah, a citizen who you know, complained to them, or sometimes it's actually one of their own under, other undercover agents. But it's got to be someone residing in New York who then signs up and gambles on the site. And once they have done that, and they can prove that uh, a bet has been placed on the site illegally, which is very easy to prove, then they can open a case. But if you can't open an account from New York or Maryland, then uh, it's hard for New York or Maryland to claim jurisdiction over it, even if if it's a federal office, because it's kind of like stepping on the other federal office's toes. So they just don't do it. So Bovada just stays out of those two states also, just making it a lot harder. But knowing that most players, or just about all the players from those states, are not uh, likely to get them in trouble, the way they've been handling it is a, a grandfathering sort of scheme. And that is, if you already have an account, then cool, you can keep playing it. If you don't already have an account, then you can't. And that's the way it's been on Bovada, that you can't create new accounts from these areas, but if you already have an account, you can continue with it. That's also why I was able to play on Bovada from like the World Series this year. And I wasn't hiding that I was because uh, it's not against the terms to play from Nevada, just to live in Nevada and create a new account there. But my account's been around forever anyway. The problem is that because Ignition Poker is a new site, everybody will need a new account. I'll need a new account. You'll need a new account. So there's no more grandfathering. So if you've been playing from one of these five states, 
if you live in one of these five states, New Jersey, New York, Delaware, Maryland, Nevada, and now you want to play on Ignition, even if you've had a Bodog account for 12 years, it doesn't matter. You can't come over to Ignition. Because now you have to get a new account on Ignition, and guess what? You're in one of these banned states. So it says you will not be permitted to transfer your account as per the Ignition Casino Terms of Service. Ignition is saying if you're a resident of these states, you can't make a new account and you cannot transfer a Bovada account. You just cannot come here. So that's making a lot of people really upset. The 2 plus 2 thread about this is terrible. You have idiots debating for pages of, huh, why why these five states? I don't know. I, I think Nevada... I think Nevada... Delaware and New Jersey is because they offer online poker, but why New York and Maryland? And people are making all these dumb guesses. And I I didn't even see one person answer it correctly, but that's definitely the answer. I'm not just guessing here. That's definitely the answer as to why New York and Maryland are also uh, excluded. So going on. Uh, How do I transfer my account? In order to transfer your account, please follow the steps indicated below. One, log into your Bovada account. Two, click on Join Ignition Casino. Three, confirm, edit your account details. Four, create a new password. Five, click Create Account. How do I transfer funds to Ignition? Once you've successfully created your Ignition Casino account, you'll be asked to transfer funds. Enter the amount you wish to transfer and click Transfer Funds. You don't have to transfer all the funds. You can transfer some of the funds. How long will it take to receive my transferred funds? Your balance transfer should be in your Ignition Casino account immediately. Do I need to transfer my entire balance? No. Players may use the transfer balance option unlimited amount of times up to September 30th. But that's it. After September 30th, you cannot transfer between the two of them anymore. They're separating. How can I put additional cash... Uh, or sorry, how can I complete additional cash, tra- cash transfers to Ignition Casino? What it says, log into your Bovada account. Two, go to your wallet and select withdrawal. Three, choose Ignition Cash Casino transfer. Four, to select transfer amounts. They're saying if you've, after the first time you when you've uh, created an account, how to say you do additional ones. Uh, can I have an Ignition Casino and Bovada poker account at the same time? Yes, until September 30th, you can play on either the Ignition Casino or Bovada poker client, but never at the same time. Are you accepting new poker players? Unfortunately, Bovada is not accepting new players at this time. So that's it. If you're not on Bovada poker, you never will be. Also, the 100% poker welcome bonus won't be issued to players who made their first deposit after August 9th. So then it says, uh, who is Ignition Casino? They are an online casino poker room that is regulated and fully certified by the Kawanaki Gaming Commission. Kawanaki did a great job uh, Regulating UB didn't they The real answer is Ignition is Bovada It it was set up months ago It it looks just like Bovada If it walks like a duck If it quacks like a duck it's a duck So it's it's Bovada But now operating under different terms By the way they will have uh, Bitcoin deposits and withdrawals As Bovada does Can I expect the same poker experience on Ignition Casino? Yes, the experience will be very familiar as the software and all of its features you've come to love. Yeah, all all the features and software we've come to love on Bovada. (laughs) That's that's the one thing we don't love about Bovada is the software sucks and it's very buggy. So yes, all the bugs you've uh, and disconnects that you've come to love, especially recently, it'll, it'll all be there for you on Ignition. Will be available on Ignition, it says. 
Can I withdraw my funds on Ignition? Yes, Ignition Casino will process payouts and prides itself on paying its players out. That's because you're Bovada. That's why. They're offering one free withdrawal per month until September 30th. Hmm. One per month until September 30th. What about after September 30th? From what I've read, it's not on this fact, it will be one free withdrawal every four months. <laughs> now, remember we talked about that lucrative bonus that they bragged about? This generous transfer bonus? Here's what you get. Bovada players that transfer their accounts before the closure date of September 30th are eligible for an ignition transfer bonus, which includes $10 cash instantly upon your transfer. A $1,000 casino bonus on first deposit. Now, before you get too excited, that's a, a casino bonus. <laughs> you probably have to clear it a whole lot of times where you'll probably get nothing out of it. Uh, $100 poker drip bonus on first deposit. So on your first deposit, you get a $100 bonus. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, here, here. Uh, th- this is going to be really good for any middle or high-limit players who play on Bovada. This will really make things better. A free-roll ticket to one of five early bird free-rolls on Ignition Casino on August 17th, 25th, September 6th, 12th, or 22nd. Guaranteed prize pools are 15K, 15K, 10K, 5K, and 5K, respectively. (laughs) Come on, that's the prize pools. That's not top prize. I, I can't even think of any poker pro who'd waste their time with that. Jeez. It'll be open to anyone who transferred over. What will happen to my poker points? Poker points will not be transferred to ignition and will expire once Bovada closes. That's horrible. So, caller, you're on the air. Can we get a bad guy call in? I missed him from last week. Bad guy call in. This guy wants you. Who are you? Thanks. Oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> That's who it is, I guess. All right. Uh, yeah, poker points. You you earn them very slowly as you play on there, and they're worth a penny each. I'm very slowly. I played a ton on there, and I have like 100K of them. And they're, they're basically good for redeeming tournaments, and that's about it. You can redeem them for very tiny sports bonuses, like $10 each, which is a pain in the ass. But that's it. But... Uh, you, you you can't take them over, so now you have to hurry and spend them and play whatever tournaments there are and make sure to shoot them off because they're going to disappear. They're just going to outright disappear, which is weird because it, even if they want to maintain this facade that they sold it to a different company, why not transfer over the poker points? I mean, they, they could say they sold those too. It's just a, an excuse to steal them from you. Caller, you on the air. Not just any call. Yes? One thing. One step. You're kind of soft one step. I'm soft? No, I'm always hard. <sighs> All right. How's it going? One step. Uh, now, you said you wanted to call in here. Uh, wasn't it to promote yeah, money you for promised your... me, you? You promised me that if I responded to the post that you made in one of those threads about six weeks ago, that you would give me time on the air to discuss what I need to discuss. Are you still going to honor that obligation? 
Yeah, I will, but I'll, I'll tell you when to call. Call when we're done with this Bovada segment, and I'll put you as the next thing. That's going to be at least two and a half more hours. No, no, really it's, no, 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 it's, it, no, it's getting near the end. It, will there be before? Will there be another half hour? Something like that, probably. So, something like that. All right. Don't don't forget me. I'll call back. Oh, Angie. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't want to. One step one's like ten minutes. Uh, I, I gave him an agreement if he answered something for me on the forum that I give him ten minutes on here to promote his stupid trip and people to donate. He, he wants to basically be a radio beggar. So I'll let it be a radio beggar, but uh, I, I don't want it interrupting this segment. Uh, what will happen to my poker bonuses? If you have a poker bonus that doesn't expire until after September 30th, you'll given a, be given a similar bonus on Ignition. In order to be eligible for this, you must transfer your account before the closure date. All other bonuses that are from non-poker will remain in your Bovada account and not be affected. Only bonuses that have been cleared of associated rollover from Bovada will be eligible for account transfer. Which brings me to my next point. In July and August, Bovada has offered this 20% uh, bonus on Bitcoin deposits. And I think in May, they also had a 50% bonus on, on Bitcoin deposits. But that seemed really, really generous, especially the 50% one. And it was unlimited for deposits. And people didn't quite understand why they were being so generous. So I guess we understand now because the problem is that you won't be able to clear them playing poker because these will not transfer over. You can't transfer over those deposit bonuses to ignition, which really sucks. So, like, I have money. It clears really slowly. Like, for example, I played 3060 last night, one table, but like for like two hours, and I cleared a dollar and sixty, a dollar sixty cents, out of my nine hundred something remaining of, of bonus funds that's pending. So there's no way I'll get that all done by uh, September 30th. So I'll just have to forfeit most of them. So most of us that have put money on there for a bonus that we thought we'd clear playing poker over a long period of time, uh, we're not going to get to clear it. We're just we just deposited it under false pretenses, which is BS. Like they knew this was coming. It's it's not like they were surprised by this. It's not like a bust they were surprised by. They've been planning this a long time. So why, why tell us we can make bonuses and you can clear it playing poker? And then you can't clear it playing poker because they, they're taking the poker room away and not letting you transfer the bonus over. And it's so stupid because they should allow you to transfer these bonuses. And they're not. Like they're letting you transfer some things but not others. So deposit bonuses you don't get to. So this is this is very depressing. Uh, I, I don't think the games are going to be very good. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, but I don't think the games are going to be very good. I'm usually looking forward to NFL season on Bovada. Now, this is just as NFL season gets going in October, and uh, instead there will no longer be a sports book associated with uh, the poker room, and it'll be on this new side business ignition. I think it's going to be just a bunch of sharks over there. I think everyone's going to tire of it real quickly and the games are going to die. Because, believe me, the other sharks are thinking the same thing as me. It's, it's not like other players like me are thinking, oh, no problem, I'll just play all the other sharks. I'm sure I'll beat them. Like, like no one's thinking this way. You, you don't grind on Bovada anonymously for the glory. <laughs> That's like the least glory you're ever going to get playing online poker is playing on Bovada because no one can even see who you are. So you're, you're grinding on Bovada because uh, you're trying to make money. And... If you grind up Bovada, you probably have come to the conclusion that you're there for the good games. You're not there because you think you're better than every single player there. And if you are better, you're probably only a little bit better. 
And you may think you're better, you may really not be better. You're, you're there to play the players that you know you're way better than. And if there's very few of those on the new site, you're not going to want to play. And the games are going to die, too. So why are they doing this? That's, that's the next question. That's the big question. Everyone says, why would they do this? So Bovada is the biggest U.S.-facing online poker room that exists. The biggest. It's not bigger than poker stars, but they don't face U.S. By some people's estimates, they're actually the second biggest poker room in the world, even including the U.S.-facing ones, or the non-U.S.-facing ones. Maybe 888, but it's close. It's uh, But I think it's Bovada. If you can't Bodog, too. Bodog slash Bovada, I believe, is the second biggest poker room in the world behind poker stars. So, that's pretty impressive. Like, it's outgrown party. It's outgrown the iPoker network. It is probably the only poker room I know of that has consistently grown since Black Friday instead of shrinking. Over the last five years, it has grown. Gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Instead of shrinking. So why would they ruin that? I mean, sure, they, they've always not liked the winning poker players. They've always kind of resented the fact that people like me are taking money from the sports betting and casino fish and money that they could have won instead I'm winning. And then they've got to also pay fees to process my cash outs. I'm sure they don't love that. In fact, I know, you know Calvin Ayer, who's probably still the owner, even though he pretends not to be. He's come out and stated he does not like winning poker players, that he thinks they're bad for the poker economy. He thinks that other sites made the mistake of marketing too much toward pros when he markets toward the amateur. Okay, so that's always been their business model. They've tolerated but disliked poker pros. But, look, the poker pros do keep games going. His fish aren't going to sit there and wait for people to sit with them. You You need some dedicated players to be there to start games. Keep, the, keep them going So it was always thought Okay they're just kind of tolerating the sharks And they're still growing They're still doing very well So, so why mess with success But I believe that Bovada realized Or at least they believe they've realized That perhaps their success In their poker room Is at the expense Of other parts of their business Perhaps Bodog slash Bovada is not all that successful because even though it makes a lot of money in rake, maybe much of that money that they are making there, they would have made anyway from their sportsbook and casino products. That the poker room is robbing their other known profitable products of revenue. So maybe it's very misleading how much money the poker side is making if it's coming at the expense of other businesses. That they have Now this is very hard to analyze This is very hard to prove Because players don't say Why they put their money on When they lose A guy puts on $500 He intends to bet sports with it But before that he sees a poker game he wants to sit in Sits there and loses it very quickly And in 15 minutes he's gone Doesn't bother to redeposit How do they know that he Intended 
to bet sports with that money instead and just ended up putting it on poker. They don't. Now, they do have certain bonuses that are aimed specifically towards a certain part of the business, but most of those bonuses are aimed at the casino. But it's very hard for them to tell on the sports end of who, when when people lose money in poker, are these sports bettors who lost their money in the poker room that would have otherwise lost the betting sports, or are these poker players that just dabble in the sports betting, or is someone who just does both? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell for them whether the money being won by the poker pros is money that otherwise would have gone to the sports booker casino, or if those players just wouldn't have been there if there was no poker, or would not have deposited if there's no poker. But they must have analyzed it, and they must have decided, yeah, we think that the poker is, the success is kind of misleading. The success is probably false. The success is probably mostly at the expense of the sportsbook and casino, and screw that. So we're going to make the poker stand on its own. We are going to make the poker succeed and fail on its own. And yeah, we're going to have a, a casino over there too. But that, that's more kind of... There's, I don't think there's really anyone or very many people at all over there just to play the Ignition Casino. They probably have very, very few customers right now. So the casino is kind of just there in case people want to play too. Why not for them? You know, free money for them. But they don't want to put a sports book. They, they don't want to start another sports product and have people defect over there. They want the sports bettors to keep their money in Bovada and lose their money to Bovada. They want the casino players that got to know the Bovada casino all this time to lose their money on Bovada, not in poker. And if the poker really is this profitable, then they want it to be profitable on its own. They want it to stand up on its own. They want it to succeed or fail on its own. And maybe they're going to determine... If it does not succeed on its own, they'll just shut it down. They'll just take away poker. If they'll see it can't be profitable. But they, they're tired of poker sucking money from other parts of the business. They have two parts of their business that they know are very profitable. They are now going to be separated from the poker. Now, let me explain to you why they believe this. I mean, it may be obvious to you to some degree, but I want to tell you what an extreme it can be. Let's go back to the guy who puts on $500. Let's say he sits at a fairly high limit game and loses that 500 in two hands, which can happen very easily. In fact, he could lose it all in one hand. But let's say he lost it in two hands. Well, the rake for each of those hands would be $3. So for that $500 the guy puts on, Bovada rakes a whopping $6. And they don't get that money back. That money gets cashed out, provided it's won by a pro. doesn't get cashed out immediately, but it gets accumulated with other money won and gets cashed out. So they made $6 on that $500 deposit, plus they have to pay for the cash out, which costs a certain percentage. So they actually lose money. So on that guy who puts on $500 and loses everything in the poker room in two hands, they actually lose money on that guy. Now, compare this to if he bets sports or plays in the casino. Now, once in a while, he's going to fluke into winning or winning enough to to, to withdraw. But most of the time, he's going to lose it. Either he's going to win initially and lose, or he will just outright lose it. Well, then what does Bovada keep? Well, then Bovada keeps the entire 500. 
So that's a huge difference. It's a huge difference when someone loses it directly to them, they have all the money. When a poker player wins it, they just win whatever was raked on that amount of money that was deposited, which is usually very little because those, these players don't last long. And a lot of times these, these gamblers, they want to go play higher limit poker. They don't want to grind one, two. They don't want to grind 50 cent a dollar. They, a lot of times they go to the higher games to take shots. So very little gets raked. And there goes that money. And they don't ever see it back because these are it's won by winning players who then cash it out. And they have to pay a cash out fee on top of it. They meaning Bovada. So they hate it. They've decided enough is enough. They decided that anyone who is on there to play casino games or bet sports or bet on the races, that they want 100% of that money. They're not sharing it with us poker players anymore. So that's why I believe this is happening. I believe they know that they're going to slip from their perch as number two poker room in the U.S. But I don't think they care. I think they figure if the poker product is so strong all by itself, then it'll all move to ignition and it should still be fine. And if it's not so strong, well, okay, bye-bye poker. Now, Bovada uh, Sorry, Bodog Which is the non-US facing part of Bovada Yeah, they'll leave that alone You may say, why are they leaving that alone? Well Most of the sports bettors are from the US so yes, the Bodog players can play other Bodog players who bet sports. But really most of the sports betting is coming from US players. That that's always been where most of the sports betting comes from is as US based players. That's the very lucrative sports betting market. Why? Because most major sports are in the US. So they're not that worried about those players. They're just leaving that alone. They want to protect the U.S. sports betting and U.S. casino money, especially the sports betting, from U.S. poker players. That's what's being done. So that's all I really have to say about Bovada itself. But what are my plans? Well, I'm going to take a look at Ignition. I've been cashing out as fast as I can the money I have in Bovada. But I'll take a look at Ignition. I'll see if the games might still be playable. I'm not going to force the matter. But you know what? If I, if I determine it's not, if I determine it's a fail... If I determine that Ignition just can't really meet my needs, what am I going to do? I'm not going to go to America's Card Room. They they rarely have Limit Hold'em running. If it does start running, that just means because more pros went over there. It's not going to. It's not like there's going to be fish to play with unless something changes. Unless either Ignition is good enough to keep playing, or unless one of these other networks 
somehow limit Holdem gets going just because more people are sitting alone and more fish than have interest of in playing. Unless somehow the Bovada games move elsewhere, the good Bovada games move elsewhere, then I won't have anywhere to play. And then I might be done. Not completely done. I'm not saying I won't play the World Series anymore. I'm not saying I won't uh, occasionally go to a card room and play. But I'm saying that my professional poker player uh, career will be done. And you know, that's that's okay. Everything ends. Thirteen years ago, I left a career as a software engineer and became a poker player. Now, I'd already been playing poker for about uh, two and a half years at that point, but it felt a little bit strange to leave the career I thought I'd have my whole life. I didn't expect to be a professional poker player for all these years anyway. I didn't think I was going to do it for 13 years. I've done well. I made money as the years went on. The best years were earlier, of course, but I continued to win. I have more money now than at any point. I didn't do everything optimally. I made some mistakes, but overall, especially compared to the typical player who runs it up and loses it all, I did pretty damn well. And I've had freedom for 13 years from any kind of job. Being a professional poker player allowed me the flexibility to move from where I was before to be with Benjamin's mom. She could not move because of uh, various uh, life circumstances, including her her job. And you know, I if if I was tethered to a job close to where I lived, we wouldn't have been able to do this. So it allowed me to do that. It's allowed me to have a lot other freedom that I've wanted. Even allows me to do this show. Like if I had a regular job, I couldn't do this show every week until the wee hours of the, of the evening. So I've gotten a lot out of poker for the last 13 years. But sometimes it's over. And in this case, it looks like it's over by circumstance. It's it's over not because uh, I'm choosing to quit or because uh, I can't win anymore, but just the, the games I play and that I've been a consistent winner at have, have left online poker. And the playing live isn't really viable. So that's the way it's going to be, maybe. I'm not calling a retirement just yet, but that might be the result. By by October, I'll probably know. By sometime in October. Now, maybe California Online Poker will come and Limit Hold'em games will be good. Maybe there will be some eventual replacement for Bovada where fish show up again. Who knows? I could come back at some point, but I'm not going to sit and wait for it. There's other things that I want to do, other things I don't even talk about on the show that uh, I have done in the background. Other areas that uh, I could work 
to make money that have nothing to do with poker. So I may start exploring those opportunities. Will I do this show if I'm no longer a professional poker player? I've, I've thought about that. Like, it's, is it going to feel weird to do a, a show on PokerFraudAlert.com if I'm not a, really a poker player anymore, except occasionally? For right now, the answer is yes. But who knows? I'll only do this show as long as I have an interest to do the show. For right now, I still have an interest to do the show. Even if Bovada and all... Online poker for me ended tomorrow. I'd still want to do this show, but who knows? Maybe if I'm separated from the whole thing enough to where I'm barely playing, and I'm thinking, like, why am I just coming out to talk about it and not really being involved in it anymore? Might just feel strange to do a show like that. So we'll have to see. You know, everything changes. Think of your own life, how many times things have changed, including things that are very established. It's foolish to believe that what you're doing today or what you're enjoying today will go on forever. It, it never will. Just got a, Speaking of going on forever, I just got a text from Cal Watts saying that uh, a poker game that he thought was going to be over by now and he could be on the show is still going and he's still playing, so he won't be joining the show for the moment. <laughs> All right, let me read these text messages and then we will uh, go on to another topic. From the 901 area, hi, Jeff, can you please talk about the Mojave Desert phone booth? Keep up the good work. Okay, well, the Mojave phone booth was a phone booth that uh, was really, really out in the middle of nowhere, like eight miles down a dirt road in the Mojave Desert of California. And because of the pay phone, it was a pay phone there, and because it was so remote, see, one step's calling. Okay, hang on one step. I'll get to you in a moment. But the Mojave phone booth, it was something that uh, people visited it just because it was so remote. It was just such a weird spot to have a payphone in the middle of the desert and eight miles down a dirt road, not near any city or civilization. And people started showing up there just to receive calls on it because uh, people were so fascinated with the phone, they would call it up just to see who would answer. They ended up making a movie loosely based around the phone called Mojave Phone Booth. But it it really was... I, I thought it'd be like a documentary about the phone booth or stories of people who called it. It wasn't. It was it was all fiction, and in fact, it was based around Las Vegas. Uh, it was... it was The phone was placed a lot closer to Vegas than it was in reality, to where it was like... It looked like a 10-mile drive from Vegas, which wasn't true. And uh, it was about, like, four different people with situations in their lives that were, that were stressful and they went to the Mojave phone booth and uh, would wait for this one Brit- weird British woman to call and and speak to her about their problems. And then they tried to intertwine the, f- the four stories, Pulp Fiction style, but it, that part didn't work very well. It was an okay movie. You, you can go get it in whatever way you get movies and watch it. I, I found it to be like mildly entertaining, but not a must-watch, but also not awful. I never visited that phone booth, nor did I call it, though I kind of wish I did at some point. Anyway, uh, one step. Welcome to the show. Yes, welcome. Thank you. Um, you sounded like uh, you were about to cry that you weren't going to be playing poker anymore. Well, it's a big change. I wasn't about to cry. But it's, it's a big change in my life, and 
I'm not sure I'm, I'm not going to play poker anymore, but it's something that is a possibility and it's, it's a big change and it's something that just hit me out of nowhere. It, it was a day I thought could come easily, but that's, uh, yeah, but you're not going to be missing any people or like dealers or anything like that. I mean, it's not like it's activity. It's like running or brushing your teeth. You wouldn't miss running in the street or on the gym. Would you? I, I don't know what you're trying to ask here. Um, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, okay, so what, so what do you want to talk about here? Yes, yes. What I'd like to talk about. Well, why are you outside? Is, why are you outside? Can you be inside talking about this? I inside. That'd be better. We, on, I, I hear uh, background noise, like cars, and just. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I mean, I could hear you before. It was just too much background noise. Okay. Okay. Um, so. Uh, what I wanted to call out is to let everyone that's listening to the radio show, in case they haven't seen my thread, that I am looking to connect donations for the vacations that I've had and that I'm going to have in the, in the end of the month. Okay. So I, first of all, I think collecting donations for past vacations is pretty tacky. I think if you're going to do that, at least make it for future vacations. Well, no, but I mean, like, the, these charges have to go on somewhere, right? They have to go on, on a credit card. These, no, I understand, but at least, when people, at least when people donate to you, they feel like they're going to get something in the future. It's, it's kind of weird to donate in, for something that's already over. Well, it's not. It's, it's not over. It's still in process. But at the same time, you know, airfare, food, um, you know, things like that, and then the lifestyle that I've grown accustomed to living – uh, needs to be paid you've grown accustomed to, to live. That you sound like a woman getting a divorce. Like, yeah, I, I, I want to have a hundred thousand a month alimony because I, I that's, grew accustomed very, to living a lifestyle. That's very that, misogynistic. That's very misogynistic of you uh, to say, but I'm going to let that slide <laughs> because you're drunk. No, and no, look, no, look, it's unfair. It, it is unfair, if, especially in a short marriage. If uh, a relatively short marriage, that the guy no, should no, have no, to... we're, we're not going down that line. Listen, listen, we're not going down that road. No, you're, 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 you're going to dictate this now. Huh? You're going to dictate now where we go down? Uh, no, no, I, I don't know how we got off into this into this. Uh, okay, so engine, so so okay, let's, so let's, let's talk on, about let's your lifestyle. Road. Let's stay on the road here because okay, so I only have like ten or fifteen minutes. So to speak. the lifestyle? Are you talking um, about? Are you talking about an alternative lifestyle that you're living? Both the alternative lifestyle and the, the grandiose lifestyle that I've you know become uh, grown accustomed to to living. So now, I, I read your trip report. Uh, I read your trip report about Las Vegas. And uh, first of all, I do like One Step's trip reports. They're on the Flying Stupidity Forum, and he does post very detailed trip reports with some pictures. And uh, you know, he gets very graphic sometimes. But you really get to feel in, in a way that you're there with him, which can be disturbing at times. But you, yes. you do feel like you, you do get to feel like you're with him. So I enjoy these trip reports, but here's what I want to take you to task for, though. You said on your last Vegas trip that uh, you were going to – you were kind of getting sick of hooking up with guys on these Vegas trips, that you were – this time you said, I'm going to get some pussy. But then it seems like from your trip report, you didn't even try. Well, no, I, I did. It's just that the group of people that I was with, uh, they're not really – you know, in order to to sort of be around those – you know those those type of women or women in general, and have a you know a legit shot of getting laid. You need to be around the certain areas or events that you know they gather around. For example, uh, pool parties, uh, clubs, things like that. Unfortunately, my friends did not feel that it was necessary to spend you know five hundred dollars for per person for a experience such as that. 
And as a result, I needed to, you know, pretty much get, you know, blown in the stairwell. So, so, so now this is real. You were saying in your trip reports that you were you were getting blown in stairwells of hotels. That really happened? Yes. This was quite an experience, too. Yes. Very much. <laughs> it was quite an experience. So now this uh, – so, so you would meet these guys on, like, what, the Grinder app? Yes. And and how does it work? Yeah. It's just so, so weird to me, like because it doesn't work this way with girls. At least back in my day, especially it didn't. Like you, you couldn't you couldn't just meet a girl and say, okay, let's just meet up and and have sex, like, unless it was a, they're a prostitute. Like you, you'd have to at least put. I like, would probably I would probably be using that that app a lot more than I would be probably using Grinder if there was such a thing. Yeah, yeah. So 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 with Grinder, with isn't it just kind of weird? Like you just meet a guy on Grinder and then you just meet and what, what do you do? You even like say hello? Like what do you do? Yeah, I say what's up. What's up? Okay, let's go to the stairwell now and blow me. Like is that how it works? Yeah. pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. How do you how do you buy in uh, in a card game? How do I buy in a you card? You go to the floor. You go to the floor. You say, you know, I'm looking for a seat in, you know, two five or five ten. You give them money. They give you the chips, and you sit down. Here, there's no money exchanging. We just, you know. But but to so. The thing is that I'm planning a trip for Houston at the end of uh, August, and since I'm you know currently out of job, still looking for the the right one for me. Now, why are you going to Houston um, in late August? Isn't isn't the weather kind of lousy at that point? Yeah, it's it's absolutely terrible. But there's a twink there that needs to get <laughs> fucked, and I need to. So it's for one know. twink. You're going. You're going to Houston. Well, I'm going to be seeing a Astros game and a uh, Texans game as well. Um, obviously that, that costs money as well as the flight and, and, you know, eating in restaurants such as the reef, which is an amazing restaurant. If you're ever in Houston, you should definitely try it out. Now, now where do you know, um, that, where do you know this twink from that, uh, is in Houston? How, how did you get hooked up with someone in Houston? Uh, I was there, uh, for uh, Mardi Gras after Mardi Gras, I, I made a pit stop at, at Houston. So you see, so you just met someone there and you're going back to see him again. Yeah. yeah. I see. So, so I've devised a sort of a um, uh, not sort of reward system, but <laughs> a way where system. you can contribute, where you can contribute to this, and at the same time get something in return. Okay, now how, how would how would someone how would someone donate to your well, trip here? My 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 trip reports are worth the weight in gold, but I understand that some people are do not see that as sort of a merit for donating to my fund, even though. As I'm sure you you, you, know, you can attest, the last time I held a donation uh, f- uh, sort of fund, um, people were very generous. But I'm curious what changed from now to back then. I, I don't know, but here I, I think I have Cal, Cal Watt. Are you on the phone now? I am here. Yeah, Cal Watt. The only thing I'm going to ask you is because you're in the car and there's a little bit of car noise here. I, I don't want to interrupt uh, one step in his uh, his gay trip uh, donation discussion. I'll, so so if, if you could just put it on I'll mute, mute it. I'll yeah, mute just it. mute it. That's what I was going to ask. Okay, you got it. So go ahead, uh, one step. So, so yeah, I, I, I can't tell you what's changing. Uh, maybe it's the economy. Maybe yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's just the the I people the people active around here are, uh, on on the site these days are the, are the cheaper ones. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, I I always thought it took some uh, pretty big brass balls to just come out and say, "Hey, everybody, pay for my vacation." But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it it, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> so you know. I mean, you're, you're, it's not like you're uh, asking you for money. You, for, you don't get, you don't, yeah, in life, in life, uh, you know, if you don't get any something uh, without asking for it, so. Well, I know, I'm just saying, it's not uh, like you're asking for money for uh, essential surgery or something. This is just vacations to go have sex with men, so. No, 
and then to enjoy, you know, fine dining, uh, cuisine, dry as cuisine well as, as well. entertaining okay. uh, sports and airfare, and you know, it's just a small, small part of it. Well, okay. Um, so, uh, so what I've what I've designed is uh, there's three tier levels. <laughs> uh, so for uh, ten dollars, a ten dollar yes. donation, you get my top five uh, straight porn videos uh, online. Um, what do you mean? You, do you give them five porn videos, or you just tell them what they are? No, I, I send them the links. Those are my from my vault, from my uh, sort of special reserve, so to speak. So, so just to be um, clear, you you have yeah. five videos saved somewhere online. That you can send them links to go watch. Correct. I realize you don't want the car noise, but am I hearing this right? That he's trying to get people to pay him go fuck guys. Yes, that's exactly what's going on. <laughs> that's not normally how it works. Usually, usually you pay to get fucked, not the other way around. Well, no. Again, I'm uh, you misunderstood. Um, that that's just a small portion or a small activity of the overall trip. Yeah. Uh, air yeah, fare, the rest air is the vacation, is a, right? Correct. Airfare, food, uh, Texans game, Astros well, game. Well, Jesus Christ, like man! I, I I would love for someone to pay for me to go on a fucking vacation and get laid. That, that, that's, a good, that's a good point. There's a lot you of guys. Should. There's a lot of guys on here who. who there's a lot of straight guys on here you, who want, who want you, to get paid. Are you married? I am, but you can still pay for my so fucking vacation. Why don't, so why don't you ask your wife to send you away for somewhere? I, all I'm saying is I think you've got this a little backwards. Usually you pay people for sex, okay, if you're so inclined to do that, and usually you pay someone else to go on vacation. It usually doesn't work the other way around, you know what I mean? You, you usually, I mean, it's 2016, what's usually, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, really, like, let's, let's be real here. Okay, okay, so, so one step, uh, so go on, so you, say, so you have five porn videos that you can send them to watch. Now, these are gay porn videos, right? Yes. Well, that's no, 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 no. They're 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 straight. However, if you prefer uh, to be gay, I can send. Oh, them, really? So, uh, so is that what you usually watch? Do you usually watch straight porn? It depends on the on the the, the thing. Okay, so you're gonna on send the, the, you're gonna send whoever donates this uh, five videos. May, may I finish? May I finish yeah. this this list before you ask questions? Yeah. Thank you. So uh, that's that's for ten dollars. Now for a twenty dollar donation. Uh, you will receive the same uh, aforementioned, uh, you know, uh, five straight porn links. Uh, but also you'll get a, a personalized voicemail uh, up to 15 seconds long uh, <laughs> with whatever you like me to say, uh, and I'll have it recorded and sent to you. So that's, that's, that's 20 bucks. Now, uh, for, for 50, $50 donation, uh, you receive all the aforementioned, you know, the voicemail, the, the, the porn links, uh, but you also get two cases of promotional shot glasses from a event that was held a few years ago, a beer festival here in Brooklyn. So you get uh, two cases, which is six sh- shot glasses in each case. They're three-ounce shot glasses, and so it'll be t- a total of 12 uh, mailed to you or address of your choosing. Uh, in addition to the voicemail and the, the porn links, and that's for a fifty-dollar donation. So that's that's the third tier. And right? That's a third tier, correct. Now, now how do you and have all these glasses? What, what if you get overwhelmed with $50 donations? Do you really have enough shot glasses to send out? Yes. Really? How do you have so many shot glasses? Um, it's a long story. <laughs> he probably stole them from the back of a truck or something. It's, okay, so, it's, so it's wait, despite this, we have, we have somebody sorry, on the... Not, not, everyone, not everyone from Brooklyn 
steal stuff from back of trucks. All right, that's a very stereotypical thing to say. Well, I'm talking to another Jew here. I, so I, I, can, I, can I, be... I advise I advise you not to say that to someone else from Brooklyn because that might come off as very offensive. No, but look, I'm saying it to um, another. I'm saying another to another white Jew, so I can do that. Okay. Okay. Fair so so we have we have someone uh, on the phone so... here. From, hold on, we have someone on the phone here who says that. Todd. He... Todd. Well, Todd, I, I didn't finish. I didn't finish. Little... No, you, finish. Finish. no, no, this, 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 you're, you're going to want to hear this. Hang on, this is someone who who says he wants to donate. Okay, can I finish? No, no, no. Let, so the, little, the, let the flamer finish. Okay, go oh. ahead. So, so the the preferred methods again, uh, we can do Venmo, uh, quick pay. Uh, you can do Viber Cash, uh, Snap Cash, or any other uh, sort of form of payment that you prefer. Um, again, all donations would be confidential unless you want it to be made known. Um, and I am serious about these uh, sort of uh, tiers that I will be sending out uh, upon receiving of the funds. Okay. Now, you can go with four once the, the chime in. Okay, so this uh, guy from uh, the recent caller, go ahead and uh, say to one step what you it's want to say. from the East Coast. You can tell everybody I really don't care. Look, who's this fag on here that is trying to get the money? That's one step. He never called. Okay. You know what? One step. How much money do you need? Do I need how many? How much money for oh, this you, trip? You don't want to ask about that. That would be the question that I just asked you. About a thousand dollars. All right. Look, can you delay the trip for a year? Because <laughs> if you delay the trip for a year, listen to me. You delay the trip for a year. For the first ten weeks, I'll donate five dollars a week. That you don't call into the show ever again. After that, we'll go up a dollar for every other additional 10 weeks. After 20, I'll double it and make it $10 and double what I've already put in. That's, you go a that's year, too much math for me to... That's too much math for me to... <laughs> this guy's trying to donate to you. Don't, you don't, you don't want, want to do math now. For every 20 no, my, my you don't know, what you've already mm-hmm. said, what you, that you don't call in, I'll double what I've already mm-hmm. put in. Okay? That gives you mm-hmm. 200... Roughly $220. After 20 weeks, mm-hmm. you go another 20 weeks, we'll pay you another 200 plus what you've already banked. You'll get $600 after 40 weeks. Don't call in a show anymore and beg for money. Nobody's giving it to mm-hmm. you but me. Okay? So just hang <laughs> I'm not, up right I'm now. Not, Nobody wants again, to hear I'm you. Again, I'm not. See I'm not. Money's not giving you money. Nobody wants to see your videos of you banging these other guys because nobody cares about seeing your little three-inch dick. Okay, or whatever you're doing, soft. getting it in the butt. It's it's three inch soft. Okay, a three inch soft. <laughs> or, yeah, you know what you're dreaming, buddy. Okay, nobody cares about okay. it. Nobody wants to see it. So just stop okay. calling. Well, in my here. last. Uh, I, uh, your name is Scott. Go back to go back to Brooklyn or Toronto yeah. or wherever you your, say your you're name from. is Scott. Nobody. Your name is Scott, correct? My name's Scott. I'll come meet you anytime you want. Okay. I've met Todd. I've met so, Brandon. No, 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 no. I don't. What I don't mean. I don't mean guys. Too. I'm sorry. I don't mean guys without you don't finding guys. out what they you look like. You're going to take. You're going to take it up the butt from a guy, but you don't meet guys. No. Why would you assume that I'm taking Todd, it up the butt? You, you, Todd, do me a favor. Yes. Get bad guy to why call do you, in. Why do you? Why do you? call. I did see someone from four one two calling. That might be bad guy. You can call back whoever in four one two is trying to call. Please get bad guy. Look, so, if you put bad guy so, on for ten, if you get bad guy on for ten minutes tonight, I'll do so it Scott, Scott, hours relax, right now. Relax. Why are you? Why are you relax, so buddy. so You're hyped? Just, nobody cares. Why are you nobody so hyped? Cares to donate you money stuff? to you to see some video. 
My last, my last fund says otherwise. Well, how much did you get from the last this fund? Day? How much? How much did you get from the last fund? The, those, those numbers are confidential. Oh, you know okay, that. you could be making that up then. This is poker fraud alert. This is not gay fraud alert. We're not worried about you. We don't want to. Well, you, Trump, you know that I'm not making it up because you're the one that actually uh, got those funds in your account and then transferred them to me. So you know firsthand that that's not the case. Okay. Well, but it wasn't like mass numbers of people donating. Right, but it was Todd, a decent amount right, where it would help hang me. Hang up on him right now, Todd, and I'll send me $25. Okay. I, every week. I'll let him finish this here. Why are you so aggressive? I'll let him finish this here, but one step, we do have to wrap this up and move on with the show. We do have to wrap this up I feel that you have... I feel that Scott has some like pent up sexual tension that he needs to let out. Um, I don't know oh, how he wants yes. to you do that, it, buddy. but it feels it feels like You've that. Got it feels like read that. like an open book. Well, it's amazing. So, uh, like like I'm saying, uh, this still stand. I will post an update in the thread uh, with you know the, the tears and a picture of the shot glass, which is it is very stylish, very nice. It's an excellent Christmas gift or Thanksgiving, uh, you know go around to, to drink alcohol as well. Uh, but I'd be greatly appreciated because, you know, Houston is a great city, but it's expensive. You know, the, the flight's expensive and, and everything like that. So it'd be really nice if, if people could help me out. Well, so, someone was actually asking, uh, appreciate... somebody texted me and said, what can I get for coupons for local events around Houston? Would you want those? Coupons Someone's offering, offering you coupons for local events, whatever that means. I, if those local local events involve a Houston Astros game and a Tech Houston Texans game, I would be more than happy to <laughs> to to get them. I have a feeling they don't. But I doubt I doubt that that's going to be the case. Okay. But Scott, you're more than welcome to donate uh, as well. Uh, but none of this, you know, five dollar hey, increment uh, installments. Buddy, 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 hey, buddy, you I don't call you me said. buddy, pal. All right. I'm calling. I'm, okay, fag. How about that? Look, Todd, okay, hang pal. on right now. It's twenty five dollars. No, but I'm not. You know, I, 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 I told one step. I, I know, but I told. I told. I told him I'd let him finish. One step. Let's wrap this up, though, and then we have to move on. The guy's driving me to drink, okay. and I haven't had a drink in about two weeks. Okay. So I, I, I appreciate. I appreciate the, the time. I appreciate the time you you uh, devoted to this, Todd. Um, and you know, listen, you're not precluded from donating as well. Oh yeah. Right. I don't even donate to my own free will. You you, you donated to Hebe. Uh, fifty dollars, and you got scammed. But I know that's, that's okay. I know, so I had a bad experience. I can't do here, it again. Here, I'm telling you straight up that this money is going to be spent on on you know uh, restaurants and and uh, entertainment. So yeah, but I can do that for myself. That's that is true. But you have a kid, so chances are you're not really going to be able to to do that. And how is Benjamin, by the way? Yeah, Benjamin's doing well. He's he's going to start uh, kindergarten in about uh, two and a half weeks. How old is he? He's getting close to six. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, okay, so one step, is that right. it? Well, that's it. That's it. I appreciate your time. You, Scott, you, you take care of yourself. And, uh, you and too, everyone, one step. I appreciate I hope, it. You get, I hope you get every dime that you need. Just remember, I'm ready to donate I, anytime you want to stop calling him. Sure, sure. Okay. Anyway, thanks again. Take care. Okay, th- thank you, Scott, for, for your input here. <laughs> Hey, you get bad guys. What the hell was this? I'll send twenty five dollars to you, Todd. You can transfer it to the little twink. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Scott. All right. Later. All right. So, so uh, Cal Watt, welcome, uh, welcome to the show. And uh, so, something yeah, Drop. We... I came in in the middle of that. What was it? Sounded like a retarded version of Kickstarter. What the fuck was that? Yeah, it kind of was. Yeah. So what happened was one step. Uh, he's been. 
he does post some funny trip reports from from the various trips he's been taking. But he he keeps soliciting money from the community to to send him on these trips. And uh, so I, I he had told me I had asked him a question on the forum, and he told me he'll only answer it if I give him ten minutes on the radio to promote this thing. So. I, I stupidly oh, said I stupidly said yes, and I, I had to keep my word. So, that, so there you go. I mean, Drop, if this is what we're doing, I mean, I, I would like to start a kind of poker fraud alert, pay my mortgage. Can we do that? Yeah. That's a, I'll send my, know, best, I, my best, uh, you know, five straight porn videos to the people that do $20 a month. I mean, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, you know? I know. It's, I, uh, I've opened up the floodgates. So, someone from 248 is calling in now. <laughs> That's that's pretty pretty much uh, describes the last segment. Okay, so yeah, that was not me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's let's get back to uh, let's get back to the the whole agenda and everything. Uh, do, do you play? I you know you you were one of the New York people who couldn't play on Bovada, right? Yeah, I can stay on. Sure. No, I say you you couldn't play on Bovada because you were from New York, right? Yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't. I I've. Uh, Sweated and uh, and coached some people with PLO uh, on Bovada, but I've never been able to play it myself. Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, have you read anything about this America's Card Room controversy with a guy who claims his account was hijacked? No, I haven't read it. Okay. Well, this this is what happened here, and uh, maybe, maybe you could mute again for the moment while I describe this. Uh, and uh, Done. how long till you get home? By the way. It's going to take me about, about an hour, a little under. Okay, wow, you're pretty far from the card room. Okay, so anyway. He, yeah, he's... well, it's not a card room. It's a, it's, I was telling you, it's a PLO game. and Actually, it's a PLO 8 game in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of farmers. I mean, it's <laughs> one of the weirdest things in the world. That but is it's weird. incredibly good. It's like a berry patch, you know? <laughs> okay. Well, I, right, I, I, I don't blame you for staying. Okay, so anyway, here's, here's the story of what's going on. A guy named Alex Foxen, a, a professional poker player, I should have looked up his results before I, I did this, but uh, he's known as Big Fox 86, and uh, I guess he's also known as William Foxen. Looking at his totals, he he's not a huge tournament winner, from what I can see. His Hendon Mob shows uh, 421000 in uh, total live earnings. Best live cash ever was actually this World Series just on... Uh, at the main event where he finished 109th for 49k. Other than that, he's uh, he's mainly entering like uh, four-figure tournaments. Before and before this year, he was only entering uh, cheap tournaments for the most part, and I guess some four term some like 1500 type events too. But he you know, he's not a he's a younger guy. He's not a huge uh, tournament player. Doesn't seem to be like a really high limit player, but. I don't know much about him. I'm not going to comment on that. He's from New York, by the way, just like he's from Cold Spring Harbor, something a place I've actually been to in New York on Long Island. Anyway, the story with him is he claims that America's card room is screwing him. This is what he wrote. This was on August 10th, yesterday. He said, I had 11,500 stolen from me on America's card room poker. And he tweeted this out for everyone to see. On June 8th, I attempted to log into my Black Chip Poker account, and that's part of the same network of, of uh, America's Card Room. It's part of the Winning Poker Network. 
The password was not what I remembered, so I attempted to reset it via email, but never received the email I was supposed to, so I contacted security. After taking 10 days to respond, I was alerted for the first time that the registered email had been changed. That's already strange. If I can't get into my account, which has some substantial money in it, I'm not letting 10 days pass before I, I really start panicking. Like, I'd be... If I don't get something within a day, I'm I'm just really going nuts and uh, blowing this up online. That, that part's already strange to begin with. But let, let's just assume he he was patient and waited ten days. So after ten days, he was alerted for the first time the registered email address had been changed. After further investigation, I was told that Blackjack Poker had received an email from an address other than mine, requesting to have the registered email changed and providing my name, date of birth, and address. <laughs> So he claims someone was uh, impersonating him and, and got his uh, email address changed, and then that person gained access to his uh, Black Chip Poker account. For some inexplicable reason, the security team fulfilled this request and didn't even send an email alert to me that the email was being changed. The account was subsequently flagged for chip dumping when the last 300 and change were dumped from the account. The account had about 5,500 in it the last time I logged in. So I guess the person shot off uh, 6K. And in fact, it was found that the last uh, 300 of wor- the last 300 worth was uh, blatantly chip dumped. I don't know what happened to the previous 5,700. And then he he got himself back in through security. Uh, after I was after after this, I was told I would be able to get, regain my account, but there was nothing that could be done about the money. When I expressed the sentiment of this being unacceptable, I stopped getting responses from the security team. I sent multiple emails every few days for a few weeks, but lost persistence with this as I got caught up in the busy summer schedule and planned on resolving it when I had more time. That's also weird. That, that's kind of a weird thing to just kind of let go. But again, we'll, we'll let that slide here. Fast forward to July 17th. I decided to play a session on my America's Card Room account. Probably not the best decision on my part, but I was still fairly confident the previous issue would be resolved. I finished in third in the 500 event for like 6K, and I didn't attempt to log in again until the following Sunday. I went through the same process of thinking I forgot my password, not getting the email when I attempted to reset it, and contacting security. They explained to me that my email had been changed by someone emailing them from a separate email requesting a change of email again. Here is a screenshot of the conversation where they sent me a copy of the email they received. Now, this, this guy's not very good at screenshots. Uh, now, I know I'm 44 years old, and, and I know that uh, as, as you get older, your ability to see small print goes downhill and eventually need reading glasses. I remember when I was in my 20s and I was working a, uh, at an electronics company doing software there, and uh, the middle-aged people would actually approach me and have me read tiny print on the circuit boards because I was in my 20s and my eyes could see that better. Now they're around the age – I'm around the age they were when they were requesting that of me. So maybe it's my eyes, but this guy uploaded a tiny, tiny – Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this really quick tangent that I think is pretty funny. One of, one of the most, like, horrible D-Gen moments that I, I remember was being at a casino. And uh, we're playing PLO. I think it was like 5-5-10, and this guy was just getting absolutely massacred. And <laughs> – he, he, he gets out his bank card and he tries to get more money out of the ATM, uh, you know, which he had done several times before. And apparently this time it didn't work. So he hands me his ATM card 
and he wants me to read off the phone number to him because, you know, he doesn't have glasses. <laughs> he can't read it. So, so I'm here. I'm reading this guy's oh, number wow. off so that he can call the bank to beg them to get more money so oh, wow. put it on the table. And anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> that is Just funny. reminded me of that. Go, go, that is go ahead. Okay, saying, the screenshot he posts of America's Carbon was the tiniest print. Like, this guy should have blown it up or something. I don't know what. But, but uh, I'm going to try to read this, and I'm probably going to be suffering from eye strain afterwards. So I'm. This is one of the hidden expenses of the show. I'll probably have to visit an ophthalmologist afterwards. But here, yeah, I'm going to tough it out and read it anyway. He wrote, uh, so he receives from the support saying, we're reviewing the account. And so he says back, there was $6,000 in the account. This is America's card room he's talking to. The support says, this is the email we received. Hi, my name is William Foxen, date of birth 1291. So I guess that makes him 25 years old. Uh, address 19 Antico Way, Apartment C, 0243, Waltham, Massachusetts, United States. I'm, I'm not giving away his personal info. He posted this himself on his Twitter. Uh, I'm requesting to America's Card Room that I want to update my new email and ACR account, but I found no option available. There, my, my old email is williamfoxen at gmail.com, so I'm requesting that you guys – and he put guy apostrophe yes to whoever this is, uh, that please update my new email, foxandalex1991 at gmail.com. Now, by the way, this is a, a little bit broken English, which almost seems like it's on purpose. Uh, I'm So I'm requesting to you guys that please update my new email. So I, I don't know if that's just bad typing or if the person was trying to mask their writing style. Anyway, that's uh, so then put the new email is uh, foxandalex1991 at gmail.com. So so that, this, that was a copy from support of the email they got. So he wrote – so then the real Alex Foxen writes back, how is that acceptable? How is that enough information you change the password? So the support guy says, this is the email we received from foxandalex1991 email address. And so Alex says, well, this isn't my email. How could you change the email address without confirming it was actually me? And then he doesn't show the response. He says, it is such a ridiculously acceptable amount of information and inquiry for such a change that I don't even feel the need to blur anything out that's regarding uh, his, his like address and date of birth because of how easily obtainable and in the case of the address old slash incorrect this information is. After this request was granted, the thief immediately emptied the account of all 6K. This is on America's card room totaling 11500 stolen from my two accounts by the same method less than two months apart. The conversation concluded with me being told the incident would be investigated further and I would receive a call. The call I got was from an employee who struggled immensely with the English language, but told me that they concluded that they weren't responsible and that they followed correct protocol. I expressed otherwise, and he agreed that it didn't seem right and promised I would receive a call from a supervisor within 24 hours. Yeah, whenever you get that promise of a call from a supervisor from any company, like a supervisor is going to call you back, uh, the chance you will actually receive that call back is 0.0. So, did he say from his two accounts? Yeah, there was two different accounts. So one was on the first one was on blackjack poker, where uh, where a five thousand of his uh, eleven thousand five hundred okay. was dubbed, and then the. Or, or, and then this second one was uh, he lost six k. Yeah, all six k. I mean, this, this guy's a fucking idiot, but he fits the fits the profile of the guys that play kind of the the low buy in tournaments online. You know, they sit in their mother's basement with a bong and some Doritos and 
grind the five dollar tournament. Well, this guy he's, he seems to play higher than that. He he doesn't play low buy-in, but yeah, he he is young and perhaps naive to allow this to happen. I'll, I'll give you that. So he says. Uh, uh, five days later, no phone call. I sent a follow-up email asking what's going on. It was responded to by security asking me to, to please explain the situation so they could understand. Uh, and for whatever reason, this email... How come I'm not seeing anything? This was... I, I don't understand. Let me go back to the thread. That was all he provided. He doesn't go on with it from there. Uh, so let me let me give you... Further information I have since then Of which there is some uh, Oh here we are I, I, I did find the last one uh, All previous correspondence Was in the email chain So it was as simple as scrolling up to see the details I have yet to receive a response to that message And that was approximately a week ago I have been trying to avoid making this issue public But I feel I have no choice I was robbed due to negligence in the security department and and winning poker network is refusing to accept responsibility and now hoping the problem goes away if they ignore me. If you play on the site, let this be a warning. So he's uh, very concerned about others happening to them. He wants to let everybody know. And keep in mind, this did occur, uh, this did occur across two different sites. First, Black Chip Poker, and second, America's Card Room. But they are both on the Winning Poker Network. So the Winning Poker Network security is actually handling both of them. They're not just... uh, It's not the individual sites doing this. It's the Winning Poker Network handling it both times, I believe. Because if there's one thing Charlie Sheen is above all, it's a winner. Come Wednesday morning, they're going to rename it uh, Charlie Brothers and not Warner Brothers. (laughs) Duh. Winning. Giant marquee name comes through on your caller ID, and it's like, winning. Some are saying that you're bipolar. I'm bi-winning. Yeah, so the Winning Poker Network is the one that uh, it falls for this, if it really occurred. Now, when I say if it really occurred, there is a small chance that this guy's lying, and I'm not accusing him of it, but you've got to look at this from all angles. There are some weird things to this story which you have to wonder about. Number one, we haven't heard of this happening to anyone else on the Winning Poker Network. Only this guy, and it happened to him twice. So this is really like a a lightning strikes twice situation where the same guy got him twice but didn't get anyone else that we know of. Uh... The fact that he let 10 days go by from the first time. The fact that the first time it happened, despite the fact that at least 10 days passed, that all the money wasn't dumped out of 11500 you, you think 11500 is not like a million. It's not that hard to dump 11500 on America's card room and do so convincingly in, in almost two weeks' time. But so, somehow there was half the money left, which is – that's a little bit weird the first time. Uh, the fact that – Uh, so so anyway, uh, so now, then there's there's more to this story that again could uh, leave this in question. Th- this is what America's Card Room came back with. America's Card Room said they actually posted this on their Twitter yesterday. After re-reviewing the incident, or after after re-reviewing the incident happened because someone had the photo ID and personal details and was able to change the email and then the password. 
After resolving the America's Card Room account incident, weeks after the black, black chip poker incident got com- account got compromised, the customer failed to let us know he had another account with the same other with the same information in another skin and did nothing about it. I'm not quite sure what they're trying to say there. Uh, I, I think they're trying to say he had a third account on the winning poker network. I, I don't know what they're trying to say there. It's kind of unclear. They go on to, before we proceeded to update a user account, we took preventative measures that will ask for documentation or confirmation of personal details. We are not responsible if your personal information is compromised outside our network. That being said, if you want to take this negative into a positive, we are willing on giving you, this, this is great English, by the way, we are, we are willing on giving you a $11,500 bonus where we don't lose on it. <laughs> So you can start releasing it within 90 days. So they, they, this is even more obnoxious. They're, they're giving him 11500 bonus, which he has to clear. And they're only giving him 90 days to do it. And you creating with a help how to keep your poker account secure tutorial. <laughs> so that, that's part of the conditions, too. They're, they give him eleven five bonus, but he has to clear it through his poker play. And he has to do it in 90 days. And... He has to write a tutorial and do a, like a video or something on how to keep your poker account secure. This is kind of like when a kid gets in trouble in school and he's got to write on the chalkboard, uh, I will not talk in class. I will not talk in class. It's like Bart Simpson. Like they're, they're making him do this tutorial or, or, or kind of almost like community service. Like someone gets uh, in a drunk driving accident and then they have to go around and speak to high schools about the dangers of drunk driving. This is what they're making the guy do. It says, this way we don't lose and the poker community wins. One thing, were you at WSOP when this happened? So I, I see where they're going with this. And this is written with broken English. But I think what they're trying to say here is they got his ID. It wasn't just that email that, that I read you guys. They're, they're saying we also have his ID, that this... Whoever got this account send a, sent a copy of his ID, and uh, and other personal details, and that they only then did they change it, and that they're not responsible if someone stole his ID or got a copy of his ID in some way. Well, let's say they're telling the truth here. Uh, it is possible that someone either got a copy of his ID in some way. Could have been a roommate he had at some time. It could have even been, uh, you know, he just has a bunch of people over to his uh, hotel room and his ID is sitting out and someone just quickly snaps it on their phone while he's not looking or when he's in the bathroom. Uh, it could be someone got access to his computer, either remotely or in the place where his computer is located, like his hotel room, and, and copied a picture of the ID that he had taken originally to send into them. It's even possible they made a fake ID. It's not that hard. I think even I could do it and make a convincing-looking ID of somebody else and just find a picture of them somewhere and slap that on there and send it into uh, a card room and, and pretend you're really that person. I mean, it's kind of scary this could be done, but it could be if you think about it. That's the problem with, with scanning IDs. It's, it's so easy to falsify so maybe the person did that. But then you have to think, why is it just this that guy that keeps hitting? Especially 
to hit him on the same network that you would think if they had any bit of a brain would be really on the alert for this happening a second time. Like you think if they're going to get away with this multiple times, they do it to multiple people. But to do it to the same guy a second time really takes balls. And why would they even do that? Now you could say, well, it's not much effort. They could, they could do it a second time, and if it fails, it fails. It's not like they'll get caught. But I don't know. So they're they're saying his ID was was used for this. Uh, Kyle, why do you have something to say? Yeah, let me ask you a question, Drum. So let's say this happens to you, and you you have money drained from your one of your online accounts, right? And forget about the fact that the guy waits 10 days and all that, because we know you're not going to do that, because, I mean, you basically ran down to the bank the next day over the, the $60 Target gift card or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but, what you know, what's one of the first things that you're going to do if you have other accounts if one of them is compromised? Yeah, I, I, I would uh, change right? everything, yeah. You're going to secure the other account, yeah. right? Yes. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Well, yeah, I think that's you know I think that's what they're trying to say on on that first paragraph where they wrote it very poorly about about uh, the customer failed to let us know he had another account with the same information in another skin and did nothing about it. I don't. I they're saying it doesn't look like they're talking about America's card room because that happened second, and they're saying this is after the ACR incident. I think they're trying to say that he had a third account that this didn't happen to that's still sitting with the same info, and that he he didn't even say, hey, watch out for the third one. So they're, I, I know what they're trying to say here. They're trying to say either he was careless with his ID and someone did this to him, or, without directly saying it, uh, maybe this is actually him and he was either free-rolling or chip-dumping, where the free-rolling part, he just kind of plays crazy and, and hopes he's going to win, and if he wins, then he doesn't say anything. If he loses, then he claims it was hacked, which also would explain the 10 days, by the way. That would, that, that would explain the 10 days if he's making this up, where... Uh, you know, he could have just been playing, playing poker normally and says, hey, if I win over the next 10 days, then great. If I lose, then I have a way to get the money back. Uh, and, and then, so, so they're saying that either that happened or, or he let someone, through his own negligence, uh, get access to his ID, either the electronic version of it or the, uh, or, or the physical ID that they took a picture of or, or copied the file of, and that they're not responsible when this happened. So, so they're offering to give him a bonus for the equivalent amount that he has to clear. So... I, I think this is a really, really weird situation, and uh, uh, and and as Shiz Money, who's a listener to this show, uh, he posted on Poker Fraud Alert, the whole you creating the help secure account tutorial is totally a backhand, and it really is. It really is a slap in the face, and I I think they're slapping him in the face like this because I think they strongly suspe- strongly suspect that he they, he's behind it, and they're trying to to, to make him look foolish without directly saying it or coming off as complete assholes. Though, though that is pretty obnoxious. Like, you've got to create a, a, a tutorial video to get your money back. Uh, but, and why would he be, like, I don't think I would want to be learning from this guy how to keep my poker account secure. Yeah. Like, I mean, clearly the guy is either lacking, or, you know, sorry, he's got an extra chromosome, or he's just a, a massive pothead. You know, I mean, because incredibly, incredibly negligent the way he dealt with this. You know what I mean? Assuming yeah. Assuming he's telling the truth. Yeah, see, that's, it's, so, it's so hard for me to tell. Like, I, I think he's telling the truth, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's not because of these weird details. The 10 days, the fact that the account wasn't completely drained when, when he complained. 
the, the fact that it happened twice, the fact that it seems to be that they're implying that a third skin exists that he did, he hasn't warned them about. Like, how could he not tell them if, if this really is their point? How could he not tell them? Oh, there's a third skin. Don't let that happen too. Unless there's no money in it. But if, if there's any money in that third skin, and he's like not even warning them. Oh, by the way, if, if this happens a third time, don't let it occur. Like, th- it's bad enough not to warn about the second skin. But how after it happens twice does he not say it about a third skin? So if that's really true, that is suspicious. Yeah, and, you know, above and beyond when you have the first account compromised, you know, obviously the first thing you're going to do is secure any other accounts you have. The other thing is, let's say you don't do that, right? And you happen to make this big tournament, you know, relative to his bankroll, a a 6K score. Sounds like it's a pretty big score. I mean you're going to instantly try to cash that out, right? I mean, you're not just going to let it sit there after you had money stolen from you before, I would assume. Well, okay, he, he was entering a $500 tournament, he said, so so uh, he, he's not a low-limit player, it sounds like, and from his Hendon mob, it looks like he's he's not a high roller, but it looks like he plays a lot of, you know, he's, he plays a few 10K events, he mainly plays like thousands and 1500s, so so I, I don't think 6K is a big score, but I, uh, and maybe he, he wanted to continue playing on ACR, but I don't know, this, this is... Uh, there's a few strange things to this story which I'm not understanding, and and really, if there is a third skin that he never told them about, and if that's really true, uh, then that really is suspicious. Uh, if 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 they're not telling the truth or they're not portraying this properly, then I guess it's it's not that bad. And and then the the ten days is still weird. The the ten the ten days you you have to think with eleven thousand five hundred in there, you don't just uh, shrug your shoulders when you can't uh, get into your account for ten days. I, I would. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, regardless of you know what stakes tournaments that I'm playing. I mean, if I just had money stolen from me, I'm going to try and get. If I do bank one, I'm going to try and get some of that money off. You know, I'm not just going to leave it there. I don't know. Yeah, to me that seems less less of a big deal to me as, as the 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 ten day thing is is that's odd and, and especially the. The thing about if he hasn't warned them about a, th- about a third skin, and as you said right at the beginning, why why is he not going to like every account and stopping this? Like especially after the black chip poker thing happened, you, as you said, even if it's not the same network, you would think that you would start contacting every place you have an account, saying, okay, if anybody emails you and says they're me, do not believe them. You know, requires uh, notarized or whatever. Like you know, so, uh, you'd have to take some very strong steps to prevent this, and and you, you'd do it everywhere. You, you, it's weird that he wouldn't. You could just say it's a, it's a stupid young poker player. I guess it's possible, but it's weird. Yeah, I don't know what their software or how it works, but most of the online places I used to play, there were multiple ways that you could lock down the account and add additional checks to it. You know, whether it's a PIN number, and I think Full Tilt back in the day even had a piece of hardware that you had to have in order to be able to log on. I don't know if PokerStar still does that, but... I mean, yeah, of course, if you get hacked, and especially if it's in a way where it appears that someone has access to your ID, absolutely you're going to lock down your other accounts. Right? Here's one other suspicious thing a little bit. Uh, it's, it, when he got back into the Black Chip Poker account, it seemed to be right after the account was, quote, flagged for chip dumping. So it seems like the account's dump, 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 then it... it, it uh, gets flagged for chip dumping over a $300... Ch- uh, uh, was, was dumped uh, out of the account, so he gets flagged for chip dumping at that point. Then suddenly he gets access to it. He doesn't explain how he eventually gets access, and but it seems to be like right after it gets flagged for chip dumping. So, 
that's also suspicious because that, that also could be like he wasn't able to continue the plan of of getting all the money off that account and pretending it was stolen. So now he has to take control of it again. Say, oh my god, someone's been stealing. Like he, he he couldn't complete the whole thing. If you're the guy who busts into one of these accounts this way, do you really? Uh, like, like, do you actually? If you've gotten into these accounts, do you really take that many days to get the money off there? Do you really take that many days to dump it? I, I guess you could, but it's not likely. You you want to get the money off pretty quickly. You don't want to slowly bleed it off over. You because you don't know how long it's going to take. The average person is not going to take ten days to to really ramp up uh, pressing about this. So if you get access to someone's account, you 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 better dump the money fast, and that's that's just also a little bit weird. How could there be fifty five hundred left in the account? So the more I think about this, the more I'm starting to question this. And I guess uh, maybe time will tell. If I hear that he's been having financial problems, I know he did hit just forty nine k at the World Series, but who knows? He could have been in makeup or something. So that, that may not have been what it appeared to be. But if he's starting to have financial issues and then this occurred, I, I have to say that uh, that's starting to look like more likely that this is some sort of scam on his part. And that would really suck because if that's occurring, not, not that I'm crying for America's card room because they, you know, they can decide for themselves and you know, they're, uh, this, is, this, is what they, this is the chance they take when they operate an illegal card room. But, but what, what makes this suck if this is bullshit is that it makes all other claims of legitimate abuses by these poker sites that much more doubtful if that turns out to be the case. So, uh, I, I don't know what to say. So about how does he benefit, though? Like, how if this is him trying to scam them in some way, is he just trying to free roll them? You know, where he, he's cashed the money out in other ways by dumping it somewhere, and he's hoping that... Uh, He's free rolling them, and they reimburse him. Do you think that's how he benefits from it? Yeah, it would be something like that, where he we has some buddies on there who are are willing to play on it. I'm sure he wasn't dumb enough to. If it was him, he wasn't dumb enough to play it on his own IP. But where he had somebody, maybe even maybe even it was from Vegas. Maybe that's why they're asking about the World Series. Maybe it was played from Vegas, so he knew it wouldn't. He wouldn't have to worry about the IP situation because it could just all be from the Rio. And. Uh, but anyway, maybe he dumped it to his buddy, and maybe it wasn't. I I wonder how much is like blatant. Whoever did it, whether it was him or whether it was just a, if it was a scammer who got in somehow. If this was dumped blatantly, where it was obvious. I mean, we know the last three hundred whatever must have been obvious because it was caught. But before that, were they just sitting in a ring game and dumping it to both random players and? whoever his accomplice was, or was this uh, like a heads-up chip dump? But whatever it is, it was some kind of chip dump, probably, to others who are accomplices, who are either accomplices of the scammer or accomplices of his, and then they all split the money after that. That's, that's typically how these go. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this wasn't like a joyride situation. A, joy, a joyride is where someone gets access to a person's poker account Without any exit strategy, how to get the money off, they just want to play high-limit poker and have fun. But I, I doubt that's what happened here, especially if it happened twice. That's a lot of effort to put in just the joyride. And from the timeline that he posted, do we know um, that 
the email address and that kind of stuff was changed before this chip dumping happened? Uh, we don't have the exact timeline. It, it, it seems like, uh, yeah, we don't we don't know when the money was lost, but pre- you know, presumably it pr- it probably did occur after like someone got in, changed the info, and then started to dump it. But they dumped pretty slowly. If there was still five and a half k left after ten days. Yeah, so, I mean, basically we have three options. Uh, the first is the one you were just talking about, that it's some kind of a scam where he's basically just trying to free roll them and, you know, hope, you know, he wants the money and he's cashed it out through his buddies and uh, he's hoping that he'll get reimbursed by the card room. Uh, option two is he, he's, you know, just an idiot, uh, you know, idiot, stoner, poker player, whatever, who just is really lackadaisical about all this stuff and then, Option three is, you know, he's a turny donk that sat down in some cash games and donked off all his wings and was pissed off about it and trying to figure out some way to get it back. Yeah, and this is option three depends on the timeline. Yeah, you know, know, it's also interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. That if 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 he lost a lot of money before, well, I'm sure they have a timeline there of, of, of when the money was lost. I'm sure the money was lost, but the question was there additional money lost? Like the. Did he have like an additional six or seven k before his password was changed? Like, was he on a downswing? Then his password gets changed, and, and email gets changed. Then a more downswing. Like, was that what happened, or or was everything fine? And then, like, was he doing well, or at least breaking even? Yeah. And then this, because yeah, if if he was on a downswing, and then uh, suddenly uh, his account gets uh, compromised, supposedly, and then he's on more of a downswing. But but it's it's, it's the hacker, supposedly. Then it really looks like a free roll. And, and then, and that's why one would wait ten days to see if uh, if you say anything to them or if you can come back. And then once you're down, and once you get caught chip dumping, then you're kind of like, you know what, screw it, I'm just gonna. Uh, or it could, you know, it could have not even been a free roll. It could have just been an outright scam where he just dumps it to his friends and claims he lost the money. And then you just get the money back. You just you you've made it for sure. So yeah, this is a little suspicious. And it, it, you know, if this was somebody who you knew didn't have any financial problems and you knew was very solid, then you'd have to say, okay, he's got to be telling the truth. This is someone who, other than getting very deep in this year's main event, finishing 109th, uh, this is someone who otherwise isn't that well-known and may not have that big of a bankroll and could easily be in financial difficulty. So that that's one where, I mean, there's a lot of times I've told stories on this show about supposed room break-ins at the Rio. Oh my God, this person broke in my room and they got in my safe somehow. And the, the 20K that I was staked by others to, to play poker with the World Series, it's all gone. <laughs> and I never believe those stories. It's uh, All these people who get their safes broken into are always ones who are like playing with their bottom dollar at the World Series. It's it's never the like the financially secure people who who would never have any reason to falsify getting twenty thousand thirty thousand stolen from them. It's always the people who who this was their final money, and that that really especially if the money came from others, you you really have to wonder when that happens, and and those I've called out very critically. So it's not to say somebody who's on their bottom money could never get scammed or stolen from. It's just when it is that situation, there's a hell of a lot more motivation for them to falsify something and then whine to the community and say, oh, look look how I'm not being treated well. You know, I, I just want my money back. So when I read this at first, I'm like, wow, I feel bad for the guy. I think he should get his money back. I think uh, America's Cardroom are being dicks about this. They they were probably incompetent and don't want to uh, – they, they don't want to pay him for the fact that they screwed up. And, and this resonated with me because nine years ago, with 46000 in my Cake Poker account, 
I got my account frozen, and I was told it was going to be closed, and, I, and my money was going to be gone. Why? I was accused very falsely of collusion. Why? Uh, laughably, it's because a fish, a, a mega fish on there who had just won a big jackpot and was uh, just shooting it off in 5,100 limit hold'em, uh, because he was losing immensely to me, because he was terrible. He was terrible and I was running well. It was a good combination. So he was losing immensely to me, and he started claiming there was a Jewish conspiracy. He didn't even know it was me. Like, he didn't know I was Jewish or even that it was me. He just knew, he just was assuming the person playing him was Jewish. He claimed it was a Jewish conspiracy to steal his money. So just to tilt him further, every time I won things, I'd say power to Israel or, or uh, uh, you know, I I I type all this type of stuff about Zionist power things like that just 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 to get him really mad. So unfortunately, he went. To I mean, dropping dropping away, it kind of was. He kind of was right accidentally. And <laughs> it was a Jewish conspiracy to steal his money, right? <laughs> so 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 because because of my Zionist power things that I was saying in there, uh, then and then there's this third player in there who started doing it too. So he was convinced the two of us were colluding to steal his money, and there was like a Jewish conspiracy to collude against him. So he complained to security at Cake Poker, and the moron there was like one moron who was in charge of Cake Security believed him. And just looked at, based it on the, like the chat messages, and just believed it had to be collusion, and shut down my account and the other guy's account, and 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 told us we're never getting our money back, and I, I couldn't believe it. So I was telling him, look, you know, show me one hand, even one hand where I played in any sort of colluding fashion. Okay, show one hand history. In fact, you know, send them to me, and I will post them on the strategy section of Two Plus Two's Limit Hold'em, and I'll let everybody decide there if they think it's collusion. And of course, the guy wouldn't send me even one hand with his collusion because he he knew he was going to look like a fool, and so. Only when I threatened to publicize it on Neverwin Poker, and on two, and I said I'd do it on two plus two. Also, I uh, and I told them you know, my position in Neverwin Poker. I was a moderator there. I was going to make you know, a big deal. The guy abruptly. Yeah, it's too bad he didn't have a radio show to, to use his leverage. Back well, I, I kind of no, I did actually. I, I was I was like a guest sometimes on the Neverwin Poker radio, so we, I kind of had that too, just not as much as this. Yeah. But I I uh, the guy turned around, and that's why I don't talk about this much. The guy turned around and just abruptly gave me access back. He didn't apologize. Just said. We've determined this was in error. Your, your, your access is back. But it was such BS. But I had realized how helpless I felt that just because we're making jokes and chat about Jewish power when the guy was baiting us about it. It's not like we just came up with it. He, he was going on and on about Jewish conspiracy. Hey, you filthy Jew, like over and over. So, of course, we responded. So, like, like because of that, I got my account uh, almost uh, you know, suspended and almost 46K stolen from me. So, and I think the other guy had like 20K on there that he, he would have lost. So... I had sympathy for these sometimes laughable security people who just make horrible decisions and screw players. But but now that I'm seeing this... I have sympathy for them for the first time. For the first time, I'm with you. I've got sympathy for the first time it happened. But the, the time after that, I've got zero sympathy for them. You know? Yeah. I know the second time was is, is another thing. Like, like how, do you, how do you go on there with a second account and not... Uh, especially on the same network... And, and not even worry this could happen again. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's a weird story. I, I'm interested to see how this finally plays out, or if we'll never know. So anyway, there's there's a class action lawsuit against the Borgata that uh, looks like it's about over. It looks like it's a failure. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, this goes back to 2014 when Christian Lusardi, the Borgata. Uh, Toilet chip flusher. This, is the, the, this, this thing was so comical, you actually uh, would have thought this would be in some 
some farce on TV or in the movies, but it was real. I'm sure you know the story. Yeah, another another genius poker player. Yeah, yeah. this guy gets gets counterfeit <laughs> chips made on Alibaba, which is a Chinese marketplace site. He gets counterfeit Borgata chips made. He's dumb enough to leave up his inquiry about the type of chips he's making, like with his own account up there that the public can see. Gets these counterfeit chips made, which by the way weren't even very good. Brings them into the, a Borgata tournament. Uh, plays with them, inserts them in the event uh, throughout day one, finishes the day one chip leader, of course, from chips that he uh, brought in himself. People keep complaining to the Borgata for, for two days, and, and the idiots of the Borgata aren't taking them seriously. People are just complaining they think there's counterfeit chips out there, and they're just laughing it off. Uh, finally, the Borgata is contacted by Harris. Uh, because Harris, their their plumbing is all messed up, and then when they found the co- the cause of the blockage was that someone had flushed tons of Borgata chips down the to- Borgata tournament chips down the toilet, and it clogged the toilet, and that they found that it traced to the line from the hotel room of a guy named Christian Lusardi, who oh just happened to be the chip leader in, in that Borgata event. <laughs> So genius! Unbelievable. I mean, I mean if, if you're gonna if you're gonna dispose of the chips, uh, there's so many places to do it. Uh, just go to a Burger King. Throw them t- off the pier. Yeah, or th- or th- throw them in a dumpster in the back of a Burger King or something. There's so many different things to do. Uh, why, why would you ever flush them down the toilet in your own room and clog the toilet? So anyway, yeah, uh, who would look who would look at poker chips and think they're gonna go down the toilet without a problem? Yes. I mean, come on. <laughs> so and he flushed a lot of them oh. too. So so anyway, uh, he got arrested. But the problem was uh, the whole tournament was tainted and when they when when they got contacted by Harris there were 27 people left at that point now they'd already hit the money so some people were already paid but there were 27 people left and they they halted the whole thing while they figure out what to do about this because the problem was there were a lot of chips in the tournament that were brought in that were false and and, and also there's a problem that uh, people got knocked out by a guy who brought in phony chips to knock them out with and, and then maybe some of the people who won the chips, you know, who now are at the at final twenty-seven, got there because they beat him with his final. So the whole thing was a mess. The whole tournament was was ruined and tainted. So, the in the prize pool, uh, the when when tournament play was halted, there was still one point four three three million left in the prize pool. Uh. They also were the Borgata made two hundred eighty-eight thousand six hundred sixty dollars in tournament fees just for what they charged the players. So, what what they ended up doing, what the Department of Gaming in New Jersey ended up doing, the Department of Gaming Enforcement, is they ordered the Borgata to give up the money they had made in the tournament fees, the two hundred eighty-eight thousand. Add that to the remaining money in the prize pool when they halted it at twenty-seven players. That ended up as uh, 1.721 million, and that then they were to take that money and distribute it to players in some way that was fair. So th- this is the way it was decided. It was decided that of so, so there was a of the players who did not cash. Um. There's over 2,000 of them, 2,143 players. They'd receive a full refund of their $560 tournament entry. So if you busted and you did not cash, then you would get uh, your money back. And and that already ate up most of the prize pool, most of that refund because of the, you know, the, of the fund they had to give 
to players because they only had 1.721 million, and now they already had to give out 1.2 million by giving away these refunds to uh, uh, 2,143 players for $560 each. So that didn't leave that much for the remaining 27. So the remaining 27, they only had 521,000 to split among them, and they each got a whopping 19k. Well, so here's the problem. Is that these pl- when tournament was, was halted, these twenty-seven players they were playing for one point uh, their share of one point four three three million. They ended up instead getting only their share of five hundred twenty-one thousand, and it was just split evenly. It didn't matter how many chips you had either. So the chip leader got screwed the most. So this this was very unfair, and and the truth is, what would have been much more fair here because it, it was the Borgata's negligence. People reported this to them over a period of two days, and they kept ignoring it. And uh, and also they just uh, Part of your tournament entry fee goes towards security And security is supposed to prevent things like this And when your security fails Then it should be on you to make it right Especially if you can do so Without uh, It basically shutting down your whole business So Borgata which is very has very deep pockets And uh, is licensed by the uh, New Jersey uh, Department of Gaming Enforcement a huge operation like that definitely should have both for goodwill and and also to the the gaming commission should have ruled that they should have had the capability to stop this sort of thing from happening. Their security failed, therefore, no one should end up harmed by this. Meaning, anyone who busted should get a refund, just because you you don't know if they busted legitimately or if they busted because of uh, they were either facing Christian directly or facing someone who won chips from Christian, and. In addition to that, they should uh, of the remaining people in the, in the tournament, they should have paid them some kind of, uh, they should have done like a 27-way chop based on chip counts. That would have been fair, and that would have required more money to go into the whole thing, but the Borgata should have been forced to cough it up. But the Borgata got off extremely cheap. Basically, all they had to do was, was forfeit the money they had made from it and add that to the fund that was being used to pay players. So some players were very unhappy about this. And uh, so I, I guess they didn't get, I guess not everybody got refund. I guess there was only people who could have ha- possibly had contact with him. So I guess the players who either played in a different room from him or players who, who played on a different uh, flight, they didn't get any refund because there's no way he could have affected him. That, that's fair. If you busted normally if to, to a player that had nothing to do with, with him and he w- there's no way that you could have come in contact with him or his chips or, or anyone that could have you know, won chips for him, that, that makes sense that uh, that you shouldn't get a refund. So that, that part was fair. But there were some players who were very disappointed with this ruling and who were affected directly by it and decided to sue. So this is... Uh, let me get to the... Thing with a class action lawsuit. So there's a class action lawsuit brought by three individuals: Jacob Jacob Musterell, Farid Vagefi, and Stephen Celeste. I've never heard of any of them, but only Stephen Celeste was one of the final 27. So I'm not even sure what these other two were asking for because. The, they couldn't have gotten screwed that badly. It was the ones who were still in there. That may, I, I guess maybe these maybe these other two were ones who had cashed some, but 
felt they deserved more. I, I don't know what they thought they should have gotten, but these these the only the only one in the final twenty seven that's, that's uh, of these three was Stephen Celeste. So the also the the Department of Gaming Enforcement's ruling about the Borgata they they have absolved the Borgata of any claims of negligence, which I, I thought was pretty bad, especially because. When video surveillance was looked for, apparently there was very little in the poker tournament area. They just barely had any video surveillance. So that's that right there is negligent. So the uh, this was they, they originally tried this class action suit. It had originally failed. They, they they there was uh, an appeal to the original ruling. And uh, they 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 wanted to continue their attempt to challenge the decision for the uh, I, I guess that the uh, they're trying to appeal to yeah challenge the ruling for the uh, division of gaming enforcement and it was denied it upheld a lower court ruling which also went the Borgata's way. So this, this is what the judges, the, the three-judge panel in this uh, appeal wrote in de- denying what these plaintiffs wanted. Even assuming plaintiffs could prove their contract claims, the only conceivable damages available to them would be restitution, returning to them the condition they occupied before the, freak, before the contract was executed. Expectancy damages would be too speculative to award, and punitive damages would be impermissibly uh, intrude upon the D- Department of Gaming's Enforcement's exclusive authority over sanctions. So what they're saying here is these guys can't say, oh, I had such and such equity in the tournament. I could have won this much because that's too speculative. You, you may have won. You may not have won, which I don't agree with. You, should, you, you can mathematically determine to some degree what your, your, your equity is at a certain point, even if you haven't actually won the money yet. So that, that's, that's, I don't agree with that. And they're saying as far as uh, they don't want to, they, they're also saying they don't want to step on the Department of Gaming Enforcement's toes, that they, they have a right to decide whether uh, punitive damages will come against the Borgata and the Department of Gaming Enforcement of the state already said they're not, that they're not negligent, there's no punitive damages, so that's the way it is. So that's what they're writing here. Because plaintiffs have already been afforded restitution by the director, the administrative proceeding has provided them an adequate remedy to vindicate their damage claims against Borgata, and the motion judge was correct to the entire uh, to enter the summary judgment dismissing their law division complaint. Although plaintiffs' disappointing experience in this aborted tournament is regrettable, the Department of Gaming Enforcement's re- uh, response to the situation was fair, and the plaintiffs pre- present no legal basis for their claims, seeking further enhancement of their recovery. So that's the end of it. I don't agree. They got screwed. Hey, Drift, I'm going to Skype in, okay? Okay, go ahead. No more car sounds. I don't know how. How will we go on without car background noise? But yeah, these players got screwed. I never liked this ruling in the first place. I thought the Brigada got off super easily. And when you run a poker room... When you run poker tournaments, security is part of what the people are paying for. And if you fail to provide that security, then you, you have to pay for it in some way. And the Borgata didn't. So whoever decided this, these judges, they they don't really understand poker that well, saying that uh, it's speculative of, of what your equity in the tournament at a certain point is. That's, you can't say that. It, what's only speculative is you can't say, like, 
let's say you were at the 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 very beginning of the tournament, and you face Christian Lusardi on the first hand, and uh, and he knocks you out. Or not the first hand. Let's say uh, two hours into it, he knocks you out with with chips that turn out to be counterfeit. Okay. You can't say, "Oh man, I'm so much better than everybody else in that tournament." So I bet I would have finished on the, in the final table at least. So I deserve extra money. You, you can't say that because that's just your opinion. That's where it's speculative. Or even if you are better, you you can't uh, you can't really quantify that. Uh, but the, the truth is that you know you went out early and you didn't have that much of a chance to win with or without Christian Lusardi in the tournament. So what you should be entitled to there is just your buy-in back. But what's not speculative if you if you're running very deep. And you have enough of a stack, or if you already have cash, then you, you, you can mathematically compute that if everybody were to be average players, including you, what, what your equity is at that point. That's not speculative. So I don't know if exactly that was their argument, but if it was, then they, they got screwed by the court. So how do you feel about the ruling from the Borgata on this one, or from the Department of Gaming Enforcement? I mean, I think it's kind of cheap. I, I agree with you that um, they should have had to pay, you know, part of what you're paying for. Uh, for the venue is the security, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, it's right that the people that could conceivably have been affected got refunded. Um, but I don't think that that should have come out of, uh, you know, their prize pool. Yeah, it didn't. It was, that's a all. joke. That came out of the prize pool. So, yeah. Yeah, so I agree with these people uh, suing, but unfortunately, uh, New Jersey does not see it that way, and they don't want to step on the Depar- Division of Gaming Enforcement's toes. So that's the end of that. And uh, that's that's probably going to be one of the final chapters you're ever going to hear about this uh, Christian Lusardi thing. And he's currently in prison. He's in prison for two things. He's in prison first for the first they wanted to convict him for some pirated uh, DVDs he was selling that they found he had some kind of pirated DVD business he was doing. So they they caught that and they wanted to f- prosecute him for that first, get that conviction, and then go on to this. So this way they'd have. Uh, more of leverage to get him a, a, a longer prison sentence with a, an existing commission, uh, conviction. And they could do so because the, the pirate DVD selling was occurring before and, and maybe during, but, but it, it started before the Borgata thing started. So it was that crime occurred first. So this way they could try it first, get a conviction, and then, and then uh, approach the Borgata thing as if it's uh, you know, with, with this additional conviction on his record. To, for, for sentencing, so uh, I, I, he ended up uh, taking a plea deal, I believe, and, and so he's he's got a five year prison sentence. So he's in prison now. Uh, I think there's a, a big judgment against him too, but the, you know that's he's never going to pay that off. This guy's never going to have any money again, unless he sells more pirated DVDs, maybe. Well, I don't know. I mean, based on some of the stuff he did, he, he did. He's uh, clearly an uh, incredibly intelligent guy. You never know. <laughs> Okay, so New Jersey, another story about fail in New Jersey. New Jersey has been attempting to get sports betting. Sports betting is kind of weird in that uh, it's allowed in certain places but not others, and yet the law is very, very tough on it being anywhere but these few allowed places. And I, I always found that was odd. I could understand outlawing it completely. I could understand allowing it completely. I can never understand why it's okay in Nevada and not other places, but that's uh, that's the way it's been for about 25 years. They've had a law in the books known as PASPA, P-A-S-P-A, 
and that stands for the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. It was passed in 1992, and it was basically to limit the spread of sports betting. Now, I wasn't going to interfere with uh, existing sports betting that uh, was already established, but it was going to stop it from growing and spreading. So only Nevada is, is allowed to present what's known as a full menu of sports betting. Uh, such as wagering on single games. There's no other state in the country that you can wager just on single games, like I I bet on this team to win today, except Nevada. There is limited sports betting in Delaware, Montana, and Oregon, but these do not allow you to bet on single games. There's a lot more limitations. So it's, it's basically full betting in Nevada, very, very limited betting in the other three states. Other than that, it is illegal to have sports betting in the U.S. Now, New Jersey has been upset about this because New Jersey has legalized gambling in Atlantic City. And they say, hey, we've got these big, reputable casinos here. Why why can't we offer sports betting? What, what, why, why are we inferior to the Nevada casinos? That's not fair. They've been trying and trying, but the problem is uh, PASPA has, is still in the books, and it, it makes it very clear that you just simply cannot have a sports book in New Jersey. Chris Christie, who uh, recently ran for president, is uh, still governor of New Jersey, has been trying to bring sports betting to New Jersey. Uh, he tried once and failed, and uh, they we they even put together sports betting regulations and put them up on the Division of Gaming Enforcement's website to show how serious they were about this back in 2012, but that, that didn't get anything done. They, they just, uh, every step of the way, they, they keep failing. So they've attempted again to bring sports betting to New Jersey. They tried to take it all the way to the Supreme Court, who would not take the case. Uh, New Jersey passed a new version of its own sports betting law that was contested by the various sports leagues, the NFL, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball. And uh, so they ended up with a uh, a, a rear uh, uh, another hearing about this. So in this uh, decision that was ruled against them, the U.S. Third Circuit Court, which had 12 judges uh, hearing the oral arguments back in February, they have ruled in favor of the sports leagues that New Jersey cannot have online gambling. Only two of the 12 judges offered dissenting opinions that they agreed that New Jersey should be able to have it. Not online, just sports betting I was talking about. So 10 of the 12 judges do not want sports betting in New Jersey, so therefore it's dead. Uh, It was written... We now hold that the district court correctly ruled that because PASPA by its terms prohibits states from authorizing by law sports gambling and because the 2014 law does exactly that, they're talking about the 2014 law in New Jersey, the 2014 law violates federal law. The third, So that's it. And then uh, NBA spokesman Mike Bass said to ESPN, the Third Circuit reaffirmed that the appropriate path to legal sports betting is through Congress. We remain supportive of a federal legislative framework that would protect the integrity of the game and allow those who bet on sports to do so in a legal and safe manner. So this guy from the NBA saying uh, we're not against sports betting, but it's got to be done through federal law. And uh, New Jersey just tried to sidestep that. We're not having that. So so basically no one's having it. Uh, 
there's everyone was saying the laws on the books, whether you like it or not, saying that sports betting cannot come to any other state except for these four. New Jersey just passed its own law saying we're going to have it anyway, and that's against federal law and tough luck. So everyone seems to agree, except for these two judges out of those twelve, that. New Jersey cannot do that. They, the, the attempt to get sports betting there is dead. Their only chance to get sports betting in New Jersey now is to get the federal law changed, which would allow their entry into the market. Uh, personally, I think it should be in New Jersey. I think that New Jersey should have sports betting. I think they should open up sports betting to a lot more legitimate casinos. The days of worrying about game-fixing are mostly gone because the athletes are just paid so much now compared to what they were. It's, it's unlikely that uh, athletes of these major sports could be really bribed. And if, and if they could, it could be happening anyway with the, with the Vegas betting. So it's not like uh, it's not like we don't have sports betting. We're here. We have it. It's just only in, in Nevada. And it was also pointed out that the sports betting market is about $150 billion annually, but left less than $5 billion of that is done legally. The rest in the U.S. is done illegally through online sports books and through uh, local bookies. So a lot of people are saying it's time to get this business out of the shadows and license and regulate this and allow other casinos besides the ones in Nevada to allow sports betting. And this will shut down a lot of the illicit operations because people are finding ways to sports bet anyway. It's already legal in one state, so why not make it fully legal in every state that has uh, licensed casinos and the states that want it? Cal, what, how do you feel about that? I'm sorry, what? I was starting <laughs> to drift off. <laughs> it's only midnight where you are. Oh, man. Yeah, I've had a long day, though, and that drive home killed me. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, I use your, your dulcet voice to uh, kind of woo myself to sleep. Okay. You know? Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, that, that's what's going on. So don't expect to be sports betting in New Jersey anytime soon, at least not legally. Hmm. Uh, MGM properties are quietly taking your poker comps away. Do, do you know about this? I have not heard about this. Do you ever play any poker in MGM properties? Occasionally when I'm in uh, in Vegas, yeah. Do you ever use your card to earn comps while you're doing so? Yes. Well, you've probably lost some poker comps. Nice. You're making my day better and better. Thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, I found this out today, and I was very upset about it. So, And I, I've, I've lost them, too. Here's the story. Now, it's very common to lose comps due to inactivity. Caesars is like this, for example. If Caesars, it doesn't matter how many rewards credits you have. You could have $10,000 worth of rewards credits. If you do not earn rewards credits in a six-month period, you will lose them all. Now, you can earn them in various ways. You can do, through, do so through the Total Rewards uh, Visa card. You could, you could shop online in the Total Rewards store. You could, of course, go to a Total Rewards property and either eat in one of their restaurants or, or stay in the hotel, or you could, you could play... Uh, Actually, I'm not sure staying in the hotel. But I know eating in the restaurant will do it. I know, of course, playing any form of gaming will do it. But you, you got to earn at least one reward credit every six months or you lose all your RCs at, uh, at Caesars Properties. And many other programs are like this, too. So that's not unusual, and I'm not going to complain about it. That's, that's very standard in the industry. But that's not what we're talking about here. We are not talking about inactivity losses. 
Inactivity losses, I, I don't love them, but they at least they're not very hard to thwart if you know that they exist and you understand the time frame is involved. But this one is awful because this is not an inactivity penalty. This is a lack of spending penalty. Hmm. This this punishes you for saving comps. So if you earn poker comps at MGM Properties now, this is a, a recent change which started in July, I believe. I don't have the exact date, but I believe it's sometime in July. If you earn poker comps at any MGM property, and I'm talking only about poker comps here, not, not comps from any other form of gaming, these poker comps will expire, if not used, a full year from when you earn them. And there is no way to stop it. It doesn't matter how much more you play. You could play all day every day. You could play all day and all night. You could never sleep. You could Your entire life, your entire 24-7 could be playing in an MGM Properties poker room. And still, those comps would expire. The only way to stop them from expiring is spending them. So once you earn one, you have a year to use it, period. And if you don't use it, it's gone. This is very different than other programs where as long as you have some activity, all your points remain. I mean, that's, even airlines have this whole thing where you, your miles will expire if you don't uh, earn or spend miles in 18 months. Like, they, this sort of thing is very common with rewards programs, but I've never seen this policy where they just expire even if you are active. And even worse, no one was warned about this. It's just happening. That's why you don't know about it. That's why I didn't know about it till today. That's why most people do not know about this. They just started doing this, and they just disappear. So I'm going to give you some examples. This is still kind of complicated. Example number one. On, on March 8, 2015, and of course today is, is uh, August 11, 2016, so March 8, 2015 would be more than a year ago. On March 8, 2015, you earned $30 in poker comps. And that's all you've done. You've, you've got a card, you earned $30 in poker comps one day, and then you, you didn't play and you didn't spend them. So you should still have $30, right? Yeah. Nope. Under the current system, you would have zero dollars because more than a year has passed and you've not spent them. But you could say, okay, well, that's inactivity, though. That's understandable. Example number two, though. And by the way, uh, before this July policy, poker comps never expired. You could you could have earned them ten years ago. You should still have them. But uh, so everyone is still believing, other than those who've heard this story, you're believing that your poker comps you earned a long time ago you still have. And if you, if you asked them back then, they would have said they don't expire. So example number two. On July 13, 2013, you earned $20 in poker comps. On October 1, 2014, you earned $10 in poker comps. On March 8, 2015, you earned $30 in poker comps. So now, you know, so you earned about $80 there in about a two-year period. And then finally, on August 9, 2015, you go and use 34 of your poker comps. You haven't earned any more, but you use 34 of those 80. So you should be left with 46. Then on October 22nd, 2015, you earn 20 more of poker comps. So, I'm, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. You should have had 26 before this 20. So you should have earned 60, you spent 34, and then you earned 20 more. So that should leave you with 46. You earned 80 total, you spent 34. So under the old system, you would have 46 at this point. However, under the current system, the one that just started... You would only have twenty dollars of the forty-six. Why? Because you will not have spent the entire sixty that you first earned. 
Because remember, the, you earned 60 as of March 8th, 2015 in this example from various play. And you used 34, leaving you with 26 there. Then you earned 20 more. But since it's been more than a year since March 8th, 2015, it automatically would take away anything you earned and had not yet spent more than a year ago. So you'd re- you'd, re- you'd lose the remaining uh, $26 that you hadn't uh, spent from those earlier earnings, and you'd only have the 20 you just earned on October 22nd. And if you did not spend that 20 by October 22nd, 2016, which isn't too far from now, you'll lose that too. Example number three, September 8th, 2015, you earned $15 in poker comps. That's it. Haven't uh, had any, any other activity. Well, in that case, you'd still have the 15 because it hasn't been a year yet, but again... September 8, 2016, it'll all be gone if you don't spend it. Here's example number four. I'm not going to read all these, but uh, between 2013 and uh, and uh, 2015, between like July 2013 and, July, and April 2015, you play a bunch of times and earn uh, a total of uh, about $210 in comps. Don't spend any. You just, you've just earned and hoarded ten, $210 in comps. But you're playing like every few months, regularly. Then in, in December 2015, February 2016, and June 2016, you, you play a few times and earn 35 more. Under the old system, you'd still have all 245 you earned. Under the new system, you would have a paltry $35 left, even though you never spent a penny of that 245 even though you've been active every few months. You've actively played every few months since 2013, and yet now you've lost... 210 of your $245 you earned. Why? Because you earned 210 of that more than a year ago. So it's gone. Terrible. So nobody had any warning. It's just gone. So I, I was just in Vegas. I could have spent these comps. I, I had, I think, uh, 100-something left, almost all of which I earned more than a year ago. And it's gone. Had I known this, I could have spent it, but it's gone. No warning. And this is not unique to me. Of course, tons of people have it. You said you have that situation. Everybody has a situation because uh, it's hard to spend everything you've earned unless you're there pretty often. And typically, you're going to want to keep some so you can get food or whatever the next time you come in. Because, you know, you come into a poker room, you, you get hungry after an hour, you, you haven't earned much in an hour. In an hour, you've earned like $2 worth. So you want to hoard some so you can pay for meals you want. So you can't even blame these people for not spending them all. But they're taking them. There's no reason specified for why they're doing this. There's no reason specified for why this deviates from the normal expiration strategy of rewards programs where they just take away for inactivity. Here they just take it away whether you're active or inactive. So as I said, you've probably lost poker comps if you play in MGM properties and if you've played more than a year ago. Hmm. Even if you've played recently too, you've lost the old ones. Now, can you get them back is the question. Well, that's not really certain. Uh, there are some unconfirmed reports that poker poker room managers can, on a one-time basis, return your expired poker comps. However, someone tried this at the Bellagio, and the manager said he'd like to help them, but he can't. That there's just no way to bring them back. That once they're gone, they're gone. 
He didn't refuse. He just said there was no way to do it. He gave this person a $20 food voucher to make up for a little of it, but that person lost $150 in comps, probably about what I lost. Someone else said the the Excalibur, also an MGM property, that that manager was able to restore his comps. So someone says, well, the Excalibur manager should speak to the Bellagio one and uh, teach him uh, the tricks of the trade. (laughs) This is really awful, and I don't even know why they're doing it. It's a weird change to make. And it's it's not like there's so many people, like, redeeming just tons of poker comps and uh, it's it's making the casinos bankrupt. We're not talking about that many people. We're not talking about that much money. And all you can do is re- redeem it for food. So, like, how much are they really hurting? And this encourages people to play poker. So, that's what they've done. If you ask around at these poker rooms, most people will tell you they don't know what you're talking about. You, you can go up to the cashier and ask about this. They won't know. You can ask the floor man. He probably won't know. A lot of people don't know. They're starting to learn, but a lot of staff members still do not know. Now, rather than just discuss this, I, I think it's important that we speak to someone about this. For that reason, I think that one Colonel Nigel Fabersham has to make a call to one of the best-known MGM properties, known as the Bellagio. And get the lowdown on this Thank one. Thank you for calling the Bellagio Hotel and Casino. This call may be monitored and recorded for quality assurance purposes. For room reservations, please press 1. For the concierge, please press 2. To reach a hotel guest or speak with the operator, please press 0. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. We're taking your poker. Calling Bellagio. This is Judy. Uh, hello, Colonel Nigel Fabersham here. Uh, I'd like to speak to the poker room, please. Thank you. One moment for the poker room. All right. Yeah. Have a good eve. Have a good eve. Elijah Poker Room. How may I help you? Uh, hello, Colonel Nigel Fabersham here. Um, can I speak to a manager on duty at the moment? Who is speaking? Uh, this is Colonel Nigel Fabersham, and uh, I want to speak to a manager on duty at the Bellagio. Okay, just give me one second. All right. Hmm, they wanted to know who it is. Oh. Top, top 40 music, too. I think that's toward top 40. Hi, it's Calvin. Uh, hello, Colonel Nigel Fabersham here. Uh, I, I have a, a question about those uh, poker comps one, one would uh, earn here at the Bellagio. I, I had a, uh, a distressing situation that occurred to me here um, when I played uh, yesterday. Uh, I, I've been earning poker comps. I'm, I'm from London, so I don't come here all that, uh, that often. But I, I've come here pretty regularly. Okay, excuse me, I'm sorry. If you don't mind to speak slowly? All right, all right, all right. Uh, please, uh, because uh, I used to born in Hong Kong. I understand the Eng- England accents, but kind of still a little oh, bit right. tough for me when all you right. say too fast. I'm, I, I I'm understand. I understand. All right. So, um, you know, there's no reason. We're not, um, you know, we're, we're not racing to Nottingham here. So let me, uh, I will speak slowly to you. Uh, yes. I come to the, uh, the, the Bellagio Poker Room, I don't know, about once or twice a year from England. And I've been coming for okay. quite some time, and 
I was earning the poker comps there. You know those comps you earn like $2 an hour for giving your card? Yes. So I've accumulated them. You know, I've saved them up. And I, I figured that um, this way, whenever I need them, I could spend whatever I need to spend. And I, I came in yesterday, and I noticed that just about all of them are gone. And I said, have you gone mad? I, I had far more than $12 in poker comps. And they said, oh, we have a new situation here where anything you earned from um, more than a year ago is gone. We've taken it away from you. It's uh, It's just been removed. And I said, that's not unfair. That's very unfair. You, you did not even warn us of the situation. We, I, I would have spent the money. I would have gotten the extra, the extra sandwich down at Snacks, or maybe I would have um, uh, gone to Fix and, and just gone crazy with the mac and cheese. You know, it's uh, I, instead that they're all gone. The, the, the money that I'd accumulated from 10 years of play is, mm-hmm. is now all vanished. And it's can, not, I, yes. can I have your... M Life card number. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have that right now. But uh, but but uh, have you heard of this situation? I'm just asking, not about my particular situation. Have you heard about the vanishing of poker comps? Uh, yes, one year. Yeah, just like what you said, it's gonna be expire on the com. You only have one year to use them. So anything like over a year, it will be gone. That's like a corporation thing. Not only Bladio is M- uh, MGM Poker Room, are we a Poker Room? It's the whole corporation's Poker Room. They're doing it right now. All right. So yes, I, I, that's what I heard. It was everyone. It wasn't just you. But it's uh, everyone. It but, wasn't just us. Right. But, uh, but, but we, this is uh, what I don't understand. All right. I, I've uh-huh. had it where if you don't have activity in like six months or twelve months, they take your points away. Not not with this, but with many other rewards programs, they take away your points. If you don't, you're not active. But I've heard that no matter how active you are here, they still take your points once it's more than a year. Even if you've been playing every day, anything you earned more than a year ago is just gone. Is that true? Yes. For poker, yes. For outside slot machine and table game, automatic reset to zero on October 1st. Yeah, so so why... That's why? what they're doing. They automatic reset it on October 1st, zero. What, what? Zero, October 1st. Yes, that is uh, in other casino I play with. Some of them are six months. Some of them are one year. Some of them are they all have a set day and say January first. So that means January first, everyone zero. They all casino doing it. Well, it's not really true because like at, at, at Caesars, you can at Caesars as long as you earn one reward credit in the last six months, then you get mm-hmm. to keep yours. And it's kind of like the airline miles. The airline miles, if you if you fly once in 18 months, then you get to keep all the ones you earned before. See, this is the problem here is I've never seen a rewards program like this where no matter how active you are, you learn, you lose everything uh, once, once it's been a year from the ones you earned a year ago or more. Now, I know you did not make the policy, so I'm not going to ask you. Have, have you heard why are they doing this? Why, why has this changed? Because they used to not expire at all. I don't know why, because you know, because it's all the way to the top for the whole corporation. The only thing I know is they just change it. I do apologize for that, but you know, if you come in, maybe I can do a little bit for you. Yeah, so that's 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 my next question, actually. Um, does, does yeah. the management at uh, the Bellagio or other MGM properties do they have any way to restore these for those that did not know this was coming? Because no one was told about the situation. Mm, not the whole amount it depends you know if it's a little bit you know i can do that you know it's not a problem 
that's why I said, let me look at your card, then I can see well, what is going on. Yeah, I don't, I don't How about you spell your last name for me? Well, okay, I, I, can, I can do this for you, but I, I just... Um, I, I'd rather just I'm do it. I'm trying to do something to help no, you. I, out, no, I, 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 help you no out. I understand, and I, I appreciate that. But, um, you know, I, I think I, when I'm in there in Paris, in fact, maybe I'll come down. I'm, I'm actually there right now. That's why I was there yesterday. I, I'm not in the room right now, but I can come very oh, okay. shortly. But uh, what did you say your name is? Calvin. Calvin, all right. Now, um, someone, someone told me, I don't know if they're telling the truth, if they're just pulling my leg. They said... At the Excalibur, they were somehow able to restore their points. Is this possible, or were they, were they just, um, you know... Just point- like what I said to you, a little bit I can do it, but not the whole thing. I had a person loss 6-7,000, which is, is impossible oh, for bollocks. me to put people by 6,000 in there. You know, I had a guy lost 1,000 years. I was like, I can't do anything. You know, that's a thousand, even 1,000 is a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, so if 10 people walk up to me and say they want me to put 1,000 in there, it's like 10,000 I'm putting it away I'm, you know, I might get myself in troubles too. You see what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. So, so, if so, it's a lot, little bit, yes, I can do it. Just to be honest with you, you know, if it's a big amount, I can do it. You know, it add up if like ten people walk back. No, no, I understand. All right, so and they. Um, did they tell I any? I promise you, I'll make up whatever I can, you know, to help you. No, out. no, I, I appreciate that. And did, now, did they warn the staff about that this is going to be coming, or did you guys just discover this at the same time that uh, the players did? The same time the player did. <laughs> so, we don't know. All right. All if right. we know, we could be more prepared. I can tell you the truth. Yeah, there's probably a lot of. But people. We don't know. It just happened the next day. Oh, okay, fine. You know, that's it. That's all we know. There's probably like a lot of very angry people about this, but I can't believe someone had seven thousand dollars. That's crazy. Oh, someone had more than that. <laughs> um, bollocks! All right, all right. Well, Calvin, thank yeah, you. Sorry. You know, you, you've been very uh, helpful with the information to me. I'm, I'm, I'll probably come down a bit late and um, see if I can find you there and uh, discuss the situation. Otherwise, uh, I'll just handle it with someone else. Uh, but uh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, for- or talk to any shift manager on duty. You know, they were able to help you out. All right. If uh if they're not able to, you are also the best shot you got is coming on daytime. Talk to our poker room director. His name is Craig Lum. Definitely, he's our boss. Maybe he can do more than what we can. All right. All right. So, okay. so th- thank you for your information. Tell you how uh, pip pip, and let's get on with it. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. And bye bye. All right. So uh, Calvin here is very nice. Calvin from Hong Kong. He uh, he sounds like he wanted to do everything he could to, to help the situation. Looks like we lost Calwatt, by the way. Calwatt, if we didn't lose, you can call back. But uh, I don't know if I dropped the whole conversation or if it was just uh, Calwatt hung up too. But let's see here. Calwatt, you there? Weird. Okay, well, I think he can come back when he wants to. He can just jump back on the line. So, yeah, I give Calvin credit here for wanting to help out the situation. And here's Calwatt. Okay, sorry, but I, I guess I knocked you off, too. That's all right. So, yeah, he, I mean, he was trying to be very helpful, and it sounds like what he's basically saying is that just everyone found out at the same time, including the staff, which is hilarious. They don't even warn their staff. Hey, we're we're kind of changing a major thing in the poker comps here. Uh, you may want to know about this instead of just like they find out when the players find their comps missing. <laughs> I mean, is, is that typical of, of uh, the way these corporate casinos are run? They're just such poor communicators there. It's amazing. So 
It looks like the, at the poker rooms, they're trying, at least at the Bellagio, it sounds like they're trying to take care of people as well as they can. But at the same time, these points are audited. They can't just hand out unlimited free points to people. So like he was saying, the guy who's lost $7,000, it's crazy. He said someone lost more than $7,000. I mean, how, how do you accumulate that much? That guy's got to be real pissed. The guy who, who lost more than $7,000, like, he's just like holding them. What's he going to use them for? I mean, you can't even use these at the expensive restaurants there. You can order room service, which does add up. But you can order room service. I think you can go to Fix, which is like semi-pricey. And then there's like the cheaper, like just little snack shops around there. But why hold 7000 worth of comps? I mean, why not spend? What, what do you think he's going to do with them? They're only good for food. So... But someone hoarded them. I mean, think of how many just amazing meals you could have had there from room service or whatever for seven thousand bucks. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's insane. And then someone lost even more than that. I I had no clue. I mean, imagine. And that's the people who've noticed it so far. There could even be plenty of people who haven't noticed it yet. So they have to think the people who had the like the very large amounts are probably the ones who were there every day, and they just uh, earned way more than they spent. But but it sounds like what Calvin was saying, the shift manager, that. If it's some smallish amount, and he didn't quantify it, but if it's some smallish amount that that corporate is not going to go, what the hell's going on at this poker room? Why are they giving away so many food comps? Uh, they they can kind of just do it, and no one's going to be the wiser. If if but they can't just restore seven thousand to someone's account without turning heads. So, and, and also he it seems like what he was saying is that it's more about the cumulative effect. So if there's ten people who lost a thousand. That's ten thousand. He's got to give away, and then someone's going to notice this. That ten thousand in, in new food comps have been established uh, very quickly by Bellagio. How'd that happen? And someone can get in trouble. So they're basically saying whatever they can do to stay under the radar from corporate, they'll do it. And, and this is actually more common than you might think. Not not necessarily in poker, but I've seen it before where there's a, a big corporation and someone at the store level wants to keep the customer happy. And even though what they're doing is technically violating store policy, they'll find like shenanigans ways to work around the store policy to where if corporate found out, they'd be mad. But if, it's, if it involves something relatively small, uh, they figure no one's going to ever know. And this way they have a happy customer. And, the, and why would they do this at a corporate store? Well, because each corporate store is judged on sales. So they want to keep the local customers happy. While at the same time not getting in trouble with corporates, so that's the way you do it. And uh, in fact, I've engaged in some Jewish dealings like that with uh, places, corporate places I've gone to a lot, where they have made certain deals with me that uh, are technically against corporate policy, but are, are just kind of smallish things, which it's, it's never going to really uh, uh, it's never going to really be seen or known. And I'm not talking about stealing or shoplifting or anything like that. I'm talking about uh, you know, like waiving a delivery fee or things like that that are technically aren't supposed to be done, but they find tricky ways to do it. And provided that they didn't do this for everyone, then uh, corporate would never know. And uh, so things like that. So that's basically what it sounds like the Bellagio is doing is they're, they they have the discretion to issue comps to people there above what is given through earnings on your card. And, and the reason they're given this discretion, let's say someone said, hey, I just played 24 hours straight, but I forgot to have my card run. Or my card was run, but somehow it didn't take. And you know you've seen that person there for 24 hours. So, yeah, you give them $48 credit because they have $2 an hour or whatever they earn there. Uh, you give it to them. Then that's why they're given that discretion. So he's saying, like, smaller amounts I can do. I, I just can't 
plop on thousands of dollars in people's accounts. So I'm wondering what will happen when I come in there and, and my 150 or so I had is gone. Uh, what will they do? Is this, this person who posted about the Bellagio on 2 plus 2 said he got $20, which is better than nothing, but that's, that's still kind of crappy. But I, I wonder if I said I, got, I lost 150 what could you restore? Like, what would they give me? And, and would it only be like one comp on the spot, or would it be restoring points to my account in some way? I should have asked him that, but too late. So I, I appreciate the local people at the, at the Bellagio, at least, attempting to fix this. And I have to imagine other properties are trying to do this, too. And it sounds like nobody's happy about it. It sounds like the, the employees are just as pissed about this as the players are. What a dumb decision. And and how weird to come up with this new system. They're like reinventing the wheel as far as comp expirations. Like why why do that and, and not even tell anyone who works in the local rooms? How could they not even tell the, the Bellagio poker room manager about this? So. Uh, I, you know, from my time dealing with people in the casino industry, I can't say that I'm shocked. Um especially in markets where uh, it's become less true these days, but in markets where there isn't a ton of competition or if there is competition, it's almost like a, um, uh, you know, a collusion between them. Yeah. Uh, but I've just seen some of the, there are a lot of people that are uh, decently high up in casino and gambling business that <laughs> in, in uh, you know, like a Wall Street firm or something like that, they, they would be delivering mail. You know what I mean? Like the cream is not always always rising to the top. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that too. And, and boys, communication yeah. poor. I mean, it's, that's what I've noticed. These casino companies is that's their biggest problem is they are horrible at communicating between departments. I always make well, fun of users for yeah, this. They just don't give a shit. I mean, because you know, again, they kind of have a license to print money, so they're just like, yeah, whatever. You know. <laughs> yeah. Look, if, if you guys, people, I know some people who listen to this show work at various jobs at the casino. Some are dealers. Some. Are, uh, have other jobs at the casino, and I, I feel for you because I, I know you're dealing with a lot of crap at work, and you're, you're the guys dealing with the, the bad communication, and I know that uh, you basically get uh, treated like shit by uh, the people in upper management who just do what they want and sometimes make your life miserable. You're the ones who have to hear all the complaints from the customers, and they, they don't communicate to you. You have no warning often. So, yeah, it sucks. So I, I guess uh, MGM is trying to compete with Caesars for, for the fail, I guess. I think they believe uh, Caesars has a monopoly on casino fail, and they're trying to get in on the action. <laughs> That's what I think is happening here. A race to the bottom. That's <laughs> a fast race, it looks like. They're charging for parking, now they're doing this. Okay, so uh, this is a weird story. Marcel Lusky, or Lusk, I never knew how to say that name. It, Lusk. When Lusk. I've met him before, uh, he, I haven't seen him in many years, but when I have spent some time with him, and when I spent the most time with him was at uh, like the St. Kitts tournaments, that I used to go to with, uh, he was there and, uh, I forgot where else I saw him. I saw him at some other like parties for online poker sites and stuff. Again, this was years ago, but always acted like a gentleman, always seemed like a nice guy. Unlike guys like Devilfish who were always, uh, obnoxious and, uh, harassed women. And all that. But Marcel was always, uh, a nice soft-spoken guy. So I, I have good things to say about him and my limited personal dealings with him. But don't know him very well. Uh, he is suing poker stars, and he was once a poker stars pro, but he's not suing them over not being a pro anymore. In fact, that ended a few years ago. What he is suing them over 
is the uh, stealing of tournament rules. I, I guess the the tournament rules thing is, I wouldn't say it's big mis- business, but it is a business. Uh, some people started to notice, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago, that tournaments had all kinds of different rules. A, a different Every different tournament had different rules, and it was infuriating to players where they be acting on one set of rules they thought they knew only to find that uh, it was different somewhere else. And, and this made some players so annoyed with this that they didn't want to go to tournaments or they'd uh, only stick to their one local casino where they knew the rules very well. Or there'd be big fights constantly with the floor men and the players and disrupting play. So some came up with ideas to put a stop to this by getting the rules standardized. That casinos would agree to certain sets of standardized rules. Now, there was never a standard for the standardized rules, so there were a few sets of standardized rules. Uh, one was, uh, uh, let's see, Matt Savage, back in 2001, actually, came up with the uh, the Poker Tournament Directors Association, the TDA. We've heard of the TDA rules for tournaments. Uh, that Those are... Uh, that was something that uh, Matt Savage came up with 15 years ago. Uh, what was that one that's been around for forever? It's it's just some guy's name. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? No. It's like Bob's Rules or something like that. But it, it was something that was used by everybody for quite some time. I may have heard of it and forgot it. I, I had always heard of the TDA rules. but uh, I think this even predates that. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, it's very possible. I, I wasn't playing tournaments before then, so maybe that's why I haven't heard of it. But anyway, uh, I, I guess Marcel Luce came up with his own set of rules and this is the FIDPA standing for Federation Internationale de Poker Association (laughs) and uh, so he came up with this in uh, 2007 Uh, Marcel Lusk and Las Vegas poker pro Michelle Lau created this group and the goal was authoring a tournament poker rule system that favored the players interests over all other including those of the hosting venues, which you'd think the hosting venues wouldn't want it then. But uh, this is supposedly a very player-friendly set of poker rules. Uh, Now, Michelle Lau was actually the one who wrote the rules. And then uh, I guess uh, Marcel was probably the one marketing it since he was the better known of the two. Now, uh, Michelle Lau is not part of this action we're about to discuss and I, I don't think she's even part of this uh, FIDPA anymore. But back in 2007, she was. So that's that's where it started. Uh, so if you think about the name, uh, Federation Internationale de Poker Association, that's it sounds like something that would be used outside the U.S. It sounds like something that they're probably marketing to international tournaments, whereas like the TDA rules would be ones that uh, would be used in the U.S., and and again, the FIDPA is supposed to be more player-friendly, which, of course, the venues would have to agree to. And the whole point of this, I presume, would be when a venue says we have FIDPA rules, the player is supposed to say, oh, good, that means player-friendly rules. This, is, this means it'll be a, a, a place that I'll enjoy playing at. So that would be the benefit for the venue is that they're known to have player-friendly rules. So see, here's where the problem occurred. Uh, in 2012, Poker Stars had initially expressed interest in using the FIDPA rulebook. 
and they, presumably they wanted to use it at their EPT events or whatever other live events they would hold. This wouldn't apply to their online poker room, of course, but uh, this would have to do... That runs automatically, but this would be about the live rules. They never had a contract. Uh, Marcel, Lusk, and Stars supposedly reach an oral agreement in 2014 for them to adopt these rules and that uh, Marcel Lusk would get uh, some sort of compensation from this because these were his rules he developed and they were going to be using them. Uh, Complicating this was that, you know, the Global Poker League, uh, Alex Dreyfus, the one who's the head of that, he wanted to get the, uh, I guess he basically wanted to license the FIDPA rules as their own. He wanted to, uh, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it was buying it, but it was pretty much going to be like the Global Poker Index, Global Poker League's rules. And uh, rather than saying we're just using FIDPA rules, they were, he was just going to basically copy all those rules and say they were his. But he, but Marcel claims that he had to pass up this deal with Alex Dreyfus because he was in the process of negotiating the deal with Poker Stars and didn't want some kind of conflict. Now I don't understand why they both couldn't use the rules, but I think Marcel was afraid that uh, that maybe Poker Stars just that, that they they didn't want it to look like they were copying the rules from from the, the Global Poker. It wasn't stated why, but I'm guessing like uh, maybe. Both were trying to license it or something Whatever it was that uh, he felt there was some kind of conflict And he couldn't do it, so he passed it up This is all Marcel's claims This is not verified So This is what uh, So then Stars was sold to Amaya In 2015 And uh, and So the problem is Marcel claims that uh, While he doesn't have a written agreement that this never came to pass That they uh, poker stars never ended up uh, Paying him any money They never ended up actually Officially using the FIDPA rules But then they came up with a list of their own Tournament rules Which were pretty much a copy of all of his <laughs> So it was, like, it was like Poker stars read his rule book They're like hmm, let me see that Let me see that uh, Yeah 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 we like this We like this Okay, you can have this back now. We're done with it. You know what? Uh, we're actually kind of done with you. We'll, we'll see you later, Marcel. Hey, guys, we have new rules. So that, that's what he's claiming happened, that they, they basically knocked off his, uh, his FIDPA rules and made almost a, a very, very similar copy. Now, how different could these be? I've you know what I mean? That. Like all these different tournament rules, uh, I realize that in some specifics they're going to be different, but gonna, there's got to be a ton of commonality between them, right? Yeah, it's, you, you would think so. And it doesn't look like a lot of money. This is what it says in this article I'm reading on Flush Draw. It says, FIDPA sells rights to its international rules playbook for $1,000 a year and claims a handful of endorsing participants. So it's, it sounds like you can, you can use their rules for 1000 a year. So how much could he be making here? I mean, I, mean, I guess yeah. it's good if once you've written them, if you just want to send your rule book and say you can use them and pay me $1,000. I, I mean, I guess I would do it too. But, but it's not big money here. I don't know how much he's suing. Poker stars for what the agreement was going to be with them, uh, but he's saying uh, anyway. Among the uh, venues right now using the FIDPA rules are the Australian Poker League, the Dusk Till Dawn Poker Club in England, and surprisingly, the Bellagio in Las Vegas. Hmm. They should have. Uh, I wonder if the FIDPA rules state uh, the expiration of poker comps. 
<laughs> that would be that would be player friendly. So this is kind of a weird lawsuit, especially if it's only about a thousand dollars. Like if it really is about a thousand dollars a year, like why doesn't Stars just pay it? Ah, uh, Druff, I found it. I'm sorry. That thing that I was mentioning to you before is called Robert's Rules of Poker. Oh, really? That's it's a play on Robert's Rules of Order, obviously. But yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. It's been around for a very, very long time, and apparently Robert is actually really a guy. And oh, you, think, it, you think he wrote it for poker, too? This is for poker. That's what no, I'm no, saying. No, no, but you think that same guy wrote it for poker, oh, or you think it's just a yeah. play on the Robert's Rules of Order? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it may be, yeah, maybe it's a play on that. I don't know. But this is a, you know, kind of a PDF thing that's been around for, like, forever. And I think the TDA and a lot of other things were based on it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. I was just excited. I actually yeah, remember what it, it was that's and good. found it. Yeah. It's funny. When you said Bob's, I'm like, yeah, Robert's rules are going on. No, that's for order. That's not poker. <laughs> I guess it's both. Yeah, no, it's Robert rules of poker. And it, actually, probably the decent number of people out there have, have heard of it because before there was even a TDA or even when there was, like Robert's rules was like the Bible that a lot of hmm. especially home poker players referred to. But even I think was the the basis for a lot of stuff that uh, goes on at some casinos, or at least used to be, you yeah. know. And and uh, the lawsuit, by the way, it, the names, the defendants are Amaya, Rational Entertainment, which is the previous owner of PokerStars, Rational Group Limited, also uh, same thing, uh, and uh, then things that are anything listed as doing business as under the Rational Group umbrella, such as Global Poker Tours, Poker Stars, PS Live, and Rational Services Limited, and it was filed in all places as, as Clark County, Nevada, and it's requesting a tri- trial by jury. So it's just at the beginning, and I, I really it didn't say how much this is this lawsuit is for, and it doesn't say what the deal that they had with Poker Stars was. If it was just for a thousand dollars a year, you would think that he could have somehow gotten this settled in some way, but. I don't, maybe Amaya is so cheap and there's no record of this. He's coming to them going, hey, you guys are using my rules now. Give me $1,000 a year. And they're like, uh, no, we have no record of this. Who are you? <laughs> so I don't know. It's but it's it's a weird lawsuit. And we'll see where it goes. I never thought there would be a lawsuit about poker rules, about the sale of poker rules. So Tom Dwan issued the Durr Challenge many years ago, and that was a challenge to play him at very high stakes for a minimum number of hands for, uh, and, and basically uh, it was open to everybody. He thought he was so good he challenged anyone to play him for a, a certain number of hands at, at certain very high stakes and uh, basically say, hey, I'm going to take on all comers. Then Tom Dwan, who was a huge degenerate, started to run into problems. He started to play just gigantic stakes games in Macau, had huge swings, as you can imagine, probably went busto a few times, probably has backers. Uh, whatever it was, he, he started to lose interest in the Dirt Challenge, and in fact, he, he was playing it with uh, Daniel Jungleman Cates and uh, abandoned the Dirt Challenge in the middle and using all these different excuses of why he couldn't continue playing. He wasn't saying, I'm quitting. He was just constantly delaying it, delaying it, delaying it. It was it was pissing off Daniel Cates, and it was pissing off some other people who felt that uh, Tom Dwan was ducking it because he was having trouble with, with Jungle Man Daniel Cates. Yeah, the trouble against him, that is, in poker. And that he, he either didn't have the role to keep on playing or was afraid if he kept playing, he'd lose. 
And also, I guess you could buy out of the Dirt Challenge at some point, but uh, Tom was not admitting he was quitting. He was just delaying it and stalling it, thereby allowing himself not to pay off any kind of buyout. So that's kind of old news here. But uh, Doug Polk has been doing what he calls uh, the Polker cast. (laughs) And uh, so he's been... Uh, trying to basically spout off on anything that he felt was uh, was uh, worth talking about. It's his own little, uh, I guess, video podcast. No, it's not. It's an advertisement. Is it an advertisement? I haven't, I haven't yeah. watched it yet. I was gonna. No, I mean it, the whole the the whole reason that thing started is because he's doing this. Uh, he's got his own kind of training site. Um, oh, okay. And, and and this is a way of kind of getting it in the limelight, but in a kind of circuitous way that okay, so that's, everyone's okay with this, it. This is why I keep you around here because this is this made I, I didn't watch it yet. I was going to watch it with the rest of you. I just didn't have time. But uh, what I found weird about it is like Doug Polk. I I just he's like a very busy like high stakes player, and I just didn't see like. I just never saw that he would be the type who'd be doing this routine podcast. He just he just didn't strike me as someone who'd have an interest in doing this. But well, now uh, you know. But yeah, and I guess now <laughs> we see why he has an interest in doing this. Okay, here here we go with uh, where he's talking about the Dura Challenge. When you're talking to someone, and you can kind of see like people lining up to talk to you as well, uh, mm-hmm. and like. You know, at some point, like I know a lot of people like want to talk to me, and, and I do like talking to everybody. But oh, sorry, that's that's the wrong one. Let me let me get to that. That was a different video I have. Sorry about that. Let me jump to it here. Realize that edge now. No, that's not I think either. For, for sure. I should have had this prepared, but you know, it is. We, we spent a lot of money on production here. Right? Yeah, a, okay, I, really. I actually accused of another show last week of being uh, overproduced, and this this one could never be accused of that. Epic, and those were some of the best moments of online poker history. But at the same time, I can't help but feel like their heater might be over, and the people that are truly good at cash games have kind of risen up and will maintain that position for some time to come. You got lucky there. Yep, it was luck. Finally today, we have Tom Dwan, the missing man. And actually not so missing as a recent person tweeted and posted about... They found him, I believe, in Las Vegas. Not sure where they're at. Might have been the gym. I'm not entirely sure. But still missing from today's spotlight. What happened? Where did it all go wrong? All right, Lord knows what Durr's up to these days. I actually find it a little bit strange how often I get asked specifically, so what's Durr up to? Like, we're friends. I don't really know Durr at all, and I want to talk a little bit about what Durr has done because, frankly, in my opinion, this could be one of the largest scams in poker history. What happened with Tom Dwan and Jungle Man was a scam, in my opinion. Because if you look at what happened, Dwan and Jungle Man were both supposed to escrow to Phil Ivey for the, for the Dirt Challenge. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, the Dirt Challenge was, I believe it was a 50k hands, 20, 25 or 50k hands to be played between two players, where Durr would lay 3-1 to one to anyone in the world except Phil Galfond. The 3-1 to one was going to be side bet to Phil Ivey, his $1.5 million to Jungle Man's 500 k 
Jungle Man escrowed to Phil Ivy, and Tom Dwan did not, despite saying that he did. So now, Phil Ivy only has Jungle Man's money, and Tom Dwan's money is not really in escrow. They played 200-400 heads up no limit, and Jungle Man got out to a something along the lines of $1.2 million lead. At this point, in 2011 or 2012, Full Tilt went under, but before, or 2011, but before that happened, they stopped playing. In fact, Tom Dwan stopped playing for a decent amount of time, at least a month or two, I think, before Full Tilt went down. After that, there's just been a slew of excuses as to why he can't play, or Full Tilt did something wrong, or something happened, and it's been indefinitely postponed. And I think at this point, it's pretty fair to say it's unlikely to ever resume. However, the winner of the challenge is supposed to win the side bet, and that money is supposed to be escrowed to Phil Ivey. Well, that money is not escrowed. So now Tom Dwan is avoiding playing this challenge. Essentially, you know, when you look at his chance to win the side bet, it's extremely low given that he's already down 30 binds in the challenge. And this money is really Jungle Man's money. And in fact, for me personally, I have a lot of friends that have action on Jungle Man's side, and there's tons of side bets on the internet as to who would win this challenge. And now Tom Dwan has gone conveniently missing, avoided the subject, not played any hands, and is just off the grid on money that he said was supposed to be escrowed. In my opinion, that is fucked up, and that should not be tolerated by the poker community. In fact, when people defend Tom Dwan for what he's done, and some of the posts and the threads are absolutely ridiculous, like, it's not like he stole the money from his wallet, like, he's, you know, it, it, it's, they're poker players and, like, something or other and full tilt and, like, Tom Dwan. The point is this. Wait, before you get to your point here, uh, Doug Polk, uh, by the way, if I, if I can give this guy any suggestions, I, I doubt he listens to this show, but he does this podcast in front of horizontal blinds that are closed, which is a really weird background. It's kind of tilting to look at. <laughs> Why not just do it against a, a wall or on his couch? I, I, it's just such a weird place to stand. It's in front of horizontal blinds that are closed with like small amounts of light peeping in behind him. But but that's uh, and that, that's where he was also. He also appeared on... Uh, Chicago Joey podcast. He went to that exact spot <laughs> to, to record on there too. That for some reason, if Doug Polk wants to appear on camera, he's got to be in front of his horizontal blinds. But uh, if you want to see this, it's called. If you go on YouTube, it's called Polker News. It's P O L K E R News dash This week on Two Plus Two, you'll find it. But let me comment on some things he said here. First of all, to call one of the largest scams in poker history is. Uh, Ridiculous. Uh, did this guy forget about UB? Did this guy forget about Full Tilt? Did this guy uh, forget about uh, so many other big scams in poker that affected many, many people? Lock Poker, Chino, another one? Chino Ream. Chino Ream, I was about to say that. And Eric, <laughs> Eric Lindgren. Uh, those are oh, scams yeah. that affected lo- loads of people. Uh, this is something that affected one person. You could say, oh, we had side bets. Side bets, that's... That's something you choose to do on your own. You can't blame people for side bets because if you're not involved in the side bets, then the people making the side bets have to put conditions on if something doesn't finish. They have to kind of make their own rules. So that's uh, I, the side bet argument is stupid. But I, I will agree that Tom Dwan did not act honorably with this situation. That, that part's true. 
Tom Dwan, uh, first of all, I, I don't know why Jungle Man played if Dwan did not escrow properly. That's the whole point of escrow, is you make sure that the escrow has been done by both sides before you continue. That's that's what escrow is. And I don't see why have an escrow if Dwan doesn't escrow and then they play anyway. So that's that's partially Jungle Man's fault for letting him do it with no escrow. I'm not, I'm not saying that Jungle Man deserved to get ripped off. I'm just saying that... Uh, you can't talk about an escrow and then go ahead and play when there's no escrow. Either you agree to an escrow and enforce it, or you agree to an escrow and then let it go anyway and don't escrow, which it looks like what happened. Uh, so with the match itself, yes, it's clear that Tom Dwan has been dodging it for five years now. He's probably never going to finish it. I know he's made up this story about something happened with Full Tilt that is very serious that he can't really talk about publicly. I have to guess it's probably something like Full Tilt agreed to take some of his action with this, and once they went down, then they couldn't anymore. He never said that, but if it's even true that this has to do with Full Tilt a little bit, then or somewhat, or if that's the whole cause, maybe it was that. Maybe they were backing him, and then they can't back him anymore. That You'd think he would just say that if that was the case, especially now that Full Tilt's gone. Like, who's he protecting? But... Whatever it is, he didn't act honorably, and he hasn't uh, he hasn't officially quit, so he doesn't officially owe the money for uh, for quitting for the side bet that he has on the whole thing. And yeah, three to one, he was paying. So the bottom line is that uh, yeah, Tom Dwan did not act honorably. Jungle Man got screwed, but this is really between two people: Tom Dwan and Jungle Man. And while we can comment on this as, yeah, this is kind of crappy for Tom Dwan to have done, this isn't something that could be classified as the largest scam in poker. And also, knowing Tom Dwan, I don't think he set out to scam anyone. I think what happened was Tom Dwan is such a degenerate. He started playing. Maybe he did get full tilt to somewhat back him with this. Then he, then he went into the toilet and lost a lot of money. And then he felt he couldn't afford to finish this because even when he did have some somewhat of a bankroll built, he felt like if he if he finished this, that would eat whatever bankroll he had left. So he kind of felt like he, he wasn't in a position to complete it and then didn't want to admit it because then he'd officially owed the money. So he's just been avoiding it. I'm not defending it. I think it was scummy to do. I think this whole thing could have been prevented if everybody just escrowed the money up front and then uh, he would have had to finish it. It was It was handled stupidly by both sides. Yeah, you got to remember, though, back then, Tom Dwan was the golden boy, right? No one knew who the hell Jungle Man was for the most part. And Tom Dwan was, you know, incredibly uh, internet famous and could do no wrong, at least in the in the poker community. So, you know, probably from uh, that point of view, that's why Jungle Man was just like, you know, didn't really care that it, he, you know, no one thought that we would ever end up where we are today back then. You do, know? do you know where Tom Dwan originated on uh, online poker? Forums, yeah, never win. Yeah, right? never win poker. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, and I actually saw Tom Dwan last year at the World Series. Really? And I yeah, we're we're having dinner at some fancy restaurant, and I think it was the Bellagio or whatever. And he strolled in with the whole, you know, the entourage, the Paul Fua and all those guys. And I mean, you know, he seemed pretty happy and healthy then. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he's chained to uh in a basement somewhere, the triads have got him. You know? <laughs> I had two things happen. I think this is in 06. Uh, two different people came up to me during uh, a e- an evening at the Imperial Palace Karaoke where a lot of uh, poker players were going around that time. Mm-hmm. The same night. First of all, someone brought over to me this 
fairly pretty, uh, like early twenties girl and introduced her to me. And she said her name was Tiffany Michelle. And I, that's, I had no idea who she was. No one knew who she was. This was like her first introduction into poker. I don't know. I don't know how she even found poker, but this was like so, someone brought her in. It was like that night that uh, she was brought in. She she claimed to already have a nickname of Hot Chips, but it was a lie. She had never played as far as I knew. Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 you know, there were so many people. I, the, the poker was exploding so much. I actually bought the whole Hot Chips thing. I'm like, oh, I've never heard of her, but okay. I, she must be playing it. I don't know her. So... Later that night, this guy comes up to me and said, Druff. I, I turn around, and there's this kid, you know, younger than me, but uh, don't know who he is. I said, yeah, who are you? Do I know you? He says, no, no, I've never met you before. I just, you know, I just want to come up and meet you. I've, I've always uh, always been a fan of yours. I want to meet you. I said, oh, okay, who are you? He says, I'm Durr. I said, oh, okay, well, good to meet you. So we, I met Durr. I talked to, talked to him a little bit, then he went away. He was by himself. I don't even know who he was with there. He was just kind of by himself. Came up, talked to me, then just kind of left, and uh, and that was the only time I met him. And then th- that was way before he blew up, so he was really just like a nobody on forums. Then that's why he was excited to meet me. The things that kind of changed. So I haven't talked to him since. I-, I wonder if he even remembers me at this point. So anyway, Durr is uh, yeah, he must be in Vegas, just kind of hiding out from his problems. Let's let's let, let, let uh, Doug Polk finish here. If you say this money is escrowed and you have a challenge that you're laying to the world and then you don't escrow the money and don't back that up with the play that's required, you are scamming your opponent. Well, hold on. Let me you say the money's escrowed. So Jungle Man didn't check on this money being escrowed. He just like, okay, okay, Durrett's escrowed. Okay, cool. Like we had this incident on this site with, with uh, Garrett claiming that he escrowed the money to me and then he really didn't. But that was over $50. And then when Garrett was called out on it, uh, Garrett then sent me the infamous $63. <laughs> so, and that was, I guess, like all the money Garrett had. So he sent me $63 instead of 50 So, and so that's all he could play for or something. But but anyway, that that's understandable when someone lies about escrowing 50 and you believe they have. But, but uh, some very large sum of money like this, how, how could he not go check with Ivy? How could... Jungle Man and I go to Ivy and go, hey, did you get the escrow? Okay, cool. Now I'll start playing. Like, why not check? What's the point of an escrow if you don't check? And that money, the money in equity that he, frankly, if you look at the remaining hands, obviously Jungle Man has an edge on those remaining hands. In my opinion, he owes the equity on those hands as well as the side bet. And honestly, if he just wants to forfeit the equity on those hands and just pay the side bet, that's acceptable. But that money isn't there. So this money disappearing and not being paid to Jungle Man is, in my personal opinion, the biggest scam that has ever happened for an individual in poker. Ah, now, see, yeah, right, a, he qualifies he it. He qualifies it, okay. Yeah. But at the beginning, he said it's one of the largest scams in poker. That's what I was going on. In the, the well, very, you know, you got to tantalize the viewers, right? <laughs> it's a, the biggest scam of an individual in poker. And then uh, now I don't agree with this thing about the, the equity that uh, if 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 – Tom Dwan quits. He, he not only owes the side bet and owes, you know, but but he also would owe whatever Jungle Man would be expected to beat him in the remaining hands. That's ridiculous. You can't say that. Yeah. But 
He's like, oh, I'm okay if he doesn't play that. Yeah, of course you're okay if he does. He shouldn't owe that. But if, but but the truth is, he sh- if he can't complete it, he should say it's over and uh, I lose the side bet and then pay the side bet or make arrangements to pay. Uh, we know he's not going to do that, uh, but uh, he seems to just be avoiding it. Maybe if Durr gets a lot of money and he's finally playing on his own dime and getting out of makeup, whatever his situation is, uh, who knows what's going on with him. I, I have to imagine with Durr that he probably has backers now and has had for a long time that are putting in these huge games, but he probably owes a lot of them in makeup, so they're probably just they're probably supporting him, but he probably doesn't have cash of his own to use, is my guess. So it's probably something yeah. Like Polk that. better watch himself, man. The triad might send a hit squad out for him. Yeah, though. yeah, right. Durr was like one of the people who helped bail out that uh, Paul Fua guy. So yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So right, Durr may say, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of Polker news. That's it. This is going to be over before it starts. I'm shutting down Polk news. I'm shutting down Polk, and I'm shutting down his, his horizontal blinds too. You know, it, it, if you know when he records the Polk news, then it's very easy to to assassinate Doug Polk. He just uh, shoot through the horizontal blinds and wherever he lives. <laughs> I, I don't get the horizontal blinds. Like it's maybe he likes the effect or something. It just looks weird to me. Or at least record at night. Then then you don't have the the light shining through, through the horizontal blinds. It's just kind of tilting to watch because you see these little bits of light all around him. It's like, yeah, I mean that's one of the first rules of doing any kind of videography. You don't want it to be backlit like that. Yeah, you know? and, I, and I'm the uh, the audio guy here. I'm the one who who says I don't want to be on video, right. and yet here I'm giving him advice doing the video about <laughs> about the blinds. It's so funny. Like even he appears on other podcasts, he uses the blinds. It's not it's not just he happens to select that spot once in a while. This is. He always wants to be in front of those blinds. I, I wonder if uh, when Doug Polk has sex, if it has to be in front of those blinds too. Like his, maybe his whole life happens in front of those blinds. Of course, there's also full tilt poker. Uh, it's a company, not an individual. If you want to call that a scam or not, I, I really don't know. Uh, I'm not sure what's correct. But definitely uh, what, what happened there is also a big problem. But in terms of one individual doing this for another person, I don't understand how there are people within the community that are even willing to tolerate what is this. Wait a this. minute. It's absurd to me. However, on that note, I wait, 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 is that the end song? Are they playing? Is this like the end of American Idol? What's going yeah, on here? Must be his bumper music. Yeah. <laughs> I can say this: everyone does have their bad days. Oh, oh I get it. There. I see what they're doing. They're, they're they're superimposing Tom Dwan's face over over that video. Oh, now, now, they, now they've superimposed a Howard Litter. Yeah, okay. I get it. Yeah, so, uh, Dref, you know how you have obviously have your had your battles with uh, with Mason and 2 plus 2 over the years. Um, so, I mean, the, the reason why this is the, uh, you know, I forget what the, the exact title is he uses, but, you know, uh, the two plus two. Yeah, this week in two plus two. Yeah, this week in two. I mean, that's you know, kind of his way of getting to be able to to post that video on two plus two and with Mason tolerating it. Oh, you know? without so Mason of, freaking out about the spam thing. Right, right. <laughs> it's pretty clever, you know. I, I, I give him credit for it. Now it looks like somebody has uh, produced this. They they put little graphics. Uh, they even have a little spinning globe of the the. Uh, this week in poker or something, or this week on two plus two, whatever. So someone has has post produced this for him. I, w- I wonder if this is another one of these guys who's getting like six hundred dollars a week, like that guy who makes the the Kate Hall podca- podcast. Oh, he is good for him, you know. Yeah, like I I <laughs> I, I, I bet Doug Polk isn't like making this himself. I, I bet 
he just gets in front of his blinds and talks and hands it to somebody else to put this stuff on here. I mean, you never know. Ten years ago, it was a guy with his Casio, and these days, it's a guy with his iMovie, you know? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's go on here. Uh, we have... Uh, I want to give you a list of Las Vegas casinos and who owns each one, and I, I thought that this would make uh, some inter- interesting discussion in some ways. I'm going to start uh, alphabetically and move down. Aliante Station... Strangely enough, is not owned by Station Casinos. You would think it is, but it's not. It's it's owned by Alianta Game Alianti Gaming LLC. I'm, I'm, I'm listing Las Vegas casinos and their owners, by the way. The Aria, of course, is an MGM property. Arizona Charlie's is owned by Whitehall Street Real Estate Funds. I bet you didn't know that one. <laughs> I didn't until I just read it. I'd never even heard of the casino. No, Arizona Charlie's. It's it's. Uh, there's two of them. There's there's East. Is Arizona Charlie's East and Arizona Charlie's? It's, it's a casino aimed at uh, more of the uh, the working class, uh, working class locals in Vegas. They used to have some fairly good promotions. I remember they had one where you just uh, outright get $150 of free play when you sign up for their card. So I went <laughs> and did that. This is like 10 years ago. They don't do that anymore. Um, I, it, it was funny though. I remember they had some much lesser promotions. Like they had a a free Shredder if you came down on a certain date. Hmm. So I came down and they were out of the Shredder and said, sorry, we're out. It's only while supplies last. And I was really annoyed. It wasn't Wait, that far. Shredder? A Shredder, a paper Shredder. They're giving away a paper Shredder? Right. But but I needed one. So I <laughs> thought, okay, I, I thought, okay, I'll go down and get it. So I went down and it was not there. So <laughs> I, I, I was very irritated that I didn't have my Shredder. And so I, I went to visit MyCon and I said, you know, this sucks. Arizona Charlie's ran out of the Shredder. Didn't you say you're going down for that? And he says, yeah, I got mine. I said, oh, can I see it? He, he whips it out. It's, it's It was a plastic hand crank paper Shredder that looks like you could get it at like the 99 cent only store. <laughs> <laughs> Then I didn't feel so bad about missing out on the shredder. What a random thing to give away yeah. as a promotion. And then have it be like a hand-cranked plastic thing. That's ridiculous. Some some guy somewhere was like, I know what we can do to get him down here. Let's give away a paper shredder. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? They had so many weird random prizes there. That was one of them. So that, From that point forward, I never went down for any prizes like that because I knew it would be some p- total piece of shit. Did like some parent company own some kind of a retail shop and that's like just – I don't know. Overflow maybe, inventory they just want to yeah. get rid of? Or, well, maybe, I mean, maybe, bizarre. maybe Whitehall Street's uh, real estate funds. Maybe they also own a, a company that makes uh, paper uh, paper shredders made out of plastic that they sell for a dollar each. I guess. So they have Bally's owned by Caesars. Bellagio owned by MGM. Uh, Binion's is owned by TLC Casino Enterprises. Now, I knew they were bought by from Harrah's and then uh, resold. Basically, just to get the World Series, you know, before it was owned by the Binion family, then it was uh, they ran into financial trouble, and Harris made one of their rare good decisions and bought the World Series, and then took the World Series and then resold the property for basically what they bought it for. So they got the World Series for free, one of their few genius moves. Hmm. But I didn't know who they sold it to. It was TLC Casino Enterprises. Boulder Station, well, that's finally a station that's owned by Station Casinos. Caesars Palace, obviously owned by Caesars Entertainment, but uh, strangely enough, they, they separate out their different towers of, of which subsidiary owns uh, which tower. Uh, there's a casino just called California there that's owned by uh, by Boyd 
by Boyd Gaming. And uh, I think it's called the I think it's technically the California Club, but it just says uh, no, it just says California Hotel and Casino. I guess that's what it is. I think it's downtown. Uh, the Cannery is owned by uh, Paulo's Wartman and Mendenhall. That's uh, very much aimed at locals. Casino Max, I've never heard of them, owned by Starwood Lodging. You wouldn't expect Starwood to own a casino, but they do. Called Casino Max. Where is that? I've never heard of Casino Max. Casino Max is... Uh... Oh, I see. Casino Max is the former uh, Maxim and Weston. Right on Flamingo. That's what it is. The That property doesn't have the best history. First, it uh, it lost its license. Then Weston bought it and turned it into the Cause Arena Casino, the Weston Cause Arena. And that was pretty much a failure. Now it's uh, Casino Max. Uh, yeah, I guess I did know Starwood owned it. I just didn't realize that was it. Casino Royale, right on the Strip, a crappy property that's right by Harris. It's owned by an individual named Margaret Illardi. That I didn't know. I used to card okay. count there. All, I used to card count there all the time. Uh, Circus Circus owned by MGM. The Cosmo is an independently owned place. You would maybe think it's uh, an MGM property because it's right by uh, city center there, but it's not. It's an independently owned property by Blackstone Real Estate Partners. And uh, there was a lot of controversy when the Cosmopolitan first opened because it was supposed to be condos, not a hotel. And then they, when the real estate market crashed in Vegas, they said, well, forget condos. We're going to make it a hotel. But if you've already put a deposit on a condo here, uh, you can still have your condo. And people are like, no, if we put our deposit down, I want my deposit back. And uh, the Cosmo is like, nope, you can't. You put down your deposit so you can either have a condo as part of a hotel or give up your deposit. Hmm. So everyone was pissed. And uh, the deposit was also based upon values for the condos they were much more than they ended up being because of the real estate crash. So there's yeah, a lot it would of really suck if you wanted a condo and they ended up having people checking in and out next to you. Right, everyone was very unhappy about that. That's not what they expected oh, when they were buying suck. there. Yeah, I, there were lawsuits about. The funny thing was there was a settlement where, like, they offered like eighty percent back of the as part of the settlement to like a take it or leave it settlement. You get eighty percent back or seventy percent back something if you if you were a deposit and that's it. Take it or leave it. So a lot of the owners took it. And, and, and got out of it and just ate the 20 or 30%, whatever it was, of the deposit. Some of the other owners said, no, we want 100. So then the Cosmos said, all right, F you, then you get zero. <laughs> so they just, uh, those people got zero. I think it's still being litigated. It's, it's, still, uh, it's, it's still an issue. But that's why if you go to the Cosmo, especially if you stay in some of the uh, junior suites there or suites, you'll notice they look a lot like uh, studio apartments. And there's a reason for that, because they were supposed to be condos. The Cromwell, of course, owned by Caesars, the former Barbary Coast. The D, the one with the Detroit theme downtown, owned by Derek and Gregory Stevens. Did not know that either. So Brandon was trying to call in, but then he, he vanished. He like called in and just vanished. Hmm. Brandon, call in on Skype. Do you still have Skype? Maybe he's out somewhere. And he probably wants to talk about this. He likes the Vegas segments. Downtown Grand, owned by the CIM Group. The Eastside Cannery, owned by that same Paulos, Wartman, and Mendenhall. El Cortez. El Cortez is a crappy uh, property uh, uh, that's... If if you uh, 
Are even a basic strategy blackjack player, they ban you from the blackjack game there. Forget card counting. If you're a basic strategy player, they ban you. And they can. They can do that if they want. The Encore, of course, owned by Wynn. Excalibur owned by MGM. The Fiesta Rancho and Fiesta Henderson, neither anywhere near the Strip, are both owned by stations. These are aimed at locals in those areas. The Flamingo owned by Caesars. The Four Queens. They are also owned by TLC Casino Enterprises, same as Binion's. However, these other uh, properties are not, uh, you know, the downtown properties are not owned by TLC. Fremont and Gold Coast are owned by Boyd Gaming. I guess Gold Coast isn't downtown. Uh, But they're both owned by Boyd Gaming. Golden Gate... Uh, is I don't even know where that is. That's owned by a Derek and Gregory Stevens and Mark Brandenburg. It's funny that you <laughs> see individuals like own these casinos. I I want to be on this list. I want to own one. I'm just like owned by Todd Wattellis. Okay, Golden Nugget owned by Landry Landry's Restaurants. Landry's Restaurants actually uh, they own a number of chains of restaurants. I think they even own uh, Lowry's. Let me see. Do they own Lowry? Am I, or am I getting confused with Landry? No, I don't think they own Lowry. I think it's just a similar name. Landry's Restaurants. I don't know why I thought Lowry's. Let me look again. Up, oh, hold on. Brandon, call right back. I got I, I, I messed this up. Sorry, but I messed up and accidentally put uh, poor Calwat on hold. Brandon was trying to call in, and I had to hang up on him. So he could here. Let me. I can just try to call him. He's trying to participate here. I'm just not making it easy for him. You need me to hang up? Let me know. No, no, you stay on here. Let's All right. See. Let me see. I messed this up. I'm going to call him. Okay, let's get this call in here, then we'll continue the segment. So I haven't even heard of half of these casinos that you're talking about. I've heard of most of them. I guess they don't know Lowry's. Landry's. They own a Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, Claim Jumper, Fishtails, McCormick's and Schmidt's, Morton's. That was Morton. That was, I guess that's what I was confused with Lowry's. Uh, Muir Seafood Restaurants, Rainforest Cafe, Saltgrass Steakhouse, and some others. can't reach Brandon now. I should <laughs> I shouldn't have hung up on him. I, I was trying to make it. I was trying to keep it easiest because I, I, I already I was going to I already had you on Skype here. And I was going to have him call back in. It's easier than the reverse. Oh, here he comes. OK. OK. You know what? If for some reason, it's not letting me put you two together. That's the problem. I, I'll, I'll connect you back on. Hang up. OK. OK. Brandon. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. You're, you're here. Let me put Cal what on here. And Who's that? It's it's just some individual from New York. Oh, Calawat. Yeah. What's up, Brandon? How are you, man? Here we are. So, Brandon, welcome I, back my, to welcome I, back to the show. It's I been a long time. Physically, I'm not great, but I still have all my faculties in place. That's good. That's all you need for the show. I I thought. Uh, well, I, I've always I've always said I'm, I'm, it's never going to be true, but I've always thought to myself that like as long as I I have 
my mental faculties that I could be like on my deathbed and I'll still be broadcasting this show. Like, okay, people, I said I have one one day to live, but uh, you know, I I can still think. Okay, so I'm going to do this here for my hospital bed. But you know, I won't. He's like, I, I have a stomachache. I don't do the show. So, but I, I got a text saying that you had retired from poker and this was your last show. No, that's that person lied. It's what I, I said that with Bovada's changes, which I discussed with you the other day, that uh, it's possible I. I won't find really a viable limit hold'em game online anywhere, and at that point, I'm going to not really consider myself a professional poker player anymore and go do other things. That's what I said. But uh, like I, I have to see how the games are when they move over to the ignition thing, and if any other limit hold'em games spring up anywhere else. That's so. I, I didn't, and I didn't say I'm quitting the show. I said well, the only thing I said about the show that could be possibly negative was that. If I really stopped playing poker and was barely playing anymore, maybe I would lose interest in doing a, a poker show. But I, I don't know if I would or wouldn't. That's all I said. But the, the show's not ending. You still got the sister site, too. That's right. I, I, I guess I can move over and do uh, Vegas Casino Talk Radio. Now, a couple points of interest. I've been listening, and I may not be able to stay on long, depending on my health. But uh, you had mentioned the casinos. I've been listening for about an hour and a half, two hours. Um, you mentioned Arizona Charlie's, and who did you say was the owner of it? Uh, I was reading from a list here. Arizona Charlie's, uh, Whitehall Street Real Estate Funds. But what you didn't say is who the owner of that non-public company is. I didn't know. I just was reading from a list. So who is it? It's the same person that also owns the Stratosphere. Oh. It's the same person that and this is a quote, I'm not going to put any more good money after bad into the Taj Mahal. So who is this person? Is it Carl Icahn? Yes, it is. Hmm. He's owned the, uh, he's owned both Arizona Charlie's and the Stratosphere since 1998. Wow, that's, see, that's good information. I did not know. See, I, I, I scrolled down the list and I see, yeah, Stratosphere is also Whitehall Street real estate funds. So. And secondly, what you were in the nice boy on the line, we're talking about with uh, the casino marketing thing, it's quite amazing that, I mean, just people in general, that if you give away free shit, I promise you people will come. I have an email. I, I read it this morning. That's why I was laughing. This Sunday, if you go to the Palms, you don't need to, well, I guess some people may have to, they give away gifts on Saturdays and Sundays every week. And some people, depending on your level of play, you have to earn like 100 base points to get these gifts. Some people, they just give it to you. You don't even have to play. But we could sit here all day, and you would never guess what they're giving away at the Palms on Saturday. Okay, so what is it? Febreze. Come on. Febreze. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I, I know somebody personally, and I'm not, I don't want to embarrass them, but they go every weekend religiously. And they have a whole closet in a spare bedroom in their home of just shit from the palms. That's funny. Uh, and, I mean, it's everything from, uh, like, Chinese AAA batteries that maybe last for, you know, a, a few hours of use. Febreze, uh, a little battery-operated, I mean, you name it. I mean, you name it. I mean, it's just they realize that... I mean, and when you go there, you know, I've been there not for these things, but just, you know, over the years, I've happened to, be, you know, just be there on a Saturday or Sunday, and the line's out the door to get Well, yeah, spot. yeah, so I was about to respond to and, what you just said there. I, I, 
Okay, there's this place that's right south of Yosemite called Chukchansi Gold. It's a California casino. They even had a shootout there a few years ago between like two factions of the Indian tribe, and they had to close for like a year because of it. But uh, I, I went there. What about- happened in Laughlin the year I moved out here in 2001, I think, or maybe the year after, with the rival biker gang shooting up Laughlin? You ever talk about that? We might have, but the Chukchansi Gold was really interesting because it was the owners shooting at each other. It was like the different factions of the Indian uh, tribe shooting at each like, other. That's uh, like it's like Reindeer Games, you know the, the yeah. Ben Affleck, Gary Sinise <laughs> movie. Yeah, did so, you know about this biker thing at Laughlin? Yeah, I'd heard something about. I, I had at the black. They were shooting at the blackjack tables. Yeah, I had heard something about that. You know, but, but with Chukchansi Gold, what uh, I had stayed there one time. It was like in 2006 or something, and I saw this gigantic line in the casino. So I, I couldn't understand what this was for. And, I mean, it, it looked like the line had to be, like, at least an hour and a half long. So I asked somebody in line, uh, what's everybody standing in line for? And they said, the towel. I said, what towel? They said, Chuck Chansey Gold, they're, they're giving away a free towel here. So, so we're in line to get the towel. They had people in a line for at least an hour and a half long to get a towel. Good Lord. I mean, I would ne- I never I, – I have a habit that I don't <clears> – <throat> advertise on my clothing. I don't wear clothing that advertises for anything, uh, especially casinos. And I'll tell you, if you whether it's a T-shirt or a jacket or, or whatever it may be, for these casinos, these people line up like they have no clothing in their home. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it, it, really, it, it really is. In fact, I, I'm going to get a list, and, and I'll, I'll read you some of the things the Palms has given away over the years, but... It, I mean, it, it's very cheap, and, and from a marketing point, how many people do you know that really will drive all over the valley to get there, to just get their free shit and not put in the 20 or 50 or 100 or, you know, hundreds? I mean, it, it really is brilliant. I mean, and that's why they've done it for years. And, and the second thing I was thinking while I was listening uh, to your call to the uh, Hong Kong gentleman named Calvin at the Bellagio, uh, you obviously... Both of you gentlemen understand why these casinos do this, correct? You mean why they change this policy? No, but why, whether it's Caesars with you know their year or MGM with their six months, why they have these caps on it? Well, I okay, I know this to get people back down there to play again. But this, well, but- of course, right? And from and, and I'm just as a patron, of course, it sucks. Now I live in Vegas. Uh, I have you know probably not as much as you. I think I have like eight hundred dollars. Caesars, but I have a lot more at MGM properties, and I'll go every so often, you know, just from there, put in five bucks or, you know, whatever it may be, just so I don't have to worry about it. Fortunately, at Caesars, playing in the World Series, that counts as, as, you know, a form of earning RCs. But from a patron standpoint, it's awful. But you have to realize, if we were running a business, meaning the three of us, it really is brilliant in the sense that that brand loyalty is so important and people are so captivated and, and, and so mesmerized by loyalty, getting to the next tier on this tier. I mean, and I live here in Vegas, so I see it more than anybody else, people sitting in a casino, old people, young people, and they're bragging about what tier levels they are at various casinos. And, you know, well, I'm diamond here. Well, I'm chairman here. I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm that. But so from a business perspective, it's, it's really massive because there are people that are out there and, you know, there's so many choices nowadays as to where to stay, where to gamble. You don't even have to come to Vegas. Well, well I agree with that. I, I, I agree with that. Except, and, I, 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 so, I mean, it sucks for us, but 
Well, no, but this, look at it from this, what this, they're this, thinking. But this is different, it, though. It really traps people into making trips to these casinos. But this is different. This is different. This, you're right for everything except this. Everything you said there is correct except in this one situation because this does not get you back down there because you could play every single day and your points still expire. It just expires Anything you right. a year ago expires. It's not like at Caesars where you just have to play again to keep your points no, no, alive. No, 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 no. I, maybe I, I misstated my well, – I didn't mean specifically Bellagio's policy because that, that is that is moronic. It's idiotic. I'm talking about in general yeah. how literally every casino has – I don't. I can't sit here and think of one that doesn't. No, no, I know I that, mean, that. That was my first response. Someone tweeted to me today, "Are you going to talk about this?" And I hadn't heard of it yet. And I said, "Oh, expiring credits at MGM? Yeah, that happens everywhere." He said, "No, no, no. This is poker credits." And he's like, "And he, he directed me to the two plus two thread." I'm like, "Oh, I see." And then I I realized how dumb this was. So that's. But uh, that was my first reaction of like, "Oh yeah, everybody does this. It's very standard." And then I learned that no, the way they're doing it is right. Like, and not and you can't argue, even though we as a consumer don't like it although it affects you guys more than it would me, that as a business, you know, sound business decision, it's very smart. Well, yeah, I've never criticized that for that reason. It's smart. It's smart because that's what, you know, every casino is about, you know, brand loyalty. One of the biggest things when casinos sell, you know, or or get purchased is their membership list. That's that's what the, the, the real value is, the customers and wanting to retain them and having access to them. And, uh, you know, so it's, and, and while we're on this subject about, I think I might have talked about this before I got sick, but uh, I recently received the M Life Mastercard. It's from the First Bank of Omaha. Yeah, I got it too. I just um, got it. I just got it too. Okay, I just I got it about a week ago, and uh, it was an you know it was it was an absolute fail. It took I I applied for it. Well, getting it, I applied for it in early June. And I literally just got it. Yeah, me too. That's exactly. It was exactly me. I just got. I just got it and, too. <laughs> but but this is this is even more of a caveat. The first time I got it with all the information and you know everything, I'm like, okay, but I'm I'm, op- I'm feeling the envelope when I got my mail, and I'm like, wait, but there's no card. So I opened it. It had my credit limit. It had everything in it, the little brochure, but there was no card. <laughs> they for, literally, they they forgot to put the card in. So then I had to call them, and, and I mean, it's it's brutal trying to get a hold of these people. I call, and you're on hold for 45 minutes. So finally, I got one mailed back to me, but I can now testify after speaking with them and reading. Uh, if you get one of these, you will have lifetime free parking at every MGM property, and uh, just like Caesars properties, if you use your card, it counts just like you gambled. Meaning yeah. that if there is a year policy at MGM, which there is, and you're 11 months in, if you charge a candy bar for you know 79 cents or a dollar on that credit card, you will have another year from that point that your comps will. Yeah, and, and there's no fee, so it's, it's a good thing to get and just hold. There's no fee, and I think uh, the promotion that I got, it's not a very good promotion, but it, it, but it, 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 it well, actually, no, I, I shouldn't say that. It, it's not bad. The promotion I got, it's probably the same as yours, was I had I have 90 days, and I actually called them because originally it, they had it set, uh, maybe you want to do this too, that I had to spend $1,000 within the first 90 days, and then I got a $100 uh, food comp. Uh, they don't know how I'm going to get the food comp. Meaning, if I have to go to, you know, MLI oh really? No, no, I, I just got a hundred. I got a hundred just comps, which I think I can exchange for free play or something. 
I had like points or oh, not, well, okay. not express comps, but I got some points or something that they said I can do for okay, free. Okay, yeah, points. mine was express comps, but anyhow, uh, it had the date that I was approved starting, and it won't be a problem. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, pay some bills, phone bill, uh, you know, cable bill or something with it, but it's $1,000 for 90 days, but they had the retroactive date to like June 12th when I applied, even though I didn't receive the card until August. Yeah, I had that. B- I, yeah, I had that BS too. But fortunately, I, I was buying some furniture, so I just put a thousand on there and it was done. Yeah. So, uh, but anyhow, if you have good credit and you come to Vegas enough, uh, it's definitely worth getting this car. Just you never have to worry about parking. Yeah. And you're all. You're also not that this matters much. It's not really like Caesars, uh, where you know the equivalency. Um, but you'll be what's called pearl status for the entirety of your account being in good standing and you being a member. Pearl status doesn't get you much. There's no lounge. There's nothing like that. It's but just for the party. It's, it's Yeah, and, and, and you'll have a, you know, a little bit of a perk that you're three levels higher. I think it's gold, platinum, pearl. No, no, it's then, just no, 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 pearls, no, pearls the, the second to the bottom. Oh, yeah. is it the second? Yeah, it's the second. Okay, so it's gold. Yeah, it's gold, pearl. Okay. So, I mean, I, I never really understand why they do that other than people just, and they think that it's something great because it gives you no other... I think I think the, the oh and the other thing with the credit card like other things uh, you can get claims on there. It doesn't explain how you can get line passes for the buffet and restaurants and things like that. And, and you know first in line, just I don't know those perks have never I've never really needed them. Um, lastly, while I remember, I was I went the barge occurred last week and I, I was only able to make it there one day. I, I just couldn't do it. I went there one day, played in one event, um, ended up cashing. It was a small event, or not, it was 60 people. And I had got there, and it was 7 o'clock. I still wasn't feeling great. And a big, uh, a nice guy, a big, you know, like middle-aged guy walks up to me. And he was he's a barger, apparently. He's been there for years. But, you know, the one in Vegas especially, they get 150, 180, 200 people. So there's still people I've never met even though I've been going now for like six years. So this guy walks up to me, see him approaching, he has a big goofy smile on his face. And I don't want to insult him because I know he's listening. I, I would guess maybe he's in his late 40s, maybe even mid 50s. And he looks at me and I have no idea who this guy is, but he's walking, he's smiling at me, there's no one behind me. Walks up, I'm sitting at my table, I stand up and, you know, thought he was just going to say, hi, how you doing? And I couldn't remember who he is. And he goes, I just have one thing to say. Daniel Shriver, I'm a goddamn subscriber. <laughs> His name is uh, Duran, D-E-R-O-N. He lives in Michigan. And I thought that's all I really know about him. I didn't really get much time to, to speak with him, but he said he's, uh, he's been listening since the uh, Donkdown NWP days. And, you know, like always, I always ask, and I don't know why I do. I said, do you have an account? He's like, oh, I just lurk. I'm too afraid to get involved in that stuff. <laughs> but uh, he, he made a point to uh, come tell me how much he's enjoyed the show over the past almost decade and how much he enjoyed enjoys you as the host. And uh, just weird, you know, you, you just someone else that knows everything. I mean, and then he made a couple other, like, inside jokes, you know, about stuff only radio listeners would listen to. Yeah, I don't remember what they were, but you know, they're just things you have to listen to radio, and it still just to this day kind of floors me that you just never know, you know, when you're in a poker room or any you know gambling facility, like a total stranger can just know 
that much about, you know, I think he might have said, like, how's Ben doing? You know, like <laughs> he, you know, he knows he knows things. And this wasn't a creepy guy by any means. Very nice guy and kind of feel bad I didn't get a chance to, to speak with him more. I just only remember the name uh, and, you know, that he lived in Michigan. But, I mean, I wanted to give a shout-out because that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, eight years from the whole ride, you know, it's like, yeah, it was yeah, there it before the breakup. And that's, that's funny. Everyone always uses that term when I say, how long have you been? <laughs> So if it, they've been from the beginning, they always say I was there before the breakup. That's yeah. what he, that's what people say. It's funny how that's like a you know a point of reference. Yeah, to, it is. To, it is. So okay, yeah, that's uh, that's, that's yeah. great. So hello to Deron. I'm glad you're a regular listener here. And I, I don't know hey, if you've texted me before and text me and tell me who you are. There's, there's some people that text with me and I don't go like who is this. Like sometimes I do, but usually I just respond to them. I don't even know who I'm talking to. So, I would doubt that he he interacts. Maybe he does. He didn't mention it. He, like I said, he lurks the forums. He said, but never is registered. I, I have some Michigan people that text with me that I don't know who they are. So it could be him. But well, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, it, you know, if indeed he does do that, he'll he'll send you a text. And uh, I know when I saw him, it was during that point where there hadn't been radio in a while, and he was. You know, When's there going to be radio again? You know, he, <laughs> he you know. And I, and I actually now I remember he also made a, a reference to how long the shows were not in a bad way, but he was like, I can't believe this guy does this show for eight hours sometimes. I can't believe it. Like, sometimes. How do you guys do it? You know, so but anyway, that that was good. Um, other than that, you know, I, I have some health issues and I'm trying to get under control. So it's still the migraine and, uh, you're I'm having. Really, your... I'm not. Yeah. And, and but it, it, it's I haven't really had any migraines. It's more trying to figure out what the causes are that are causing them. That's, that's really it. And there's been some other symptoms. So I've seen a couple of doctors. In fact, I was there today and I'm waiting for some blood work and some other things. I had to go see a specialist. So hopefully by this time next week, if you're not going to retire for sure. Well, not, at least not, not, not anytime soon, but uh, if I, if I can give yeah. you a little advice with this, I, and I don't know that much about your symptoms. I only knew about the migraine, but uh, if, my my girlfriend, she had an, uh, some issues that were occurring, and she went to various doctors, and they were they were all just pretty much taking guesses, and none of them were right. That's what that's what was happening. And, and, with and, me. She, and she was having she was getting They're very frustrated with guesses. it. She was getting very frustrated with this, and and she even told me the symptoms. I even said, you know, I'm going to try to look this up for you. I tried. I drew a blank. I, I couldn't. I couldn't get it. I couldn't come up with anything. She then sat there for a while on the internet and came up with something that she thought might be it. And then she went to a specialist of, of that uh, particular problem. And uh, then they, they took a blood test. Fortunately, there was a blood test that, that they can uh, determine this. They took the test, and sure enough, she was correct. And she, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into detail, but she of was, course, cor- she yeah. was correct about uh, what she figured out. Not the doctor. She figured it out by, uh, researching on the internet and it took a little time but but the doctors the problem is they don't spend the time on you that you would spend on you so they they hear some symptoms they they quickly they don't even go consult the internet for like uh what what the symptoms could possibly be they, they go off the top of their head okay to me it sounds like this and then they take a shot at it and that's it so i, I always advise people that if there's something that's difficult and kind of a non-standard thing you have going on that that isn't a, a common thing that would jump out at a doctor oh it's got to be this uh, do a lot, spend a lot of time like on the internet. I don't know if you've done this yet, but googling the symptoms and just keep looking, looking, looking. Because I even looked for her, and I guess I didn't do it enough because I didn't find it. But she found it, and she turned out to be right. So that's 
that's what I would suggest at this point. Because it's, it's very frustrating when you've got multiple symptoms and you know something's wrong, but then nobody can figure it out and you know what they're telling you is not true. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I would if you haven't done that yet, I'd, I'd suggest that maybe you can Of get course I've done that. But okay. I'm at the point now where I've had, I'm seeing a specialist because everyone else is kind of clueless. Well, yeah, that's the other so, thing is going to specialists is always the best thing to do. Yeah. So, But other than that, how, how has this show been tonight? What what else is? Well, covered? we talked about the Bovada thing. We talked about this, uh, this weird America's card room accusation of a guy whose account was compromised. And uh, uh, we, talk, we were talking just now about you know going through this list of the uh, of the casinos, uh, of who owns what. And uh, we were kind of in, in the middle of it. Uh, I, I can keep reading from here. You, you can give your... Uh, feedback on these things, and I, I, you probably know more of these than I do. Uh, by the way, is Calwatt still here? Or is he falling asleep? No, I'm here. Oh, just letting here. you guys work oh, okay. that magic. Okay, I I didn't know. You can never tell at this time. So, all right. Uh, so, hey, Calwatt, how are you, buddy? Good, man. Hope you're feeling better. Hope you feel even better soon. It's good to hear your voice. All right. So, go down the list. Right okay. Now. So, Green Valley Ranch, that's owned by Stations. Hard Rock. It's not owned. It's not owned. It's also owned partially by the. Greenspan family, which is why it's not Green Valley Station. It's interesting. called Green that's Valley Ranch. My list doesn't say that, a very, but that's, a that's very, interesting. A very famous, rich family. They're called the Greenspan family. And living, they've been in Vegas for uh, 80 years. And I, I, I want to say they put up half of it. Maybe they put up 60%. Maybe they put up 40%. Uh, whatever, but I don't... I don't. But it's, it's a partnership with Station Casinos, um, and one other thing, while we're talking about station casinos, Aliante, which you mentioned before, Aliante Station. I don't know the name. I know you said it. I, I don't. I'm not familiar with the, the company that owns it. Yeah, Aliante Gaming what ended LLC. Up, what ended up happening was Aliante Station. Uh, it's way out there. It's way up north in the north part of Vegas, and it literally looks just like. Uh, like a miniature, like sister Red Rock. Uh, anyone that saw the Beau Rivage, for instance, before the hurricane, before uh, Hurricane uh, Karina or Katrina, rather, I haven't been back there since. So I, but before it, that hotel, if you went there and someone said, "What does this remind you of?" It was like a little mini Bellagio on the Gulf Coast. Um, it, it had a lot of features, just like the Bellagio, with a smaller. You know, the lobby was kind of the same with the seasonal flowers. And anyhow, so that's that's what the Aliante looks like. It looks just like Red Rock. And the Aliante was built in 2008, 2007, somewhere in that area. And it was right before the housing bust in Vegas. And there was a huge master-planned community uh, in that area uh, that was being built during the housing boom which was why they built a casino out there. Um, the really before that wasn't a need because there wasn't a population. What ended up happening, that area more than any other area in Las Vegas, or North Las Vegas, got hit the worst uh, in terms of foreclosures, um, people just walking away, uh, you know, all of it. Uh, I think the abandonment rate was, was somewhere in some parts close to 70%, people that literally just walked away from their homes. Because of that, Aliante, uh, it's a beautiful locals casino. I mean, it's it's probably nicer than most casinos in, in, in cities, and you know, in other cities. Um, because of that, 
it literally caused station casinos to enter bankruptcy, um, which they did, and they came out successfully probably five years ago, four years ago. Um, but one of the side effects or causes of said bankruptcy was that they had to release Aliante. Uh, I don't, I, I'm sure you could Google and find the statistics. I don't know if it's profitable now. I mean, I, I, would, I know stations lost money on it because they sold it for 20, 30 cents on the dime, you know, in terms of what the cost was. But anyhow, that was the agreement they made. Um, they let go of that one property and they still own everything else, you know, Palace Station, Sunset Station, Red Rock, half of uh, Green Valley Ranch, and they own a couple smaller casinos too i don't know if you've ever heard of why uh well what's uh, wild, 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 wild west? west yeah 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 they own yeah, yeah but here's a question why here's a question why is main street station owned by boyd what do you mean why why is main street station owned by boyd i don't understand what that means why is it why why do they buy it, it uh, i don't it, know my main street station is owned by boyd gaming not station casino yes I, right so so how that happened Oh, in terms of the name? Yeah. Oh, that's that's a very, you know, I never thought about it. That's a very good, well, I can tell you Main Street Station's been there before, uh, the, the, okay, what was the first station casino? I, I don't you even know? know. I don't know. The first station casino ever built was uh, Palace Station. In fact, they just had this big thing where they celebrated their 30-year anniversary of, of it opening. Um, anyhow. I would have to assume that there was some agreement that let them use that 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 right. Uh, I mean, cause it, it's a very good question. I mean, that was built before Palace Station. It's always been downtown. Downtown. It was owned by uh, Boyd Gaming, just like the California Club, which you mentioned. Also, Fremont, which is another club or another casino downtown that Boyd owns. Um, Boyd originally owned those downtown casinos, and they also owned another local's casino called Samstown. Uh, then they ended up merging with Coast Casinos back in 2004 or 2005, and it was a, it was a complete merger. Then during, and the owner of Coast Casinos at that time it was a guy named Michael Gone. During that merger, and they also, I'm sorry, they also acquired uh, South Coast, which is now the South Point. During that merger, uh, there was some fallout in, in, I guess, a disagreement between Michael Gone and Boyd on how things were being run and managed. And they came to an agreement where he was going to get the South Point back, okay, or the South Coast at the time, uh, and he would fully own it and fully control it. And at that point, it had only been built maybe a year. And that was a, you know, another half-billion-dollar casino project. Um, then, so he took that. He gave up his rights to Coast, which he founded. His dad lent him the money, and he founded it. The first, do you know what the first Coast Casino ever was? No. The Barbary Coast, which then okay, became yeah. Bill's Gaming Hall, which then became uh, the Cromwell. That yeah. was his first casino. His dad, after he graduated from college, lent him the money. And uh, anyhow, so that later got involved with the merger with Coast Casinos and Boyd Gaming. Uh, so anyhow, Michael Gon, you know, still alive, still healthy. He owns the South Point. His father, Jackie Gon, passed away about two years ago, and his father owned all those casinos downtown. Yeah, I know, I know they uh, own the, the Plaza. Cortez, yeah. the Gold, the, the Plaza. Golden Spike, the Las Vegas Club, uh, the Plaza. 
And now, you know, there's, those have been turned over so, several times. Um, but anyhow, so when I first moved out here in, in early, like, 2000, Station Casino was still very, very small. They were number two in the local casino market. Boyd Gaming, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, stay, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, Coast Game, you know, Coast Casinos by far were the industry leader. They had the Gold Coast, which got a lot of <clears throat> the local traffic. And more importantly, they had just opened up the Orleans, I think in 1998 or 1999. And at that point, that was literally the crown jewel. Can you imagine New Orleans? It's kind of dumpy now, no offense, Bobby. But that point, when it was built, it was the most expensive locals casino and the crown jewel. People were, me- were mesmerized by it. There's nothing like it. And now it's kind of like an afterthought. Oh, the Orleans, who wants? But you know, that was actually a pretty big locals hotspot for for a number of years. Um, but anyhow, as you were saying, Main Street Station was <clears throat> built as Main Street Station. Station Casinos used that name as their company, Station Casinos, and of course, every casino followed by the name Station that they fully owned. I'm sure I, I could maybe you know research and find out how that came to be. Uh, you know, in terms of letting them use the rights or whoever agreed to what. But that, that is kind of inter- uh, interesting because most casinos, uh, you know, are pretty strong about their trademarks like that, and there could be some confusion. Um, but Boyd Gaming now uh, in, in, is second to station in terms of the, uh, do, I guess, the demographic of locals. Like, station now has a huge grip hold. I mean, it's by far the number one dominating casino in terms of getting locals into it and Boyd would be probably a not so close second I'd say it's probably a distant second yeah um and like I mentioned before uh after you know Bob Stupak built the stratosphere you know I mean a lot of people don't know that uh his previous casino that was there yeah it was Vegas called, uh, the yeah burned to the ground and there was a lot of speculation uh, are you familiar with this whole story uh yeah I'd heard something about the, that yeah and there was a lot of speculation, and it was never, of course, proven that arson, that it was done purposely to collect a huge it wouldn't amount surprise of insurance me. money. Bob Schubach, was yeah. very, he was very shady. Yeah. Uh, so then he opened the, the stratosphere with, with that money, and then it went into bankruptcy very early on, and then it ended up being acquired by Carl Icahn, which a lot of people don't even realize he, kinda, he has a presence in Las Vegas, he, you know, he owns three casinos, both Arizona Charlie's and the Stratosphere. So, uh, huh. but, and then another interesting thing, if you ever come, if anyone ever comes to Vegas that loves bingo, uh, I kind of went through a little bingo phase, you know, just, just <laughs> I didn't know, I don't, you know, I don't know if I even say it's a phase, but you know, they, I don't know how much you guys know uh, about bingo. Do you know what power balls are in bingo or power? Yeah. Power balls. No. They're like it's progressive bingo that it, that only stays true per, for each session, and the progressive goes up. I'm sorry, not, it's not Powerball. It's called cash ball. The progressive goes up, meaning like for every session it's different. And when you hit bingo on what the cash ball is, and uh, when you start a bingo session, and this is everywhere in Vegas, they draw a cash ball, and if you bingo on that number. Okay, at any point during the session, you get a progress, you, you win the progressive jackpot. And sometimes these things get to 50, 60, 70, even $80,000. They get fucking huge. 
and, and you know they're in the newspaper and everyone, even if you're not a bingo fan, is going down there because someone has to win it. You know, probably better chances of you can fit maybe 200 people in a room. You know, so it's probably better odds than playing the lottery, I'd guess. Um, so anyhow, Station or uh, Arizona Charlie's has the only 24-hour bingo in town. So if you ever came out to Vegas, that's your thing, or you're looking for something to do that's cheap. Um, you know, you, you, it's available. It's, I think it's every other hour. Um, I mean, it's like the odd hours, like one, three, five, seven, all, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and, uh, stations as well has, as progressive bingo. Uh, you know, it's actually funny. There was a scandal. This is really interesting. There was a scandal in 2003 or 2004 where at station casino, I'm sorry, at coast casinos, not station. Coast casinos had all their bingo integrated, and it was like through a called basically a jumbo jackpot. And when you go to one coast casino, it's like the same numbers at another coast casino. And a guy figured out how to rig it electronically. And he was he he worked for the company that made the software. Um, anyhow, I remember this just like it was yesterday, even though it was like 12, 13 years ago. And what normally brings down people? How do people normally get caught that are cheating? And, and anything, but you know, especially gambling. What's, what's the biggest cause? It's not surveillance, okay? It's not, you know, someone ratting on someone. What's the biggest cause for people that cheat, steal, do anything like that? Greed. What did you get? Yeah, absolutely. So he was running around town. He's an employee for, for the company that licensed the bingo technology, and he's hitting bingos left and right everywhere. And then finally <laughs> got to the point where it was suspicious. And they indicted him. They, they were going to arrest him, and he actually, I remember, and it's funny, I only read this article once. He committed suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge before oh, they wow. could arrest him. Wow. But he ended up like a quarter million dollars in bingo jackpots over like three months. <laughs> and you just don't think anyone's going to notice. I mean, it's just really, really odd. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, that's, and even, you know, I'll tell you, these slot sheets, and it's funny, you know, we talked about this too. You can go on the, the Black Book. It's literally on the internet. You can Google you know, maybe one day that that will actually be a topic you put in there, and you could literally read all the different characters and what what they're banned for. But if you Google Las Vegas you know, or Nevada Black Book, you will have the pictures of every offender and what they were sentenced for, what they did, and a little bit of a bio about them. You know, where their last address was, where they currently live now, and it's funny. Out of all the cheats that you know, or the, all the people that are black Black Book from entering a casino and when you're black booked in las vegas from entering a casino from going to a casino it means you can't be on the pre can't be in the parking lot it's not just like you can't gamble you can't even eat, you know you can't even eat you yeah. can't see a concert you can't step foot on the in any anywhere it's really no point to live in las vegas i mean there really is no point you know if you're on that list but what, what do you think the biggest percentage of cheaters or people that are blacklisted for cheating are blacklisted for what kind of cheating crime uh, it's, it's, it's predominantly by far. And I've looked over this list countless times. I'd say, I would even say maybe it's 75 to 80, 80% of, of the cheaters. It kind is of, that, it is, it, is that uh, card markers? No, not even close. Slot cheaters. Yeah, weird. People that, that are so smart. And even now, even with countermeasures in place, I've figured out how to consistently cheat at slots over and over. You know, you'll see this fourth time, fifth time, 
you know, offended, finally black or, you know, caught, finally, you know, blacklisted, you know, not allowed in any Vegas casino. But what gets them every time is the greed part that they just can't, you know, I'm, I'm of course, I'm not advocating cheating at all, but I'm just saying that in my opinion, if, you know, there are people now as we speak that, that have mechanical electronical devices that can trigger jackpots and that can trigger certain payouts based on what they want to occur and that are not being greedy and not making it so obvious to what they're doing that they're staying under the radar. 100% it's going on as we speak. 100%. So it's interesting. I think that would really be a good segment one day just to go over that and start reading because I think people would really be interested because it's really – and then the rest, there's a couple, like you said, of, of, uh, you know, card markers – um, you know, and things like that. And the rest, even in today's day and age, 2016, the rest are crime figures. People connected to the mob, people you know, that were in the mob, people associated with the mob. Um, I'd say that's probably the other 15 to 20 percent of, you know, of the figures that are black blacklisted in Vegas. So, interesting stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. We should we should do a segment like that sometime. Okay, here let's let's uh, let's go with the uh, remainder. We'll see what other stories you have. Uh, so the Let's go back where I was saying. Uh, the Hard Rock is owned by uh, Brookfield Real Estate Finance Fund. Didn't even know that. I wonder what that really is. We have That's been turned over about four times. Do you know who the original owner of the Hard Rock was? No, who wasn't? Peter Morton, the founder of the Hard Rock. Oh, really? Uh, what, that was actually the last casino job I had. It was at the Hard Rock working there. And that was by far... Uh, I've worked at, I think, four casinos in my life. This was 2006, so it's 10 years. That was by far the most enjoyable casino I ever worked at. Everybody was young. Everyone was beautiful. It was hip. They played cool music. It, it wasn't a sweatshop, uh, you know, meaning that, like, you know, people would come in. Now, later, it became a sweatshop. Back then, like, Ben Affleck would come in. Tiger Woods would come in. Like, the biggest names would come in, and they'd gamble the biggest stakes. And, you know, Ben Affleck would come in there, and he'd, Gambled twenty five, fifty thousand dollars a hand, and whether he won or lost, no one sweated him. And when I mean sweat, you know, meaning they weren't ten pit bosses, you know, breathing down his neck and and, and watching. Right, I, I heard this actually. It's funny. I heard this about the blackjack theory. I had heard at the time that the only concern the pit bosses had over there was that you were twenty one, and that beyond that, they didn't really seem to give. Oh, a crap. yeah, well, because they've been cited so many times and fined, even when I worked there. For, for underage drinking, uh, for underage gambling, for even uh, when I worked there, I, I witnessed it, lewd sex acts. People <laughs> literally having sex, and this was at uh, rehab, and, and for those that don't know, uh, every summer starts right around March Madness, uh, and then it ends probably a, a, a month from now, I'd say probably the middle of September. There's a party on Sunday, and I've written about this in the forums. It's called Rehab. In fact, that's how I met Dustin. I never went. Um, or, you know, physically met him. I met him online, and then I, I later met him and his then fiance at, at rehab. Um, it's a pool party on Sunday. And now, I mean, everyone has a pool party. You know, you, the Aria, the Bellagio, the, the Mirage. But back then, it, it was the first to, to have the Sunday spectacle pool party with a band or a DJ. And they had the out, they were the first casino to have the outdoor gaming. They had swim up blackjack games which you literally, your body is in the pool. The, the felt of the blackjack tables are like plastic. The only thing that 
there's nothing you can really do about is the money's wet. You know, because you're, you're literally underwater swimming and you're in the pool. You're physically in the pool playing in like an elevated blackjack table. And they're dealers that are like kind of like on, you know, shout out to Jenny Anderson, a pedestal dealing to you. <laughs> and back then that was, that was a marvel idea. There was nothing like that in the city. Now I can name probably 20 places that have this. So, so you know, they had craps, they had blackjack, they had roulette, and you're outside and they had a little pavilion, you know, for the games because, you know, no one wants to gamble when it's 120 degrees, you know, uh, directly in the sun. So, you know, they had like a pavilion they made and, and misters and, so it was huge. Celebrities were there. My, you know, one of the funniest stories. I literally watched Mike Tyson in rehab, and this is when I believe he was still boxing. This was like 2004 or five, something like that. And he walked in the rehab all alone. I mean, this this guy was once worth probably 250 million, if not more. And he walks in the rehab and he just pulls down his bathing suit and has his dick in his hands. <laughs> and security immediately surrounds him. Okay, there was no explanation. Like, I mean, it's mental illness or, or drug use. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, you know, there were no women, you know, like daring him. Nobody was egging him on. He literally dropped his fucking drawers right in the middle of rehab. Like, and it was close to closing time. It was like four in the afternoon. And, you know, he lived in Vegas. I think now he lives in, uh, prime. he might, might still have a place here, but I know primarily he lives in Arizona now. But back during then, he had, he had a mansion, which pretty certain was sold off, uh, you know, in, in one of his bankruptcies. And they escorted him off the property, and I know he got 86. Um, after that, I remember them telling me, this guy's 86, have you ever seen Mike? Like, that's funny, them telling me, if you ever see Mike Tyson, don't let him in. Like, you know, what am I going <laughs> to fucking do? I'm like 5'10", 170, you know, I'm not going to say something to Mike Tyson. Um, but, you know, anyhow, it wasn't my job. It was security's job, but they just let everyone know Mike Tyson was 86 from the Hard Rock for, you know, dropping his drawers and having his dick in his hand. But uh, anyhow, Peter Morton, who founded all the various hard rock cafes throughout, you know, remember the hard rock craze? Yes, yes, yes. Hard rock. Yeah, in the 80s, it was right. huge. Hard rock, Tokyo, hard rock, you know, LA, hard rock, Mexico city. He, he was an invader, an invader of that owned all that. And he also built the first hard rock casino. Now he ended up, he sold it. Right when I was leaving, like 2005, I think. And it's now everyone paid him for the naming rights for the restaurants, for the various casinos. His son still owns uh, the restaurant. There's always a, all the Hard Rock casinos, uh, or at least I know like the three or four of them. There's also one in California um, or hotel. There's a restaurant called Pink, Pink Taco. Have you ever heard of it? You guys ever heard of Pink Taco? Yeah, I mean, and I've heard of the slang. <laughs> you all, that's right. That's and that, you know, I got actually a lot of bad press because of that name. But his son Harry is kind of a douchebag, but he owns that. Peter got out just at the right time, back from the inception of the Hard Rock till around two thousand five four. They had the complete one hundred percent domination of that. 21 to 35, 38-year-old crowd. There was no Palms to compete. There was no Cosmo to compete. It was basically an uptight, you know, high-end, like, you know, hotel that catered to Asians or high-end Europeans like the Bellagio or the Venetian uh, or even kind of, you know, the Wynn, which came later in the, in the day. And there was really no place for that young, hip crowd. When Hollywood types, 
when NFL stars, celebrities, sports stars in general came to Vegas, they were young. They wanted to be with other young people, pretty people. That's where they went. I mean, I could sit here and tell you, you know, the the players that I've watched, you know, when I was a pit boss and I've met, uh, you know, over the years, it, it would be like a who's who of like, you know, the late 90s. You know, like Tony Gonzalez, he's a Hall of Fame. He was a Hall of Fame NFL tight end. The entire offseason he spent there. He was there every weekend. Um, the the whole cast of Entourage, and the fact they, they I met them before Entourage was even a hit. No one even knew what Entourage was. They filmed at the Hard Rock for about three weeks um, for one of the in the first season, one of their episodes. But anyhow, Peter Morton got out at the right time. The Palms had been built, and it was taking some of its market share back around like 2003, four, five, when the Maloofs had that place running. Another thing that hurt the Hard Rock was it was off the strip, um, and it wasn't in the greatest neighborhood. It's better now. It's, it's on a road called Paradise, not too far from where uh, Tupac actually got shot. Um, but it's not it, it, even now. It's not in the greatest area. Uh, it was a lot worse back in the day, but it's not really that convenient. I mean, if if you are going to stay there as your destination resort, you really have to have a car. Uh, you can take taxis, but it, it's going to end up costing you way more than it would to rent a car. So that hurt that hurt the property, too, the fact that it you know, wasn't on the strip. Um, but he, he saw the future, and he saw that this dominance he had was, was you know, ending, and he got out at the perfect time. And that place has struggled ever since. It's been out, in and out of bankruptcy as well. Um, it's had several ownership changes. Um, mm. One more thing. I'm glad I, I just thought of this. I'm talking about casinos, I, I want to say it was one of these shows when I wasn't feeling well and I was listening. I don't know if it was you, Druff, or someone else, but someone made mention of Binion's and how Binion's was shut down. Because, and the claim that was made on radio, as I recall, was that gaming came in and they closed Binion's because they did not have enough cash yeah, yeah. at hand. That's not correct. That's a, that's a very, very big myth that a lot of people have said for years. The rule used to be that, and I don't know when this was changed, I'd say maybe like the mid-80s, but the rule used to be just, as was stated, that you literally had to have enough cash at hand for every single penny that was in the casino. If you had, you know, $100 million in chips, that means you had to have $100 million in cash. But now they, they, they changed that a long time ago, I want to say 15, 20 years ago. Or now, you know, as long as you can write a, you know, provide a cashier's check or some other form of payment, you don't have to give someone cash. You can't, I mean, someone wins a jackpot, you know, hits Wheel of Fortune for $13 million or, you know, hits a, just a progressive in the casino, they do not have to give you cash. They have to obviously make payment to you, but it does not have to be cash. The reason why that Binion's was shut down was because at that time, Becky Binion was, in fact, that was actually her name. It was Becky Binion Binion. Do you know that? So the guy she married, his last name was Binion. So it was literally Becky Binion Binion. Yeah, it was like Binion or something. B-E-H-N-E-N. Yes. But anyhow, they or she had an ongoing fight with the culinary union uh, that covers every basically everyone but dealers. Dealers are the only ununionized uh, workers for the most part in Vegas, most properties, especially all of downtown, the bartenders, the maids, everyone that works in every restaurant, 
um, busboys are all are all part of the union. And she had not made payments towards their benefits for about, I want to say, six months, eight months. And gaming, and you can look this up. You can look this up, and I'll tell you right now, there's no way I'm going to be wrong. Uh, gaming executed, I, I don't know if you want to call it a, a search warrant or, or you know, an order decreed by a judge that at such and such time, if the money, and again, she claimed she didn't have the money, uh, wasn't given to the culinary union as per their contract for, I think it was for health insurance benefits, that they were going to be shut down. And that's why they marched in there and shut it down. It wasn't because they didn't have enough cash at hand. It was because she had withheld payments to the union for a, a very long amount of time. Um, and they came in there and they shut it down and she never came back. Then, as you said on, on radio tonight, I believe, Caesars came in and they bought it. But just, and you know, you can mock Caesars all you want, and rightfully so, but they knew back then that something was happening with poker and all they wanted was that world series of poker. They didn't care. They could care less about it. Uh, so what ended up happening is they bought the WSOP. They hired an outside company to manage the casino. They didn't even manage it. And then within a year it was sold. Then another company came in and they bought the naming rights to the horseshoe. I remember it used to be Binion's horseshoe. Now it's just Binion's. Uh, Jack Binion, which was the brother of Becky, and he owns, or I don't, I, you know, I shouldn't say this because I don't know much, much about uh, casinos in the Midwest or on the Gulf. But at, at, at this point, you know, around 2004, three, he had a monopoly of riverboat casinos in the Midwest and South, uh, and he purchased the exclusive rights of that name, the Horseshoe, from them. Now, I, I, I probably, I doubt he still owns it. I think he ended up selling it. I don't remember. But, uh, so anyhow, they lost that name too. And now it's been seven years, I want to say. And, and they don't, I was just down there recently. You know, I go down there once a year. I don't have any other reason. They cannot, and it's almost an embarrassment. I mean, they're like a, such a shell of what they used to be. They can't even run a hotel profitably. The last six, seven years, their hotel has been shuttered. And I've, I've spoken with people that, that work there, and they've claimed to me that it is more profitable, or I guess that, that's probably not the, the best word to use, more profitable, that they lose less money by shuttering the hotel than actually operating it uh, because of the overhead. I mean, I don't know how much overhead it is to maintain a hotel room and hire maids and whatever you know needs to be facilitated, electricity, I don't know. But it costs them less money to keep the hotel completely vacant. And, they, you know, of course, they still have to maintain it, you know, every so often go up and, and look, you know, just in terms of, I guess, you know, health issues, rodents, you know, electrical issues, mold. Um, and what they do now is they have a basically, even though they're not uh, integrated in, in any, you know, ownership way, they have a, a partnership with Four Queens in which, you know, say you walk into Binion's and you lose you know, X amount of money or you gamble there and, and, you know, you play X amount of time and you want to stay, you know, or you want something in return, uh, they reciprocate with an agreement they have with four queens. So that's where you would stay. If you, if you called Binion and announced that I wanted a room, they'd say, well, we don't have rooms at our hotel, but we have you know, rooms, I don't know if they use the term sister property or partner property at the four queens. They don't even make their own bottled water, Druff. 
<laughs> when you walk into Binion's, you order a bottle of water, it has four Queens logo on it. They decided that it was not profitable. And this is years ago too, four or five years ago. It was not profitable for them to run their own valet. They closed the valet. There's no, I mean, it's still there, you know, the overpass. There's no valet. It's the only hotel in this sea, at least the only casino I know of, doesn't have a valet. They shut it down because they were losing too much money. I mean, you explain to me. I, I, I live here and I've been in the casino business. How can you not make a, a valet? I mean, okay, I, I get you're probably not going to turn a profit running it, but how can you hemorrhage money with a valet? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. They, they found a way. How much, I mean, how, how much can you really lose per day with a valet? Maybe they had issues I mean, of people claiming damage and they just got tired of dealing with it. But, I mean, that's everywhere. That's, they're not the only No, I know, that, but they, they probably just got tired of it and just said, screw it, we're not even going to deal with it. So, so you know, it's late at night in, in, or early in the morning and, and you're an elderly <laughs> person or you're a woman and, you know, you want to go to Binion's, you're going to have to park in their garage across the street, walk through a creaky old scary garage by yourself. And, you know, a lot of people feel that way a lot of people you know it doesn't really bother me at my age and i i always i'm sure to you know be be aware of my surroundings but you know would you want your your girlfriend at night to park you know across the street downtown by herself and have to walk the binions no and not be able to pull right up to the hotel and park her car if she wanted to so but anyhow i i i, I appreciate you listening to my rants you know i you know i love talking about old Vegas and, and just the changes I've seen since I've lived here. But uh, getting back off this tangent, mentioned Hard Rock, and as I said, Peter Morton was very smart. So it was at the perfect time. They started expanding afterwards and had all these grandiose ideas, and they just lost hundreds of millions, and it's been in and out of bankruptcy. And it probably will survive just because of that name and the brand, but it's never, ever going to be a top tier, even a medium tier, casino in terms of profitability well and also it, it's, it, been, it doesn't have the best location either yeah it hasn't been in, in about a decade and it, it's not i mean you know if you ever come here and you want to stay somewhere cheap you know relatively cheap and and you know but still have like that ambiance you know there's a bunch of nice gourmet restaurants in there and you know they have a gorgeous pool they have rooms like as low as 39 dollars, 20 even 29 i've seen during the week weekends you know it, it's never going to be cheap but you know 39 bucks to stay at a resort you know some people might not realize that they might hear the name hard rock and still think of just what it used to be but you uh they have so many rooms there and the occupancy levels especially during the week are so low and they don't get that convention crowd uh you can stay there rather cheaply if you know if you yeah. are going to rent the car of course so you know you're not stranded there and landlocked and whatnot yeah you definitely need a car over there okay so here's here's the continuing the list here Harris, of course, is owned by Caesars. They they weren't originally; they were once a separate company, but they merged. Uh, the Link, which was uh, once the Imperial Palace, is uh, of course owned okay, by Caesars. Okay, hold on. I, I want to say it was. I, I know the story about this guy. It's very interesting. Uh, he has a German name. I want to say it was Ralph, but I don't think that is. But what was the original owner's name of the Imperial Palace? Uh, yeah, I don't remember his name, but yeah, I, I know he was accused of being a Nazi sympathizer. He wasn't accused. He was actually fined by gaming. Uh, at the time, it was a record fine for this. This wasn't like ancient. I'll look up the date. He held a birthday party in honor of Adolf Hitler. 
in his <laughs> casino. I'm not kidding you. Do, you. do you not know about this? No, I didn't know about the, the Adolf Come Hitler on. birthday party. No, I didn't know about it. Hold on. I, I got it. I wonder if this is before or after I played my first uh, hand of card counting blackjack there. That's my very first uh, card counting experience was there. Okay, I'm going to look this up. But uh, and anyhow, he ended up dying, and then his family sold it to Caesars because then, you know, that if you kind of look at the landscaping. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. It was it was longer than I thought. It was 1980, 1989, and the Las Vegas Journal. This is a headline: Nevada gaming board draws the line. No Hitler birthday parties in casinos. <laughs> and I'm right. His name was Ralph Engelstad. Uh. And he died in 2002, and immediately after his death, it was sold to, uh, I guess, the Caesars or Harris. I guess Harris. At the right, time, right? You know, I don't know if they bought it for this purpose, but around that time, a few years later, there was there was a plan that they were going to wreck that whole block. That they're going to buy up the whole block, wreck it, and build a major resort. Never ended up happening, but that is why they acquired uh, Barbary Coast. They actually traded it. For another casino, I'm forgetting which one. With Coast, they they gave Coast some other casino they owned. No, what what no, what what they ended up doing is there's the area the, the land where the Stardust was, and then the surrounding area where they were going to build basically like their own little area. It was called Echelon Park or something like that, and it was going to be just like the area with the retail and, and like six or seven hotels. And they were smart enough to see what was coming. With all the, the boom in Vegas, and they stopped. Yeah, they, they say, had yeah, already a, started construction. No, but it was going to be. And they the, ended up. It was going to be that block, though, where which was uh, they were going to do something very big with. You may be think, talking about something different. They, they were going to do something very big with that whole block. They were going to wreck everything from where for, where the Cromwell is now, which was uh, then the Barbary Coast, all the way down to uh, to Harrah's. And make something massive there. I, I don't know exactly what it was supposed to be, but it was going to be something massive, and they were going to just knock down all those old hotels. They also uh, acquired O'Shea's for that reason, and uh, so they got the whole block. And the only tough one to well, get. I know was, the land. I know the land swap was the Stardust. That's what they. That's what. That's what they ended up getting. Boyd ended up getting that land. Okay, that that, that might be true. Yeah, that might be. But but Harris' plans, I know, is to make some kind of mega resort there. And you're but you're right that they saw what was coming and they chose not to uh, not to do it. And that, and so that's why. So in the meantime, they they just they had to rename Barbary Coast because it wasn't a coast anymore. So they renamed it to Bills just temporarily. And but that wasn't the long term plan for the. Even when they scrapped that big project. They had to figure out something to do with bills, which wasn't really uh, a property anyone was going to want to go to. So they, uh, that's when they changed it to the Cromwell. And, and well, re- just because that, that real estate is so expensive. That's prime real, even though it's it's crappy. And even you know the Cromwell, when they redid it, they wanted it to be kind of a boutique hotel in line with the Cosmo. It just never was. It just it it, it never was. But real fast, uh, this was in 1989. And the gentleman's name was the former owner, owner, the first owner of the Imperial Palace was Ralph Ingolstadt. He was fined in 1989, at that point, the second highest fine ever. I don't know what the first was. $1.5 million with the promise not to hold any more annual birthday parties for Adolf Hitler. Are you kidding me? $1 million. 
And I, I mean, I get it. This was a long time ago, but it's not like we're talking the 40s, 80s, 1989. Yeah, that's and crazy. dude's holding, you know, and then as the article goes on, as the Hitler birthday party matter wasn't enough, the casino industry got another black eye this month when a federal court awarded $38.8 million to 36 blackjack dealers who had been dismissed by the Las Vegas Las Vegas Hilton after being told they were too old. Huh. <laughs> so 36, 38.8, that's a little, well, it's about one, one, million. one million and change that's, that's for a pretty, That's dealers. a pretty big uh, payout. Yeah, so... Last year, last year, local news reports disclosed that Mr. Ingolstadt, this is the guy that owned the Imperial Palace, had a secret room inside the Imperial Palace full of Nazi memorabilia. Yeah, I had heard about including, that. Including murals of Hitler and a painting of Mr. Ingolstadt dressed in a Nazi uniform. <laughs> he had thrown birthday parties for the Nazi leader in 86, 87, and 88. And he owns two automobiles that were driven by Adolf Hitler in World War II. Mr. Ingolstadt denied being a Nazi sympathizer, saying his interest was only historical. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, it's 89, so I'm, you know, I'm 14 years old, so that's 25, 26 years ago, but still, even then, that's insane that they let this go on, even for a couple years. The fact that he was allowed to have two birthday parties is kind of fucking crazy. No? I mean, am I just yeah, yeah, three. Of... It, was, it was three, but 86 through 88, they had three. So that's, that's amazing that it went on without any kind of uh, fanfare in the press about this for, for three years before finally in 89, they finally uh, the controversy started. Yeah. I mean, you think about what Donald, Donald Sterling did, and that was really bad. And you don't even hear nothing about the dude. He's ostracized. He can't even go see an NBA game. He can't even buy a ticket. He's banned for life from the NBA. If this happened in today's day and age, this guy would have to live in hiding somewhere. <laughs> I mean, he would. He wouldn't be able to show his face, more or less keep his gaming. Yeah. Just think about how much has changed that they let this man keep his gaming license. Yeah, that's crazy that they let him keep his gaming license after that. So that's funny. They said no more birthday parties for Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so uh, th- then the uh, the Luxor, of course, owned by MGM. The M Resort. Some of you may not have heard who, of the M- Who originally built the Luxor? Uh, I don't remember who built the Luxor. Steve Wynn. That's right. It was Steve Wynn. Okay. Uh, the M Resort uh, is owned by Penn National Gaming. I've never heard of that company. The, the M is in the very south part of Vegas. Uh, you, you'll see it driving in on the 15. It's uh, it's it's more for locals. but uh, It's Alan Kessler's favorite place to enjoy a early night buffet. <laughs> it's it's a fairly, it's a fairly nice place. I've been there a few times. That's the place where he has so much comps. He literally tweets and tells strangers to come meet him. Oh, is and that why? Goldfarb, is... and he'll buy them. He has. Uh, do you remember when the one guy that was a part of the breakup was doing the slot thing, hanging out? Yeah, with yeah, him? yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point, he had over twenty-five thousand dollars in comps. I was wondering about. It, I was wondering why was why was Kessler inviting just the public to come and eat? Well, with him? this is the thing. They they. <clears throat> had some agreement with him that his comps were so excessive and he wasn't losing enough money that he was only allowed to accrue a certain amount before you couldn't accrue anymore. Where it's just like, okay, that's it. You've reached your max. So I guess when he gets to whatever that limit is, he has to dispose of them. So he hosts these buffet parties where he literally will tweet 
and invite anyone that is a decent human being that's not going to embarrass or cause trouble, come down and show up, and he'll buy them a dinner buffet, which is like a $25 value. You pay cash. I've never taken him up on it, though. Yeah, I saw, I saw he was advertising that. I wasn't sure. Like, I, I knew he wasn't the type to just, like, lie to people about it, but I couldn't picture Kessler, who's so cheap, doing that. I guess it all makes sense now. He, he lives out in that area, and I think when, when he's just home and he's not traveling, that's one of his main casinos of choice in okay. terms of where he grinds. Interesting. So, can you imagine building up that kind of comps where they're like, we can't give you any more? Yeah. You're just not worth it? <laughs> Okay, Amanda, Amanda, here's a bunch of MGM resorts in a, in a row just because alphabetically they coincidentally fall together. Mandalay Bay, MGM Grand, of course, the Mirage, which uh, was really the kickoff of the Strip boom. It, it opened in 89, and it was uh, – back in 89, the Strip was uh, really not that consequential, and uh, that was the start of the mega resorts on the Strip, which – very quickly eclipsed downtown, and by like '93, like four years later, it was, uh, I think, TI opened, and it was the beginning of the end for downtown. And they had to downtown pretty much had to remake itself to even be semi viable. Uh, the Monte Carlo, which will be uh, closing soon if it hasn't already, has it closed yet? Or the Monte it? Carlo, no, it hasn't. Okay, yet. it's gonna be very soon. You're talking about the remodeling. Yeah, they're split, it, split they're yeah, split into two hotels and all that. Yeah. Uh, the money is, and then there's uh, New York, New York, also owned by MGM. That was also built originally by Steve Wynn. Yeah. Orleans, owned by Boyd Gaming. That was originally built by Michael Gaughan. I didn't know that. It was it was a coast casino originally. Okay. I didn't I didn't know Orleans was a coast. That's funny. Orleans was a, was <clears throat> excuse me the third coast. The first coast was Barbary Coast, then the Gold Coast. And then they just couldn't really, I guess, decide to name it the Orleans Coast because the theme, if you've never been to the Orleans, it's it's a failed version of Mardi Gras. Yeah, I know. There's like, an, like a second story that really isn't a second story, and they're like mannequins with beads, and you know the, the dealers wear beads. That's what the theme is supposed to be. Yeah. But that was the third uh, in the line of coast casinos. The fourth was the Sun Coast, and the fifth was the South Coast. I never knew Orleans was um, yeah, as I mentioned at the time, the Orleans was literally the crown jewel of local casinos when it was built. Okay. And then there's Palace Station, which is the station's casino. Uh, Palazzo, we know who owns that. That's uh, Sheldon Adelson at Las Vegas. The station, uh, station Casino was built in 1976, so it just celebrated 40 years. Okay. Yeah, so Palazzo, which is the second uh, hotel by uh, Adelson, who's uh, Las Vegas Sands Incorporated, that... Uh, Right next to the Venetian, connected to it, very similar to Wynn and Encore. The Palms, which was uh, once the hip place for young people until the uh, the Cosmos stole its action, right across from the Rio. Uh, they, they are owned currently by TPG Capital and Leonard Green. At one point, they were owned by the Maloofs, who built it. Uh, and who, no, actually, you're incorrect. Who owns the Palms now? We've talked about Oh, that's right, radio. that's right. It wasn't, it, it was sold again. It, it's so, it's and it's already every everything has just been signed, and all they're waiting for now is for approval, which they'll get. Uh, even even if someone owns ten casinos, you still have to go through a vetting process each and every time. So they're waiting for approval, which the paper says will come down sometime either at the end of this month or early next month, and then it'll be a station. A station, casino. yeah, I know. We talked about it. Yeah. I was I was told by somebody on the inside. 
that Cancer Gaming, which is there, their lease runs out December 31st of this year. We're talking about the Palms. And they, uh, at the time when they built it, it was probably the most expensive sports book ever built. Um, you remember, you know, when they had the poker room and, you know, right in the sports book with these, have, have you been down there since they, they did this? No. A couple of years ago? No. Okay. It's a spectacle, but it's, it's really a fail. I know. Um, anyhow, yeah. the lease, the lease with Cantor Gaming is up December 31st of this year. Uh, I'm told even though Station is going to own the casino before then, they're going to, obviously, they're not going to buy out the contract. They're going to let Cantor stay in there. They're not going to renew the contract and then, the book, the sports book is going to become a stations, uh, you know, just a regular stations run sports book. It's not going to be outsourced. And I was also told there'll be an announcement uh, regarding boarding, uh, boarding pass, which is uh, the name of the, the players club at Palms that it's going to become, jeez, uh, oh, what's the one, what is stations reward called? Um, no, that's boarding pass. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. That is boarding pass. Uh, whatever the Palms, uh, I, I think it, I, I think I it's like yeah, Palms Club or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Palms Club. Yeah, I think that's it. Anyhow, it's going to be integrated into uh, uh, the boarding pass, the boarding pass, and everything will be converted. And you know, and then obviously the, the big point for them is all the players, you know, that that they have in their database that are just Palms players are now going to be uh, emailed and contacted and and you know marketed as you know, to become station property players and they're going to get all you know they're going to at least try to yeah. get a whole new player pool in there um but that's just what it's already done the money's already exchanged hands they're just waiting for the official date of the turnover and it will be and people aren't happy with it most locals aren't happy because you know a lot of people think in general that stations have become too big for their own britches that they're pretty greedy um in how they treat their locals in terms of comps and offers and by now, even having a bigger monopoly of the local market, um, well, they they blew you know, they blew ultimate poker pretty badly. And you know the thing is, Druff and Kalawa, are you still there? I'm here. Oh, very very nice. The thing about the Palms that was always interesting was that it was kind of the first casino that was both a locals casino as well as a destination resort. That's true. When the Palms when the Palms was in its heyday, you would walk in during the day, the morning, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, and you'd see the old ladies and you know with their you know, with their walkers and you know their little uh necklaces with their players cards and they're, they're playing you know, nickel video poker and other games and the old men are in there you know betting on the ponies. Then right around five, six o'clock, it was like a transition. Then you see, you know, a lot of the, the hip, you know, younger crowd come in and it's, you know, a lot of, you see rappers and Britney Spears had like a, I don't know what do you call it, like an internship or commitment there at the nightclub rain. And then it kind of becomes this Hollywood place and it's filled with prostitutes and, and everyone's wearing like Armani and it, it just, it was very strange. Literally at nighttime, it was a destination resort. And it was tons of people from out of town that are there. And, but during the day, it was all filled with locals. Like, if it wasn't for the locals that were there during the day, the place would be a ghost town. Young kids aren't up at 8, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning on a weekday, you know, gambling. Uh, but it was very strange. It was the first casino that really had catered and had both those markets, which is huge. I mean, you know, you're always going to go to a local casino and you'll find people that are out of town staying there. You know, because it, it was cheap or they got a good deal or there's a convention or... You know, they have kids or family that live in the city. 
you know, whatever reason. But, uh, but you know, the Palms had it dominated. I mean, they really, they, they fucked that up. And they I'll did. tell you, it's not a secret. The Maloofs had all the money in the world. They owned an NBA at the time. It was a successful NBA franchise. This is, you know, when when uh, the Palms was at its height, so were the Kings. This is when they were challenging. If it wasn't for the Lakers, those Laker teams, uh, the Kings definitely would have made a handful of NBA finals. They had Vladi Divac. You know, more importantly, they had Chris Webber. What was his name? Peja, Peja Starakovich. Yeah, they had uh, like Mike, Mike Bibby when he was good. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were making you know, the Western Conference Finals all the time. Uh, so the Maloofs had that. They had this casino. And how do you think all of it just vanished, Jeff? What do you, what do you think, Callawat? Where do you think? What do you think went wrong? I have no idea. I ain't always they thought gave away too much for Breeze. <laughs> Trader Traderuski, hello. What's happening, guys? Traderuski, is that really you? It's really him. We you snuck, were on a roll, Brandon. We for Sawyer's. We snuck hey, him on buddy, here. how are you? Good. How you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing all right. I, I, I'm holding my own. I'm trying to give it my all. Thought this was Druff's last radio. He's going into retirement. He's gonna move up north to Napa Valley and crush hella grapes and make wine for his <laughs> second career. Druff has other interests. I heard other than poker. I I didn't know about these other interests. Yeah. Anyhow, well. they gambled it all away, Druff. They gambled it all away. It was very, really? very common. On oh, it's no secret. I'm not slandering or, or being libelous. It was no secret that they all had huge. The three brothers, Gavin, George, and uh, the other one that the, the third, like like the the, the Beatle. No one talks about. I can't think of this guy's name, but they probably over the years. Uh, I worked at the Sun Coast, and they came in there a lot. And then I would just see them out, uh, you know, on occasion. I would just be out somewhere on the strip or out, you know, at the Golden Nugget, and I'd see this big entourage in a private party. They were insane gamblers, which I never understood because you'd think they would know, especially pit games. They were huge craps players. Yeah, it is George really and Gavin, that is George, really George and Gavin loved dice, loved dice. To their benefit, I'll be honest, they were amazing tippers. Dealers loved having them because they knew if they won, they would take great care of you, and they did. They were very generous tippers. Uh, I, I remember when I was at the Suncoast, and they'd come and play, they probably would tip somewhere between 10, 15, 20% of their winnings. And people think, wow. oh, that's kind of just like, you know, a server at a restaurant. No, it, in the casino world, a 15, 20% tip, that's pretty massive. That's insane. And then you account for the fact that the stakes that they're betting, you know, they could walk away easily multiple times with six figures, maybe even seven. You know, that's a lot of money. The dealers absolutely adored them. But they lost it all gambling, and they ended up having to sell their casino. They had to sell their NBA franchise, and you don't even hear from them anymore. You don't see them. Uh, it, it's really a sad story. Their father got rich uh, in the oil business. I don't know his name, but whatever the father Maloof is, he had died, I think, of a heart attack or maybe cancer. And uh, he's the one that financed. None of them are geniuses. None of them, you know, are, are rags to rich stories. Well, that's they the problem. So that, that's the problem is they uh, they didn't earn it, so they uh, they didn't value it. Yeah, yeah, they had a very rich father, and uh, he built a casino, their first casino called the Fiesta. That's also owned by Station Casinos now, but before that, they owned it called the Fiesta, and they ended up selling the Fiesta, 
and then taking all their money, their dad's money, the money they got from the casino, and they built the palms. And a lot of people don't know that. They think, oh, the Maloose. Or it's like, no, their dad was really, really rich and really, really smart, and the kids blew everything. He, you know, or I shouldn't say everything. You know, it's all in, in, it's all relative. You know, I'm not saying they're all living in a, you know, two-bedroom apartment cramped in, but I guarantee they're not living the way they were 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, just to that extreme, not even close. I mean, the one guy used to walk around with Britney Spears on his arm, and he's kind of like a Hollywood type, uh, George. You know, he would he'd be in, you know, People Magazine and, you know, on the Internet, like, you know, just like, like a, what do they call that, Paris Hilton? Uh, what do they call someone who's famous for just being famous? Yeah, I know Paris Hilton's one of them. Well, what, but yeah. Yeah, but what's the term? Uh, like a celebrity? Uh, a celebrity not socialized. Is it a celebutant? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's or, but that's kind of how he was. Like you know, he'd be at the Oscars and Golden Globes and you know MTV awards, and you know he he wanted to, to you know to be a celebrity. But anyhow, so they lost it all. I mean, they lost an NBA franchise wow. and their casino. Um, it's it's pretty pretty sad, and you know if time has taught anybody anything about this city, and this is the one thing that really blows my mind. You can build a casino, it can be sparkling new, it can be gorgeous, but unless you maintain it, unless you keep putting money into it and reinventing it, and, you know, whether it's constantly remodeling every couple years or, you know, doing the rooms over, you know, makeovers, whatever it may be, it's just going to become an old, outdated property. And at some point, you know, at some point, it can be 25, 30 years, you're going to be left with no other choice but to demolish it from the, from the ground up. And a lot of these casinos, like, the, you know, you know what I'm going to say here. Caesars Properties is the perfect example. I mean, you can literally tell when you walk into any property in the you know, that they own that it's just in despair and no one's taking care of it. Just little things from trash on the ground to things we've talked about, like elevators not working to, you know, cigarettes that burns and, and you know, in, in the rooms and things just broken. A lot of people were very upset when Caesars was bought by Harris because it was a crown. It was their crown jewel, jewel at the time. People don't remember Caesars was like a big fucking thing. It was a huge Back thing in the seventies yeah. and the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, even the sixties. I mean, yeah. it was a big. It, I mean, that was the place, Caesars Palace. Like people would say to themselves, "One day I want to stay at Caesars Palace." And they come to Vegas, and that was where everyone wanted to be. And people were afraid. People that loved the history and the lore of Caesars. That when it was taken over, and another thing, Caesars at the at its peak, in the eighties and the nineties, you couldn't bet any bigger anywhere else in Vegas than there. That was where the high rollers went. There wasn't a win, there wasn't a Venetian where you the money. You know, if you wanted to go somewhere and you wanted to bet a hundred thousand, you wanted a line of five, ten million dollars to play. That's where you played. That's where all the high rollers went. And there was you know, no Mandalay Bay, no Bellagio, no Mirage. They had the marketplace on the whales. People were afraid when Harris took it over that it, it, they weren't going to take care of it. And it, it, basically the allure of it was going to you know, just dissipate. Because Harris, before they bought Caesars, what they were known for was what's kind of called the $100 gambler. Harris always catered to like the middle class. You know, they want, like, all their properties. They wanted the, 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 the average Harris gambler. 
that they wanted was the family that made maybe 60, 70, 80. You know, of course, talking, you know, inflation-wise, the 80s and early 90s, and that was a decent amount of money then. Now, I guess it'd be the equivalent of, you know, low six figures, that kind of gambler. The gambler that would come in, not give them too much risk, maybe lose five, ten thousand uh, dollars $10,000. You know, that was, that was who they marketed to. They didn't market. I mean, think about the properties that they had before Caesars. They never had any high roller properties where, you know, people would risk, win, lose, you know, six figures, seven figures, eight figures. That just wasn't their business model. And, that, you know, they bought Caesars and people were concerned that they were going to change the legacy. And sure as shit, they did. I mean, Caesars isn't the same. I mean, even as recently as, you know, three, four, five years ago at New Towers, you can already see the despair in them and the despair in the property. Um, you know, and then eventually it becomes something like the Riviera, where it's just so battered down that, you know, with a stardust, it's so old and it's been neglected for so long, you really have no other choice but to implode it. You know, it, it, and that's what's going to happen. You know, it's Caesars, you think Caesars is going to be, the rate it's going, you think Caesars is going to be relevant? You know, making any kind of profit in, in 20, 20, 30 years from now? Yeah, it probably that, won't be. Yeah. It's going to be left behind. You know, so I, I don't understand it. You know, I wish somebody would give me a billion dollars or even half half a, half a billion and tell me to build a casino and manage it the right way and make it profitable because I, I, I truly believe, of course, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not being silly. I know I would need help and I would need to be mentored and, and, you know, running a property, but there's so many small things that I see that I'm just like, I don't understand. Yeah, I think Why that too. I've, th- I've thought that too. Why isn't this done? Yep. How can somebody, you know, assumably be at the highest peak of their career in hotel and business management you know, or hospitality and, and they can't see these small things that I see? Yeah, and I see, and not um, only do I see them, but I see like other people complain. And so I know it's not just me just uh, just picking on small things. Like I he, I hear people talking about uh, you know I, I gamble this much and I can't believe this is happening. I don't know how this is allowed. And like I I think a lot of these things just shouldn't occur. You're never going to make everybody happy, but they. Uh, I mean, I'll give you I'll give you a good example of a place that does it right. I mean, it's not anywhere that I have any reason to ever gamble, and I'm there maybe once or twice a year when you know a family or friend is in town. But you walk into the wind, you walk into the encore, and it looks just like it looked the day it was open. You walk into one of their rooms, and everything is pristine. Everything is pristine, just like it looked, you know, because they're constantly putting money in to keeping it up, keeping it clean. You'll see people all over the floor. You'll, you'll see porters all over the, you know, the casino floor, picking up things, sweeping, dusting, vacuuming. Uh, I mean seriously walk in there and you can admire that's the way a casino should look and now the win is over 10 years old believe it or not and i think the encore is probably five years or so and it looks just as gorgeous as it did i mean you know, as gorgeous as a casino can look you know we're not talking about uh you know some work of art the wind's older than 10 thing, but the wind's old, the wind is getting closer to 15 no that's impossible yeah and i know it's more than 10 when, no, I, I said I, no. I'm going to say ten or eleven. It's not. It's closer to ten than it's fifteen. I guarantee you that. I'll, I'll look at it. So okay. I, uh, the reason why I can say is in 2004, when I was when I was uh, leaving the, the Sun Coast, everyone. Oh, yeah, there was, it's eleven. It's eleven. You're you're right about closer okay. to 15, ten than fifteen. Well, I, I just you know I'm very good. Like you know how you're good. You can just say a date. You were you know it was December. It was 2004 or five, or two, I guess it was four. 
and I was in the casino industry. At that point, I was working at the Suncoast. And everyone and their mother, if you were a casino employee and you could pass a drug test, you wanted to go to the win because you knew from Steve Wynn's history of the Bellagio and, and you know, he had just bought the Desert Inn. And, we, you know, we could talk about that a little bit too if you want. Just how he ran places that would be first class that he wasn't afraid, meaning that he let people come in there and ga- and take a gamble. He was never going to back somebody off like like uh, MGM did, you know, to to Billy Packer, you know, because and, and say we don't want that kind of action, we don't want to risk that much. And he took care of his employees and he ran a first class operation. Everybody was employed. Maybe there was I don't know. A thousand dealer jobs, maybe fifteen hundred, maybe you know, at the most. Everyone that I knew that could pass a drug test, because you know, in Vegas, there's not every casino. So just ever want to know, people want to get a job out here. It's you know, kind of like every other industry. Now you have to pass a drug test. Every place now they do hair tests. So kind of you know, it's kind of hard to beat a hair test. But anyhow, everyone wanted to work there, and they knew what it would be. And I mean, it it was the, the sickest, like. I don't even know the term competition, uh, you know, everyone, I, I can't even tell you the amount of people I remember thinking about it now, reminiscing would say, I hope I get a call back. I, I mean, everyone was on pins and needles. Now, I, I knew I was at the downside of my casino career. I was already burnt out four or five years into it. I knew this wasn't what I was going to do with my life. So I never applied. Uh, I knew over the years, maybe seven or eight people that ended up working there. Um, the worst that the dealers have ever done there since it's opened is the low 90s. That's the worst. A full-time dealer, not extra board, you know, assuming you work your five-day shifts. And as I've said on several shows in the casino business, it's always going to be different what one dealer makes compared to the next for two reasons. The first is the fact that tokes, tips, which is what you make, are all pooled on a 24-hour basis, and people have different days off. So if you decided, or if it wasn't by choice, that you're off on a Saturday and Sunday or a Friday and Saturday, you're going to make less than people that are off on a Monday, Tuesday, because weekends, you know, for the most part, always will generate more tips than during the week. And the second thing is what's called early outs. Uh, One of the things about being a dealer that a lot of people enjoy is basically if you don't want to work a lot, a full shift, you don't have to, and you're not penalized. When you walk into a casino and start your shift as a dealer, there's a board. It could be a clipboard. It could be a simple piece of paper, whatever. Maybe now, today's day and age, it could be on a computer. And they have what is called the early out list. And Scott on the East Coast knows exactly what I'm talking about. And you get to work, and you put your name on that list, and you know you could do it right away. As soon as the first game closes up, you're going to get tapped out and you'll be the first dealer sent home. That could be four hours into your shift. It could be three hours. It could be six hours. And it just goes in order. If you're the seventh person on that list, then you'll be the seventh person sent home once table lids start coming up. Uh, if you don't want to be sent home, you're not. I've never worked in a casino where they forced you to go home. Sometimes maybe you only work seven hours. Okay, but they're pretty cognizant to the fact that you know there are people that have Families they want to support and they want their hours, especially Asians. Asians are, at least in the casino business, uh, you know, for what 
this little bit of insight is worth. They're usually the most hardworking in terms of never wanting to go home and always wanting to work. Americans, you know, I mean, I know people that would want to, you know, go home. I did. I would some days just not want to be there. I'd want to watch football or I'd want to, you know, I'd leave after three or four hours. So you're prorated. So whatever the tips came out to be for your eight hour shift, say you work four hours, it's, it's, you know, 50%. If it's six hours and it's six eighths of what it would be. Um, so anyhow, that's the lowest they've ever did. 90, 92, I think 91,000. They've never, they've never made less than 90,000. They've, uh, numerous years, probably more more years or not, have made six figures. And I'm not going to get into that whole thing, you know, about whether they deserve it, whether they don't. I mean, they, I live here. I know that people have families and, and you know, but the one thing I'll say about that, and, I, and I've been there, so I, I, I get both sides of it. I get the whole side of, like, that's insane to the guy that, you know, is giving someone $5,000, but I also get the fact that, you know, all these people have families, but there's nothing else in this world where you literally cannot know the skill, have no clue how to pitch cards, how to spin a ball, how to, how to, what a, uh, $30 six days or a $25 horn high yo. And with a couple months of schooling, you could be making fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. There's no, there's nothing else. I've, I've yet to hear anyone tell me something legitimate, a trade, a skill, that one can learn in such a small amount of time to be making that kind of money, a construction, electrician, all that you have to be an apprentice, you have to go to school, it takes years. But you literally can come to this city, spend 300 that's what it was back then, maybe it's more now, but it was $300 to learn two games. And uh, anyone that's listening that has ever thought about getting into the casino business, you want to learn either roulette or craps. You don't want to go to school and learn blackjack because it doesn't give you any leverage. Everyone can deal blackjack. It's very simple. It's obviously the easiest game to deal. And unless you have other games on your resume, you're going to be very hard-pressed to get a good job. That's why I was – and this was the best advice that I was ever given. I was told – at first, I didn't know anything. I was told, you know, you know, don't learn blackjack. Become a craps dealer. There's always going to be shortages. You'll always be able to find a job as a craps dealer. And – you know what? Sure as shit, right now, if if I needed to, and I fell on hard times, or I just wanted to, and I, I wouldn't because it, it. You think, look at it, and it's it's a lot of fun. But as a craps dealer, you're literally you're hunched over on your back almost eight hours, five days a week. You know, because that's think about you look at a craps dealer they're hunched over paying bets, and you're on your feet. I mean, it, you know, you can make money, but it, it, it's physical work in the sense that it, it will break your body down. Imagine people that have been like that for 30 years, you know, dealing dice, you know, standing on their feet, hunched over constantly, eight hours. Um, but right now, if I wanted to, I, I would need to go to school just to refresh myself, you know, just get on the layout. And I could find a job within a month somewhere easily. Uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be a, gl- a glamorous job, but New York, New York, probably any second tier, even being out of the business for 10 years, any second tier casino. When I say second tier, I mean like not the win, not the Bellagio, probably not the Aria, but you know, New York, New York, uh, you know, even like Mandalay Bay, uh, Mirage, places like that, maybe even Caesars. It's been a month. Somebody ever wanted to make me a prop bet that was worth my time, could have a job there dealing craps. Um, but anyhow, so, you know, there's a lot of money in it. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't know that. They think, oh, you know, they're, but especially at the win, 
the high-end places, I mean, they do very, very good for themselves. There's, there's people that I met in the beginning of my career that were kind of in the middle towards end of it that literally were millionaires because they saved their money from dealing. Like I've met several people that, you know, the Hard Rock, that, that's a good example. When I started working at the Hard Rock, what would you guess the average dealer topes a day were? The hard, Anyone how long, that want to give me a guess? What year? No, this was like 2004. And this was not even at its peak. This is when it started slightly going on a down down spiral in terms of what they're making. Hard yeah, but at that point, they were, weren't they still the highest uh, revenue per square foot of any casino in the world at that point? I, I don't know. Probably. But I, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know that stat. Anyhow, they're making, on average, close to $500 a day. $500 a day. That's a lot of money. I mean, no? Is that a lot of money? Yeah, it's a ton of money, especially considering it's just the tips, right? Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, every casino, for the most part, you're only getting minimum wage. And it's not, I mean, the 70s and the 80s were the glory years because you literally would take your chips and cash them out. And, and But now, everything's on a paycheck. And, and there's, you know, I worked at one of the last casinos where you literally got an envelope. When I worked at the Suncoast, from when it opened to when I quit, I would work my one shift. And then by 3 a.m. that morning, I would go to like a private back door inside the cage and I would show my ID, my employee ID, and they would hand me an envelope with my name on it. And inside the envelope would be the money that I just earned. And there literally would be people that work day shift, that work swing shift, that were just there, that were there waiting for three o'clock to hit. Cause that's when uh, it's called the tote committee. Tote committee is you get paid an hourly rate, but not any you know tips or anything else special. But the, what the tote committee does is is there's a a law in the state of Nevada, and the law is unless you are a dealer, you cannot touch dealer money. If you're a floorman, if you're a pit boss, even if you're Steve Wynn, you cannot put your hand on a single dollar. Well, here's, here's a question. Can you, can you put your chopsticks on a single dollar? <laughs> so each night, what the tote committee does is you, you might even see this if you're at a casino because it's usually done late at the end of swing shift, which could be around 2 in the morning or early graveyard, which is usually around 3 is that you'll see them emptying the various tip boxes. And there will always be dealers. It will never be foremen. There never be someone in a suit. And they go into a back room, and it's usually four or five people. They go into a back room, and there's cameras on them, and they count out all the money. They write down a number. They count it out again. They write down a number, make sure it's accurate. And then they have a supervisor come in to verify the amount and a security guard. And then all that money is verified that it's, you know, what it is. And then it's divided, you know, amongst how many people work during that 24-hour period. And then I'll get prorated per hour for how many hours you work. And then it's put on a paycheck. And then taxes are taken out, you know, FICA, uh, you know, if you have health insurance, you know, unemployment, uh, you know, whatever, all that's taken out. Uh, but back then, you know, in the beginning, it wasn't. Uh, when you walk... You know, and this is something that, that that you guys can tell me what you think, because I'm not. 
a dealer anymore, but this is something that if I was a dealer, it would really, really bother me. Um, back in the 60s and 70s, up until the middle 80s, maybe late 80s, the majority of Vegas casinos were called or were known for what's called table for table. Do you guys know what that means? Does it mean uh, as far as they keep the, keep the tips, uh, their own yes. tips? Yep. Everyone went for themselves, meaning that you're a blackjack dealer and you sit there and you got tipped $200, $300 that night. That's your money. You sit there and, and you're not polite, you're not hospitable, or even if you are and you're just winning and no one's losing, you go home with thirty, twenty dollars. Yeah, because that's where um, they take. That's where they take the box, right, Brandon, from table to table. Yeah, and then yeah. they have the box, and then they stuck it in the hole. Yep, they dump it on a box. Yes. Now, the reason why they did. Why do you think they, the reason why they did away with table for tables? And it wasn't. It wasn't stealing. I mean, because stealing still goes on now. Stealing went on when I worked there. People would palm chips. Um, I tell you, you know, this. This is, and I'm. I'm not. You know, I'm not advising, I'm not even, I'm not condoning by even close to stealing. I mean, don't ever steal because you will get caught eventually and you, you will have severe, severe, severe sanctions. But surveillance, especially for table games uh, in, in Las Vegas, for the most part, they're usually only looking at whatever the highest action that casino. There's not enough able bodies in most casinos to fully watch what's going on. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm just giving an insider's portrayal. You could be at a casino, a, a local casino at 10, 11 o'clock. There's three or four individuals that are in charge of watching the entire casino on cameras. I'm not saying it's not being recorded because it is, but actually your eyes watching, you know, you're watching slot machines, you're watching every blackjack game, craps, roulette, just three or four people, sometimes two, watching the entire casino. So, don't let anyone kid you. I mean, it still goes on. Stealing does go on. But like I've, I said earlier in the show, the thing is, you know, this is any thief. Enough is never enough. And eventually you're just, you're greedy and you're greedy and you know, you're going to get caught. Never even thought about stealing. I've had $1,000, I've had $5,000 chips in front of me. And this is before they had the little RFI chips in them that can track them. I mean, you know, back when I started, they didn't have any of this technology. Never thought about it. I, mean, I wouldn't do it even if I knew I wouldn't get caught because it's just, you know, it's stealing. It's not my money. Um, but it, it does go on. And it, it, it's, anyhow, it used to be table for table. Whatever you made, you get to keep. But why do you think the policy suddenly switched and every casino started rolling into a 24-hour pool system? Well, I, th- I think it, uh, it discourages... Uh... Things where the dealers uh, do, do favors for players that it, it uh, discourages in, in exchange for tips. Yep. It, it it well it what it did is it didn't give any dealer an incentive to hustle. Yeah, and that's what well, the that, problem. That too. That, well, I've had that before too. Problem, well, yeah, that's what the now. Hang, hang on, hang on, caller. We're, we're in the middle of talking. We'll, we'll put you on a second. Now, when you have six hundred dealers working. What is the incentive to try to hustle someone out of $100? There's none. Because that $100 gets chopped up 600 different ways. But when you're one-on-one with, with a player, and, and you know what? You're right. It, it, it also could entail colluding. 
you know, or or, mis- or just things. Like, when, I, when I was card counting, I've had it before where uh, dealers deal further in the deck than they're supposed to, expecting exactly. that I'll tip them better, and I do when I see them. Exactly, and those dealers are idiots because even if you were overly generous uh, in, in your tipping, it would not even come close to them even noticing. You yeah. could tip them five hundred dollars, and it, it, it would it would be pennies. It would be pennies. It would be cents to them. In the grand scheme, in a large casino, in the grand scheme of things. Well, that, no, so I, was saying, I, was saying, no, I was saying back in the days before they were pooling. And so, so uh, uh, caller, you're on the air. Let's let's see what this guy wants here. Caller, oh, I hung up on. I guess he's insulted. I put him on. I told him to hold on. <laughs> what what area was it? It was four oh seven. Four oh seven. Orlando. Orlando. I mean, he he was interrupting. I, I I don't know who it was, but like I appreciate the call. I just we were in the middle of talking, so I just I I threw him on rather than rejecting his call. I threw yeah. him on. And then I was going to so, let us finish the thought. What's, and then... what's upset a lot of dealers in today's day and age right now and, and the morale of casinos is, have you guys ever, you know, I'm sure you've been in these casinos and you see these girls because the majority of them are girls and they have bathing suits on or skimpy outfits and they're dancing and they don't have normal dealer uniforms. They call this like a, a party pit. Have you, you know, they're, they're in every casino. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them, yeah. The incentive for these girls to do this job, they get half naked or wear these very low-cut outfits, is the fact that they they allow them to keep their own tips. Yeah, I've heard that. Well, while the rest of the casino can't, and it, you know, it, it's funny. Somebody like Jennifer, what's that girl's name? The the, the lady on Twitter that that was insulting me because oh, Jennifer Newell. the girl wanted. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because people like that they'll sit there and they're bash men. And, you know, but a, a unattractive, but very, very uh, intelligent, cordial, nice, you know, we'll just say Asian dealer, mother, doesn't want to wear a bathing suit. Why should she get paid less? Because someone is sitting there with her tits and their ass hanging out, shaking them around. And, I mean, you, you, you know, you get what I'm saying? You get yeah, yeah, I know. I, and I see it has to be res- resentment there. How is for that the- not... I don't even know what the term is because I, I don't think it's sexism because they're, they're both women. Maybe it is because there's guys there that can't. They won't hire. You know, they won't hire guys. They want to hire males for those jobs. Have you ever seen males dancing with their shirts <laughs> off and blackjack tables? Well, you know, I, actually, if 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 we did, then uh, maybe that would be part of uh, One Step's uh, itinerary on his trips. <laughs> That's cute. So when you see those girls, and I'm, I'm not saying you know to bash them or not tip them. I'm just saying be aware, just be knowledgeable knowledge is power but you know they're they're making their own money they're making far more than any other dealers are and you know that's the benefit of you know wearing a skimpy outfit or what have you and and you know now it's everywhere i remember like the golden gate was one of the first places but if you go to harrah's uh, i don't think classy places like the window actually the, the imperial palace had it pretty early on well they had those dealer tainers yeah and that was another example yeah where you know where but you know, it was a very unfair advantage, and like I said, it, it it heavily, even people that I still know today that are in the casino business have told me it's impacted the morale. No, I, I don't blame them. Their blame mindset him. is, why should I work as hard when I'm getting half, if not less, of what they're making? No, I'm I agree. doing the it's, same it's, job. It's not fair. Why should I be kind to customers? You know, that's what sometimes you walk up and dealers are rude, and I'm not justifying it. They should never be rude to you. You're a paying customer. But a lot of it's that reason. They're, you know, they, they're beat down and you know, they see other people that I don't know, but I'll tell you 
it's the easiest way to make a decent living that I know of. Honest, you know, honest, decent living uh, without an education, without much of a skill set. But it's the biggest absolute grind in the world after a couple of years. Once you've seen everything there is to see, you know, and then you get to the point where someone's sitting there and they've won a million dollars in front of you and you're just kind of numb to it. You know, the first time you ever see someone catch a run, you know, like I, I, I was at the Suncoast and I saw a kid. And I, you know, you hear these stories and you're like, yeah, you're full of shit. But you know what? I, I watched it. I saw a kid turn $40 into about $80,000 in blackjack. 40, 40 bucks into 80000 80000 And I was blown away. I couldn't speak. I just was watching in awe. And it's it just like you'd watch in a TV show or a movie. He didn't know what he was doing. Of course, why was he there? Why was this young kid there? He was celebrating his 21st birthday. Wow. Turned forty dollars into 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 almost six figures in six seven hours. I'm sure he chunked it all back he went, off. Uh, he ended up leaving with twenty thousand dollars. Okay. What did the casino do when he was done playing? What do you think they did when he wanted to cash out? They they offered him uh, comps to stay additional nights. Yeah. Well, he, I don't. He wasn't even staying there. We're gonna give you the best suite we have and room service. They kept him in the building with the money. They knew once he left, he probably wouldn't be back. And uh, I ended up leaving. You know, my shift was over, and I heard the next day from Pit Boss another shift that he lost like sixty thousand back or whatever, and walked out with like twenty thousand. But uh, you know, so you know, once you've seen all those things, you've watched someone lose so much money, they have tears in their eyes, or win so much money on such an incredible run, and you've seen it all, you just become numb, and. You know, it at least from my perspective, doing it, and I did it for like five years, five and a half years. It, it just was a massive grind. It just, I dreaded it. Yeah, I can see. Like, I literally dreaded it. I, I, I can would see wake how that would up happen. And I'm just like, fuck. And I'm there, and I'm looking at my watch every couple of minutes. You know how much time is left? It's just become <laughs> so monotonous that it's just, you know, and you oh, deal yeah, with, with, you know, when you deal with money, you know, it's an emotional thing for people, of course. So you take a lot of abuse. I mean, dealers take so much abuse, and, you know, if someone's betting enough money, the casinos really just kind of ignore it. You know, if a player's cursing at you or throwing cards at you and they're betting enough money, you know, no one's going to have your back. They're not going to kick out, you know, a million-dollar or $5 million, you know, marker player, you know, for cursing or berating a dealer. I mean, yeah, it's just no, that's not, not the way it works. Yep. It doesn't work that way. So. Okay, so let, let's uh, – so getting – Going on with the list here, which we're getting towards the end of. Uh, so, sorry for these rants. I've no, 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 no. It's interesting. Bottled up. No, it's I've interesting. Been in the house. It's interesting. I've been in the house probably ninety-five percent of the time for the last month and a half. Barely leaving my house. So, this is kind of like a uh, event for me. You know, an interaction with everyone. That you know, to be able to. No, talk. it's good. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm not saying I, I'm some shut-in. But, you know, I, I'm just saying I haven't, you know, I'm not going to lie to anyone. I, I, I've i been home a lot. I, and, I, uh, I know you, know you enjoy these Vegas segments. You always have a lot to add, so that's good. Uh, yeah. So we have, uh, so the next one on the list here is Paris, and of course that's owned by Caesars. Uh, Planet Hollywood, which uh, is also owned by Caesars, that's pretty well known. The Plaza, as you were talking about before, was once a... Uh, Jackie Gone uh, Casino is now owned by the uh, Tamaras Group. I've never heard of them. Uh, the Rampart, I, I did not know they are owned by Marriott. Well, it's, it, it, no, they're not owned by, okay, 
they okay. It's very very interesting, and I, and I will truthfully keep this short. It's called the JW Marriott. They're literally about a quarter mile on the same road that the Suncoast is, but they have been screwed. They've been they've had it stuck in their ass in the worst way possible. That place has had more turnover, probably at six owners at least, and out of bankruptcy, uh, the casino part of it since I've lived here. And the reason why is because there is a zoning law that after the Suncoast, where the property line ends, they were not zoned to have, they're not allowed, they fought for years and they kept losing. They're not allowed to have signage in front. You go to the Suncoast, there's a big electronic sign, you know, I don't know, a thousand feet in the air, a marquee, you know, all lit up. You could see it miles away. And then right past that point, you're not allowed to have these kind of signs. Oh. <laughs> so if you drive by it, you would you would think they're condos. You'd have no fucking clue that there's a, a, a resort and a, a casino right there. No idea. No idea. Wow, especially at night. You can't see anything because they weren't allowed to light it up. The sun goes fucked up, basically. Um, anyhow. The Marriott owns the casino, or the Marriott owns the hotel, which is very, very nice. It's a very nice, uh, it's a category eight hotel. So unless you have, you know, I know you like people get the free Marriott mites or, you know, whatever, uh, but it's a high end category Marriott. Uh, it's known for its spa, its gorgeous rooms. The casino is not owned by Marriott. The casino has been owned and managed by various companies. I know for a while the company that, uh, owned the, the cannery was managing it. I don't know who it is now. I'm sure you're going to tell me somebody else, but it's turned over probably at least six times over the past decade, if not more. Wow. Okay. And there's no poker room and it's very, very small. And it, 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 it doesn't get, uh, you know, cause a lot of people don't even know about it. Uh, you could drive by it. And I promise you, Druff, you would not even know there's a casino, especially at night. Wow. Okay, so the Red Rocco, it's a station casino, probably their, their best property. It's uh, kind of out there, but uh, for those that live in that area, it's a very popular place. And we have a uh, listener who works at the Red Rock. Uh, the Rio, of course, uh, Caesars property and uh, rapidly going downhill and becoming more and more irrelevant every year, aside from the World Series. Uh, Samstown is owned by Boyd. Santa Fe Station owned by stations. Now, uh, there's Silver Sevens. Where Where is that? I've heard of it, but I've, I don't think I've seen it. Where is Silver Sevens? You know what? I know the name. Uh, I, I don't recall being in there. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at it. it. I'm going to Google it right now. Silver Sevens uh, is, owned is, by is Affinity Gaming. Where is that? Where is it located? Don't know. <laughs> I've heard of it, too, and I've never... I, I don't... Uh... Yeah, is it... I remember it was like... Silver Sevens, where there's like seven, the number seven is part of the name. Sure enough, it's the the V part of the V on Silver and Sevens is is a number seven. Now where it is, I don't know. Uh, Silver Seven Casino, it's on the corner. It has to be very, 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 very small. Uh, in fact, I'm looking at it now. It's on the corner of Flamingo and Paradise. That's near the Hard Rock. Oh, okay, okay. Um, you know, I probably have seen it. I just forgot it. It says it's a small Southwest style budget casino. Oh wait, is, oh it, it doesn't even it doesn't even have table games. Oh, you know what? So is that, is even... that uh, did that take over what we used to be? Uh, oh, what was the name of that thing? 
There was one like right across that uh, apartment complex on Flamingo and Colville. Uh, talking about Terribles? No, it wasn't Terribles. It was another one. I'm forgetting the name of it. It was a small place. I remember I once tried to call there and they never answered their phone. <laughs> That's, I think that may be what it is. But yeah, it, it, it's on Paradise. It's very small. Uh, Silverton, owned by Edward Roski Jr. I've never been in the Silverton, but uh, I've seen it around. Uh, the Silverton is right off Blue Diamond Road in I-15. It used to be a casino when I first moved here called Boomtown. Uh, Silverton is a local casino. It has the city's only, uh, not that you need more than one, Bass Pro Shop uh, inside it. Yeah, you can see that um, from the freeway. Has, you can see the Bass Pro Shop from the freeway. It has a huge, a very, very massive saltwater sea aquarium inside it. And just last week, the first ever Cracker Barrel in the state of Nevada opened up on the premises. Oh, interesting. At, at the Silverton. The Silverton caters to... Uh, locals, it caters a lot to truck drivers, over-the-road drivers. They have a big RV lot for truckers to hook up for electricity and, and or even RVs and then come in and gamble or even, you know, get a shower. Um, it, it's, it's a nice locals casino. There'd be no reason for anyone to go there unless you wanted, you know, to look at the Bass Pro Shops or, uh, you know, if you're into fishing or freshwater fishing, it, it, I've heard. Uh, I've seen it. I, I don't think I've walked through it, but I've heard it's amazing. Uh, but other than that, you know, if you were here on vacation, there really wouldn't be any need, uh, you know, to go there. There's, you know, other than the aquarium and the Bass Pro Shop, those are the two selling points of what draws people there that otherwise wouldn't go there. And there's the the Fail SLS, formerly the the Sahara, which is uh, current. Silver Sevens is the old Terribles. On oh, it, it is all terribles. Okay, I, th- I thought it was terribles. Confirmed by the Hanson kid, one hundred percent. Okay, okay. I didn't shout th- out to that Hanson kid. I didn't think it was terrible, but I guess that's what it is. That kid. The SLS, uh, you know, the former Sahara, said all kinds of fail. Currently, uh, Stockbridge, Stockbridge uh, Capital Partners is uh, managing it. I think it's owned by a few people at the moment, but big fail. Uh, the South Point, which is the First thing you see, first casino you see uh, in the Vegas area, of course, uh, you know, driving north of the 15, you will uh, go to Prim first and see the Buffalo Bills and those casinos there. And also in Gene, there's that one casino. But the first thing in the Vegas area you will see will be the South Point. And uh, that is... What used, to be, what used to be the first casino you'd see before it closed down about six, seven years ago. It was there for about 30 years. Used to be able to play... Nickel roulette. When I moved here, it was the only place. I mean, you can't even find quarter roulette anywhere. You could play literally five cents on a spin of a roulette wheel. What was it? It was named after, or I don't know if it was named after, but it shared the same name of a famous ice cream product. Huh. Anyone? Don't know. The Klondike. For some reason, I don't know that one. Klondike. That was the first casino uh, way out there where like Mandalay Bay is even further. It was the first casino you'd approach coming into Vegas. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I mean, this is a South Point is owned by Michael Gaughan, as you were talking about earlier. Uh, Slots of Fun, which is uh, right next to uh, Circus Circus, and it's a dump. It's always been a dump. It's not just a dump today. It was a dump uh, 30 years ago. Slots of Fun is owned by MGM, as Circus Circus is. Uh, 
it's lots of fun is actually one of the last casinos to ID me. Uh, I forgot how old I was. I was in my my mid thirties or something, and uh, someone who was visiting Vegas from out of the area really wanted to go there for some reason, so I went with them. The dealers were very rude, and uh, I was also ID'd there. And if it wasn't shocking enough that I was ID'd, someone who was ten years older than me and did not look young for his age was also ID'd at Slots of Fun. <laughs> to show you how outrageous that is, that the guy who got uh, ID'd, you know, he's actually 12 years older. He's, he's now uh, 56. The Stratosphere, uh, you were talking about uh, Carl Icahn owning that, this Whitehall Street real estate funds. Suncoast is owned by Boyd. Sunset Station and Texas Station are station casinos. The uh, Treasure Island was which was once uh, an MGM property, not anymore. And what what is the backstory on that? I'm forgetting. The backstory on that was they went massively, grotesquely over budget in building City Center, and they needed to sell it. Now, if you look at that part of the strip. Starting from what used to be owned, you know, by MGM, the Treasure Island, all the way down the line, okay, with the exception of Caesars, they were all MGM properties. Think about it, Treasure Island and the Mirage, then you had the Bellagio, and it would have been the Aria, and, and Excalibur, Luxor, Monte Carlo, New York, New York, Mandalay Bay, it's boom, true. True. all of them. But they ran out of money, uh, as people kind of forget, remember, City Center was in... Uh, Business it was a company. It was in, in Saudi Arabia, I believe. No, it was somewhere in in uh, the Middle East. I think it was Saudi Arabia. Anyhow, they wouldn't give them any more money. They needed money. Phil or uh, Rifkin, Phil Ruffin, Ruffkin. Sorry, yeah, he, he was actually it's Ruffin. Funny enough. Phil Ruffin. He yeah, he was on high. Yeah, he was on high stakes poker. Ruffkin needed a casino. He owned a casino that was right across the street. Uh, from the wind, it was called the Frontier, then later named, I mean, this is real catchy, the New Frontier. And then that was demolished, and he didn't know what he was going to do. And he ended up purchasing it from MGM, which needed the $400, $500 uh, And he's been known, uh, people were not happy when he bought it. He's been known over the years as being very, very frugal, and now he runs his property. In fact, someone I know from PFA that used to work at, at, a, at a business inside TI told me a lot of the many changes and, and, and cost-cutting measures he made once he purchased it from uh, MGM. Um, and uh, he was also famously on a season of high-stakes poker where uh, he called with, like, second pair with no kicker for, like, a $400,000 pop versus Viffer. And as Gabe Kaplan and A.J. Benza pointed out, you know, there's no point ever in bluffing a guy that has so much money that, I mean, you just, it, it means nothing to him. Like, he literally, it was Viffer that, that played this pot. Anyone interested, go ahead, put it on YouTube and watch it, because it's really kind of amazing. I mean, the <laughs> guy just called without fear, and it ended up being like almost half a million dollars that he called with. I can tell you exactly what he had. He had, like, he had king on an ace-high board. When the board was complete, he had king, a king with, like, a rag, like king three, one pair, on, like, an ace-high board. And I think there might have even been a flush that got there. But anyhow, he's the owner of uh, Treasure Island. Okay. 
Tropicana, this is a weird one. Tropicana is owned by Tropicana Las Vegas Ho- Hotel and Resort. What did, what they're not owned by is Tropicana Entertainment. And what's weird about that is Tropicana Entertainment owns casinos, including Tropicana Laughlin. So it's not a Tropicana Entertainment property. Uh, the Mont Blue in, uh, in Lake Tahoe is also owned by Tropicana Entertainment, but the Tropicana Las Vegas is not owned by Tropicana Entertainment, which is very strange, but that's that's the truth. And the Tropicana and, in Laughlin is not owned, is owned by the one that's in Atlantic City, isn't that correct? Yeah, it's the same thing. The Atlantic City, that's also the same Tropicana Entertainment. The, just the one in Vegas is separate from all those. Yeah, so, the one in Vegas is the Doubletree Hotel, the, the hotel part. But it's so strange that Tropicana Entertainment, a casino uh, company that owns several casinos around the country, the Belle of Baton Rouge and the Mont Blue and the and Tropicana Atlantic City, Tropicana Laughlin, they don't own Tropicana Vegas. It's a separate company. So that's, that's a bit misleading. Then uh, the Tuscany. The Tuscany is uh, owned by uh, Tuscany Hotel LLC. I think that's the one I was thinking of before that's... Uh, that I thought was uh, the Silver Sevens. Uh, Venetian, of course, owned by Sheldon Allison, the Las Vegas Sands Incorporated. Of course, that was once the that was actually once the Las Vegas Sands, that hotel, before it became the Venetian. They still have a Sands Convention Center over there, which is named for the old properties to be part of. The Westgate, former Las Vegas Hilton, which was once a big deal in the seventies and eighties. Is now a once the biggest hotel in terms of room size in the world. Yep, that's when I stayed there. In fact, I used to stay there a lot in the eighties, and then uh, it got replaced by the new biggest hotel in the world by room size, which was what MGM. Very good. Yep. So the Westgate, you know, it's a total has been. It's a dump now. It's really uh, gone downhill. It still, it still has a very big sports book. So the the Westgate sports book is still uh, respected, but that's the only relevant thing. Over there still. I remember the, they called it Superbook in the 80s because it was such a huge sports book. Wild Wild West, you mentioned that earlier. That's owned by Station Casinos, even though it doesn't have Station in the name. And uh, finally... That's kind of like their, that's kind of like their embarrassing stepchild property. <laughs> it kind of is. No, seriously, it is. They don't. Well, I mean, their rooms are like budget, like budget suites. Like their cylinder block rooms. The casino's dumpy. I mean, it's a very... I would have to even guess it's on Tropicana, not in a great area. I'd have to guess if it was even evaluated, like, uh, you know, in terms of what it's worth. I mean, that's kind of like a casino. You could probably write a check for what you, what you got in your Bovada account right now. <laughs> well, actually, no, obviously not. But you know what I mean? It's just not – it's a very low-end property. That's why they don't promote it. And when you see all the station casinos listed on a fly or something – if you do see it at all, it'll be in very, 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 very small print. Yeah, and then we have, uh, of course, the win. They have one rest there. By the way, they have one restaurant there to eat. Okay. You're staying there in the hotel. You have one restaurant. What do you think it is? Uh, McDonald's. It's a Denny's. A Denny's. That's better. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just saying though. That's that's where you're eating if you're staying there. You have one <laughs> choice: Denny's. Okay, so and uh, so the win, of course, is owned by Win Resort. So that's that's our list. I, I think I skipped one actually, accidentally. It was uh, Hooters, which is owned, and that's been a big fail. Hooters has been owned by a Trinity Hotel Investments, uh, and that's that's been sold. Uh, what I felt was a fail with Hooters. First of all, it has a bad location, but 
I felt that Hooters just wasn't attracting people because in in Vegas, having a hotel themed around uh, a restaurant where the waitresses wear tight shirts that have big tits, it's in Vegas that's not big of a deal. It, and, and you know what? This is something else I don't get. The Palms had a restaurant that was there since its inception, two of them. One was called Little Buddha. That was their Asian, Japanese, sushi, whatever. And they also had a Mexican place. I don't remember the name of it. They eliminated both those restaurants two years ago. And then they had some rebranding. They had just a whole area closed. And about six months ago, they opened it as a two-story Hooters. There's a two-story Hooters inside Palms. <laughs> Did you know that? No. So I, I never really understood. There's a Hooters casino with a Hooters restaurant inside. Then there's other standalone Hooters restaurants that are just within the city. And then the Palms, after all that market saturation, opens up a two-story Hooters in the Palms. This isn't like 1988 where like Hooters is such a brand name for wings that you have to go there. Now, granted, I will say this. I do like their wings. If you are a wing person, I've eaten, you know, I, I like my wings during football or whatever, but I don't understand this. And, and what, what do you think I'm reading in the paper that the two-story Hooters inside the Palms is tremendously struggling? <laughs> go figure. Like, who makes these decisions? I don't understand. If someone came to you and you were the CEO of Palms or the head of food and beverage. And they said, what do you think, Mr. Wittellis, of putting a two-story Hooters where our nice Japanese restaurant and Mexican restaurant used to be? What would you advise them? No, I'd say absolutely when not. You know that there's a Hooter. It doesn't. There's like eight Hooters in this city. Like it doesn't <laughs> make sense. Anyhow. Yeah, the Hooters sorry, actually on. had a scam uh, casino promotion that I got caught up in. Uh, th this was really annoying. I saw billboards around the city. This is probably around 05 or something. I saw billboards around the city that they give you a $200 free slot play for a new account there. With it. So I said, all right. So I went down there with my then girlfriend and we figured we'd both get cards there, get our 200 free slot play, run the slot play and, uh, cash out whatever it makes. That was the plan. Went down there. Stood in a line, and uh, then they processed our f new card. It takes a little time. They give us our free slot play, and they hand $400, you know, they're 200 for each of us, four, four $100 bills to a Hooters employee. And I'm thinking, oh, what, what, what's this about? They tell us to follow her. She walks us to a small bank of slot machines, and I see her feed each of these $100 bills, you know, two of them into my machine, two of them into my girlfriend's machine, and tells us the rules. The rules are that you now have $200 in slot credits, that if you can get it up to $1,700, that they will give you $100. <laughs> and that's it. If you get more than $1,700 in slot credits, you don't get any more than that. If you don't, then you have to keep playing until either you bust or you get up to 1700 So I said, wait a minute. This isn't 200 in free slot play. This is just 200 in fake money. That they, I mean, Yes, they feed $200 bills in there, but you never touch them. They might as well feed a million dollars, and it doesn't matter what they put in. They might as well feed $1. It doesn't matter. What they're doing is they're giving you uh, 
an opportunity to play special promotional slot machines. These weren't regular slot machines. That that uh, and see if you could run up two hundred in phony credits, up to seventeen hundred in phony credits to get a hundred dollars. So we both tried and failed, and we walked away with nothing, as did just about everybody else there that I saw. Uh, I heard that before we had our thing, it was even worse, that uh, a few months earlier, when they had just started this promotion, the machines weren't high variance enough. So people were literally sitting there for hours and hours and hours trying to grind to get to 1700 And some would get up to like 1400 and then slip back down and grind and grind and grind, and then eventually bust after playing like seven hours there. Before they uh, retooled the machines, so that was that would have been really maddening. Like, at what point do you just quit? But uh, I, I thought that was like a scam because that was a. It, I thought it was like false advertising. If it said two hundred dollars free slot play, it should really be two hundred in free slot play. Now, if they want to exclude things, that that would be fine. If they want to say you can't play these certain high return machines, fine. But to put you in a special bank of a few machines and then you're not playing for real money, you're just playing for phony credits. That's not two hundred to free slot play. In fact, it can't Sounds be very unsavory. It was very unsavory. So, anyway, that was that was Hooters, and uh, that was my uh, my one experience there. Okay, so let, let's go to the next topic here. We have another Vegas topic, not about uh, specific casinos anymore. But uh, Brandon, if if you have a desire to go to In and Out Burger, do you ever go to the In and Out that's on Tropicana by the Strip, or do you stay away from it? No, I, I haven't been there, and maybe. 10, 12 years, when I lived on that side of town, which I don't anymore, uh, I was kind of in the halfway point uh, to one that was either, I had two options. I could go to that one, which was on TROP and, and basically Las Vegas Boulevard or close to it, or I-15, I or one on Sahara. Yeah, that's uh, the one I always went to. Which is funny enough, right next to the, you want your $50 back. There's an In-N-Out Burger right ne- uh, next to the formerly now closed... Uh, Oriental Angels. And even though it was closer, because I, I was on right off Trop, I was in um, Flamingo, but closer to Trop on, on Jones, basically, I would always go to the one on Sahara, even though it was longer, I guess, because the one on Tropicana was an absolute fucking nightmare. It was a zoo. Yeah, it's terrible. It's and a, now it's, I'm very lucky. I have one. I have one. There's one on Tropicana and Fort Apache. Uh, I don't know if you do it right past Fort Apache and Tropicana. No, I didn't even know about you know, that one. North. Yeah, I know that's been there for a while. And that it doesn't matter. It's still packed, but it's nowhere near the madhouse and the fucking comical craziness that the other one is. I, I almost got hit in the parking lot in the, in the Tropicana. Because you have all these idiot tourists coming over there. Everyone's like, oh, my God, in and out. All these, all these East Coast people that have never been to it before. California people who think it's some kind of gimmick to go to in and out in Vegas, which it shouldn't be, but to them it is. So they yeah. see in and out Everybody goes over there. The parking lot is not very big and very well, well designed. So, uh, you know, I almost got hit by cars pulling in. I, I, I had – when I tried to pull out of there – I had constant tourists walking behind my car and not giving a shit that I was trying to pull out. So I had to wait and wait and wait and wait until I could finally move. Uh, it, it was, the, the place was a zoo. It took forever to get my food. I said, never again. I only go to the, the Sahara one, which is uh, just locals there. So uh, one thing that has been sorely lacking from the Las Vegas Strip has been In-N-Out Burger. The closest thing to a strip In-N-Out was that one on Tropicana, and it's terrible. Well, there's going to be a... Strip in and out burger. Where do you think it's going to be? Where we're on the strip, I don't know. It's going to be at the Link, at the Link uh, Shopping Center, not the Link Hotel. So there, the Link is going to have an in and out burger, 
and uh, this one will at least be a lot easier to access if you are staying at one of the hotels that are around there because you just walk over there. I don't know what the prices will be. Do you think they're going to jack up the prices? Because every In-N-Out, In-N-Out is different than a lot of other burger chains because they have no franchises. So every single location of In-N-Out charges the exact same price. So I'm wondering, is this In-N-Out going to deviate from that because of the likely very high rent to be over on the link? Or are they going to stick to their pricing model? I don't know. But uh, there will be in and out uh, that's on the uh, it's it's part of the the link. It's a very good question because even uh, well, I mean the, the only thing even close to that that I could even think of is in Laughlin. There's an in and out burger. Funny enough, there's one in and out burger. Sure, you you've probably eaten. I, if I had to wager, I'm a gambling man. I would bet without knowing any other knowledge. I would bet you've eaten more than once at the in and out burger in Laughlin. No, nope. I win or lose. I haven't. You lose. You've never eaten there? Nope. All the times you've gone there for free play or whatnot? Nope, never, never eaten there, there, no. Wow. Well, anyhow, that In-N-Out Burger, which is right across the street, you know, on the, the Laughlin Strip, if, if you call it that, same price as the In-N-Out Burger here. Uh, it's very, very standard. Um, that's a very good question. During the World Series, I met uh, up with this kid uh, from PFA, and we were hungry. It was like four in the morning. We went to, uh, what's that place that has the, uh, white castle, I'm not sure. whatever that casino is. I think it's O'Shea's or was it anyhow? And we went to a subway, a six inch sandwich. We're going to get like a Turkey sandwich, six inch, six inch sandwich was like $8 and 79 cents yeah. for tur- Turkey. I, I was like, they were, they were the most jacked up prices. And I, I get it. Like, I figured I'd pay six bucks or so, but I just couldn't pay, like, over nine bucks with tax. Yeah, I, I, like, you know, I hate that, too. I hate when something you're familiar with, just a regular standard product you're familiar with, is just jacked way up because of where you are. Because that's, like, the worst value because, you know, you're... I mean, like, okay, here's an example. The Orleans has a subway in their food court, and I think it's, it is jacked up, but a little bit. It's maybe 50 cents more for a six-inch or 75 cents for, like, something premium, like a dollar, dollar fifty at the most. At the most. It's still manageable. You're not going to get into the yeah. 10 11 $12 range. Right. I, I had one like that, too. I'll tell you where I've had one like this. In Bryce Canyon, which is a it's – a, it's a pretty interesting thing in Utah to see. It's uh, I've been there. Yeah. So Bryce Canyon has one big problem. That is the food in Bryce Canyon is horrendous. Every restaurant there is expensive, and it's a total fail. Like, it's an, like every restaurant there is awful and is expensive. So it's, it's literally impossible to find anywhere good to eat in Bryce Canyon. So – I, I was like, you know what? Maybe I should just go to like a subway here because that just avoids that problem. But then I was reading the reviews for that subway. Oh, I was like, Casino Royale. That handsome kid, he's just too fast. To yeah, Casino Royale. So, That's so. where they have two places to eat. in uh, The White Castle and then Subway. And I went with White Castle. I wasn't going to pay fucking 10 bucks yeah, for that's, a six that's crazy. sandwich. Yeah, so, so in, 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 in Bryce Canyon, I was, uh, I was reading the reviews. Oh, the prices are so jacked up. I can't believe this. So I actually just said, you know what? I've got to overpay somewhere here in Bryce Canyon, so I'd rather just be Subway than some like fail steakhouse where the steak is terrible and I'm paying like uh, you know like prime steakhouse prices. So I went uh, to Subway, and shockingly, it was not jacked up like the way they said. It was it was a little higher, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, it was maybe like twenty percent more than the prices at a, at, a, at a standard cheaper Subway. So I said, oh, I was pleasantly surprised. So anyway, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying, though. So anyway, In and Out. Uh, we'll see what they do with their prices. They they do have very high standards. In and Out, 
they the reason they are so beloved is that they really really care about their product and they don't franchise because they don't want any franchise screwing up the brand. Because the problem with franchised fast food places is that the franchise owner all they care about is the money they're making. They don't care about how the how the brand looks. They don't give a crap if you go to like if you're a franchise McDonald's owner, you don't care about how other McDonald's look. You only you care know what. About- Speaking of which, what do you guys think? I think they make a really good sub. What do you guys think? I know they're in California. I, I, I know they're on the East Coast. What do you all think of Jersey Mike's? I actually haven't been there. Or if I have, it's been like near once. you? None very close to me here. And, and I've, I oh. may have been to one once, but I don't remember it. I don't know if I've either been there once or never. Trader Ruski? I have not been there. I did notice there's one probably a mile or two away from me. But I've heard it's Calawat? good, but I have not. Been no, Calawat's gone. He went to sleep about uh, forty-five minutes ago. Sisop. <laughs> we can't. We can't invent. Uh, no, we can't go back in time and bring Sisop back. He's uh, he's he's not a co-host tonight. So okay. Uh, yeah. So that's that's coming. We'll see what happens with that. It, it's it's forecasted sometime in the fall. I don't have an exact date. That'll be at the oh, link. Oh, by the way, I think Sisop was one of the people I took down when I won the uh, tournament tonight. Oh, you won the tournament tonight. Wow. So, Trader Risky, it's really good to hear your voice, buddy. You know what? I, I texted Trader Risky. I was worried. I hadn't I hadn't texted with him since uh, July 21st, so I, I thought... Uh, I was all, I was so fucked up. He had sent me a text, and I, I went to respond later that night or the next day. I sent it to his dad. <laughs> I swear to God, I did. Wait, how do you have his dad's number? Uh, because I met his dad, and, and he uh, suggested some book, funny enough, about migraines. And he gave me his number, and I, I, it said Trader Ruski's dad in my contact. I don't even, <laughs> no offense, I don't even remember his first name. And I said, thank God it wasn't anything about topless women and blow, because if it was, you know, if Trader Ruski didn't live such a healthy, pristine lifestyle, his dad would have gotten the text about the hookers, topless women, titties, and blow. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. I got some... Noise in the background. So it, so where is the location of the new In and Out Burger? It's it's in the Link somewhere in the Link shopping uh, area, not not the Link Hotel. Oh, yeah, that of course link. that makes sense because it's going to be impossible to get to. Well, that was, was that's not. Well, what I'm saying here it's is in they, that it's in that you're saying it's in that area where they have that. Uh, there's a uh, what's that fucking yard house? There's a yard house. Yeah, all that stuff. All you, yeah, you can't drive into it. You have to you have to walk into it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it, it makes sense. They'll get excellent foot traffic there. No, they'll get I'm excellent traffic. Yes. But you're right. I wonder if they. You know what? Let's make a let's make a friendly wager. Uh, just the three of us. What what what? We'll start with Trader Ruski. Do you think that they're going to artificially inflate their prices? This will be I the only in and out location. Do. No, I mean, I bet they did a deal with them just for traffic. And I'm sure they said that we have to keep our prices the way they are. I mean, maybe fifty. You know, I I agree with Trader Ruski because I, I as I was starting to say, they're 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 so obsessed with their brand, and and I I don't see that uh, just just to in that one one location to make a little more money that they'll jack up the prices because they had to pay higher rent there. I I agree that because they're such a big name and everyone's so excited to hear that they're there. Uh, that they they may have gotten some kind of deal with uh, with Caesars to get a cheaper rent over there, or just uh, thinking that it'll bring people in there. Well, I mean, whatever whatever the rent is, they're going to make an absolute killing. I mean, it's going to who's going to eat at McDonald's or any of the other food court places on the strip if they know they could have In and Out Burger? Yeah. So that's uh, 
that that's I, I it is surprising it took this long to get one there. I always wondered when I saw that crappy one on Tropicana why there wasn't one that was just easily accessible from the strip. So now we're gonna have one. Yeah, so in the last three months the city has gotten its first Kia. Uh you know that that what is it, Swedish furniture place? Uh, IKEA. IKEA, whatever, yeah. I've never been inside. It's one. a piece of it's crap, uh, but yeah, yeah. I've never, yeah, and supposedly there's like a restaurant inside. Someone was telling me people go there and they eat, and they're on the internet all day. I don't understand. And as I mentioned, we had our we got our first Cracker Barrel, which I know there are not any in California because this is the furthest out west that they've. Uh, Druff, have you ever eaten a Cracker Barrel? Yes, I think I ate one at in one at St. George, of all places. Yep, that's that's St. George and Kingman are the two closest ones to Vegas before this one opened. What what were your thoughts of it? Uh, it must have been unmemorable because I don't remember it. <laughs> Trader Risky Cracker Barrel. I have not. I don't think maybe years ago because that's an East Coast chain, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, it would have been many years ago. If you ever take a a drive, especially down I ten or I twenty, you'll see one about every exit. Uh, that's normally like what what that's what their business model is. Like, they're always right off highways. You know, they're never, like, in the city. Even the one that they just built, right off I-15 and Blue Diamond. Uh, I'm a big Cracker Barrel fan. I love their – I'm not much of a breakfast person, but when I do, uh, they – they it's Uncle Her- – uh, I think it's the – yeah, the Uncle Herschel breakfast. Good stuff. Oh. Really, really good. Get my eggs poached, hash brown casserole, my grits. Uh, very, very, very good stuff. Okay, so that's – Next time you come to Vegas – Take little Benny there. He'll like it. Okay. You know, Ben, actually, he just uh, he just started to uh, take after me. They don't he, have olives, though. They ben, don't have olives. Ben, ben really likes He's He's learned that he really likes uh, eggs over hard. That's uh, For a while, he kind of got away from eggs. He got sick of scrambled eggs. He just didn't really like eggs if he said we're having eggs. But now I, I made eggs over hard for him, and he loves them. So that's uh, just like me now. He's, uh, he's going to be getting that. Okay, so uh, there's a 24-hour total rewards desk. In Las Vegas, if for the Caesars Total Rewards program, I only learned of this recently, and it's it actually can be useful because there have been times that I've wanted a Total Rewards to be open, and there isn't one. I think they usually close at eleven, and and you have to wait till the next day, and it's a pain in the ass. There is one that is twenty four hours, and I think they can do just about everything that you would need Total Rewards to do. Uh, Trader Ruski, do you have any idea where that would be? I even read it in your post earlier. But I have no clue. You don't remember, okay? Uh, Brandon, do you know where it would be? I I don't know. I read it in the post as well. If I had to take a guess, yikes! I would logic would dictate it would either be Rio or Caesars. Uh, I'm gonna it's a coin flip. Rio, Caesars, Rio, Caesars. I'm gonna say Caesars. Now don't bother flipping the coin. Both are wrong. It's actually in the Cromwell. Never would have guessed that. The Cromwell has a 24-hour total rewards desk that is a full-feature total rewards desk. And so if you ever need any kind of total rewards card service and it's the middle of the night, you don't have to wait till 9 a.m. or whenever the hell that thing opens. Uh, just go to the Cromwell if it's, you know, if it's urgent, of course. If it's not, if it can wait till and tomorrow. And by the way, that Hanson kid's telling me that IKEA is known for their Swedish meatballs, elderberry jam, and cheap, semi-stylish, do it yourself. Put together furniture. Yeah, that's. Uh, Sorry about the dog. Yeah, I. I, I, I dog, right, the, the Hanson kid. He's. Uh, uh, you know the Hanson kid. I think he actually drove away one of our posters. 
Which one? That I am professional talk guy. He uh, he he hated yeah, the hands. Wasn't the guy that was trolling that? Well, yes, yeah. Well, well he, I guess I guess I guess it's more fair to say that I am professional talk drove away himself. But he uh, he was trolling the Hanson kid really hard. Uh, people really weren't really getting on board for it, and uh, and so I read it. I, I am professional talk left. I didn't see anything in there that really backed up his allegations. No, that's what I was saying. I was saying, uh, you know, if you've got, I said, it I'm seemed not, like it was some personal vendetta. That's what it seemed like. like. He was obsessed with the Hanson kid. Hanson kid put a bad beat on him once, or something like that. Lindgren did to me, and now it's just personal. Yeah, it was weird because like the guy was otherwise a good poster, and I, I think he was like a big sports better too. He he made really big yeah, sports bets. He posted like I, I liked him this I am professional talk, but he just for some oh. reason he flipped out as far as the Hanson kid went. I didn't get it. Well, it should just be a heads up trade with maybe a poster to be named later. <laughs> okay, so uh, so that's that's it for the uh, poker and gambling topics. But I, I want one more general topic here, and I, I don't know how much experience you have with this. Uh, I know you've done it before, but I don't know if you. Uh, Go as far as I do for for all the tricks. Uh, that is for booking flights. I, I've had to. What's this in the What's this in the background? Who's, who's making the background noise? Uh-huh. Who's making all the background noise here? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hearing water pouring. I think I think we lost Trader Ruski. I think that only leaves one. No, uh, no, no. I was on mute. Oh, you're here too. Okay. Yeah, but guys, I gotta say good night. Um, drop. Can you just roll over the money I won for next week? Oh, thank you. Very, very generous, Trader. Trader Ruski, such a, a generous guy, and uh, he once again comes through. Right. And, he, uh, he he's donating his his free roll winnings of uh, tonight. Uh, let's see what it was. I don't remember what it was. Uh, Thirty five dollars. So thank you, Traders. Oh, nice. Okay, and then Brandon, I sent you a DM on Twitter. Check it out because I want to talk to you about that. Okay, buddy. Yeah. It's good to hear your Tonight, voice, guys. man. I missed okay, you, buddy. You yeah, good, good, too, to hear, good to have you back, Trader Ruski. Yeah, and I'll be in town next month uh, for a conference. I'll see you then, Brandon. And if Are you going to be at your then, normal headquarters? Most likely. I may have, I may stay at the Bellagio because that's where it is. We'll see. Okay, buddy. I'll talk with you soon. All right. All right cool. We'll talk to you All later, right. Trader Ruski. All right. All right, Jeff. All right, guys. So that's Trader Ruski there, the uh, quiet co-host we have frequently on the show. Good, good kid. He is a good kid. So, uh, I've had to book some flights recently for upcoming uh, trips I'm going to be taking. Nothing too soon. Don't hey, worry. Hey, let me let me let me call you back on Skype. Okay, you can do that. Thank you. Okay. Hopefully, we won't have to hear any water pouring either. So, I, I've been going through the arduous process of booking flights and. Uh, I, I want to share with you some things that I've learned in recent years because the, the process of buying flights, of buying airline tickets, and even choosing your seats and uh, other airline matters are not uh, the same as they used to be. A lot of things have changed. Uh, the airline industry – What the hell is arduous? I mean I know you're very well spoken and very well read, but I don't think I've ever heard that word arduous. It's it's kind of like uh, kind of like uh, tough and uh, and uh, hard. It's kind of like a difficult thing. That's what the arduous is, but requiring a lot of work. So I, I was. Uh, it, it's changed a lot. It started. The changes really started after nine eleven, and the airline industry really had to reconstruct itself something that you'll never see again or rarely see i shouldn't say never but rarely see was a uh, the the 9-11 planes that were chosen they weren't chosen at random they were chosen because these were flights that typically had were not full in fact flights that were pretty pretty empty historically i'm not sure how the terrorists 
knew that, but they, they knew it. And uh, that's why those were chosen because they didn't want to manage a whole – a full plane of people because you know, then people get unruly. And uh, what happened with that fourth flight where they fought back, that's what they, the terrorists wanted to avoid. So uh, after 9-11 and people were afraid to fly and the airline industry was really suffering – uh, they had to make a lot of changes, and that pretty much changed the whole industry. Now, the industry became profitable again, but uh, a lot of things are very different. And in addition, since then, there's been a big rise, even more than there was in the late 90s, as that was already rising, the the rise of third-party online sites to do booking. And then there's uh, also the rise of informational sites that help the traveler – make the right choices, such as how to pick the right seats on airplanes. And uh, and not all seats on airplanes are created equal, and I'm not just talking about the obvious, like first class versus coach. Uh, but there's also not all fares are created equal. And you do know, of course, I'm sure, that airline fares are constantly jumping up and down. And with airline fares, it's different than getting something like a hotel, because unless you do the stupid thing of, of – getting some kind of discount for buying in advance, which is rarely a good idea in a hotel. That's another subject for another time. But uh, usually with hotels, you can cancel very close to when uh, you're staying there, even sometimes the same day, and get a full refund. It depends on the policy, but hotels, you're usually not committing very much uh, if something were to happen in the future. Airlines are different. Airlines, unfortunately, the penalty for changing, except for a few airlines that don't have any change fees, but, but for the vast majority of airlines... You're pretty much committed. You're pretty much pot committed to them. And the change fee is often so high, it, it starts to approach the whole cost of the ticket. So usually once you have uh, purchased an airline ticket, you're, you're committing to go and you better hope nothing happens. Yeah, you can buy this failed trip insurance and stuff, but I, I don't even bother with that crap because I've – honestly, I've never ended up uh, missing a trip where I've already bought airline tickets. Uh, I, I, you know, I did run re- really well one time, Brandon. Brandon, have you ever bought tickets for you and a girl to go somewhere and then you break up with her before the trip takes place? Uh, no, no. I've, I've I, never I, had that. I had it happen. I had it happen in the 90s. I I've, had, never, I've never uh, had to cancel an airline ticket ever in no, my life. Okay. I, I, I had to because I had a trip to – I don't remember where it was, but some kind of uh, resort – place caesar's property no it was before those days it was in the 90s and it was uh an expensive uh round trip ticket and me and that girl broke up and uh a few we had the ticket for a few months later so this presented two problems number one i didn't want to go myself number two uh definitely wasn't going with her number three i couldn't just go transfer this to another girl that i might have been dating a few months later because uh it doesn't work that way It, it belonged to her so uh, she agreed to, you know, let me get the refund and or whatever if, uh, you know, I paid for the ticket in the first place. So she, she wasn't trying to claim the ticket or anything. She just, uh, but anyway, I thought I was just screwed. I thought I just had to eat them both. And then I got a call from, uh, an automated call from United Airlines. Hello. This call is for Todd Whittles. We are calling to inform you that your United flight on such and such day to such and such place has changed its schedule. Uh, the flight, which was previously at 11 a.m., has been changed to 11.45 a.m. Please make a note of it. This is probably like, I don't know, two months away when I got this call. 
So I called up United and I acted all outraged, saying, uh, I can't believe you've done this. I'm going to miss something important. I, I, was, I had to leave. I, I had to land at the time of, that you have scheduled for landing. I can't have this 1145. It's going to ruin the whole point of the trip. I'm not going to make I forgot what I said I had to be at. But uh, anyway, the, the agent said, well, yeah, uh, we, we can cancel the whole thing, give you a refund if you like. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So they, they canceled it and gave me the refund for both tickets which I bought together, so I didn't have to get her involved. They just refunded it back to my wow. credit card, and I, I got lucky. So uh, that, whatever made that thing. Now, they don't even have to. They, they don't even have to do that because there, there's like a certain threshold of, of what is considered a reasonable delay, even if it's preplanned. And uh, it, it's way more than 45 minutes. Uh, so. uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm getting something off the wire here. Uh, the Hanson kid. Tell Druff... I always hated Southwest because I wanted to always book a window and didn't like their general seating. But after getting reamed in the ass a few weeks ago with a $200 American Airlines change fee for a poker player traveling, Southwest is the way to go. Well, okay, I can understand for poker players who, who may not want to hang around after they bust a tournament or something. And uh, How can anyone not like that Hanson kid? Yeah, well, he's bringing up a good point here for sure. sure. Uh, the, the Southwest, I... I, I've had nothing but bad experiences with them, so I just don't fly with them anymore. I've uh, I, I had it once, you know, the non guaranteed seating where they gave me the wrong uh, like boarding pass, and then well, and the, this is the thing: I only fly Southwest to California because it's a short flight, it's cheap, or and I guess to Reno, and I've accrued enough on their credit card, which I have a Southwest, it's a, uh, it's a thing, yeah, it's a Chase card that. I built up enough loyalty and miles or whatever that I can every time I do want to hop to LA or what Palm Springs or Reno, it's going to be free. So that, and I can tolerate an hour, you know, an hour and twenty minutes at the most because that's what you know the farthest it's going to be to Reno or LA. LA is like forty minutes, but you know if it was a flight to like the Midwest or they have they have a nonstop flight every day to Florida, like I couldn't even imagine. No, that. yeah, but yeah, but, I mean, what do you think? The fact that I mean, I, yeah, I understand it's free to just for an hour flight, no frills for an hour. No, I can understand free. that. Like, like for an hour, I can put up with anything, uh, and especially if it's free. I mean, sometimes you're literally on the plane, boarding, waiting, sitting for the plane to get the, the approval to leave the runway. Then and taxi, then you're on the you are in the air. So I mean, it, it you know, yeah. So I, I like you know, I, I what I've become very loyal to when I went to. St. Martin last year and then the islands. I've flown a lot of – in Florida, I've flown a lot of JetBlue. I've uh, never taken them. And I, I, I have their credit card as well, which gave me like you know two free tickets. Um, big seats, satellite TV. I love this satellite TV. Yeah, I've heard uh, about that. That's, that's probably the best feature they have. Yeah. The only thing that, that I didn't like, and I think that's going to be everywhere. I've yet to be in an airline with good internet. Is they have that? I think it's. I don't think it's that GoGo service. It's some variant of it, but it's it's. You know, they give you this disclaimer that uh, you know for streaming, watching movies, it's not going to be good, or you know, they somehow phrase it like that. But I found just opening up sites as simple as PFA or ESPN.com or something like that. It struggles. Well, GoGo is like that sometimes too. Sometimes it's awful. Yeah. In fact, but one anyhow, time, one time anyhow, I asked for I, a I refund like because blue. of that. I, I, so wait, who are you? Who are you? Uh, what, what's your loyal? What's your favorite airline? All things considered, I actually like American the best for all their problems, and and uh, I I still like them the best, and uh, and United second, 
And, but but Southwest, like at one time they gave me this many years ago, but they gave me the wrong color boarding pass. And then when I, I noticed it myself because everyone waiting to board had a different color. I go, wait a minute, what's going on here? So I brought it up to their attention, and they said, okay, um, here, we'll, we'll give you the right one. So they gave me one like that's like last priority. And I go, wait a minute, look at look at the one you gave me that was the wrong color. It was first priority. I, I should be first priority to get on. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do about that. I go, like I, I was – I was pissed, and then and then I had another one where they outright cheated me out of a hundred dollars. That one's much more recent. That happened about seven years ago. So I was like, you know what? Uh, I, I'm just I just decided I was done with Southwest. But I I can understand why you take them, and I understand why the Hanson kid takes them if he has to uh, just see which he wants to take off after losing a tournament or whatever, and doesn't want to wait around three more days. Uh, the change fees are brutal, as I was just saying. So, but anyway, getting getting back to my point about the uh, the flights, and and I'll in fact I'll touch on why I have liked American the best. Uh, first of all, you have to be very careful with the cookies on your computer when you are booking flights. And I don't mean careful like there's going to be a security risk to you. I mean careful in that you're going to pay a lot more money, perhaps, than you otherwise would. Uh, airlines are known to save information through the cookies in your browser to know that you have an interest on a certain flight. So they will often not lower the price or sometimes even uh, uh, give you higher prices if they see that you've shown interest on a certain route. Where, Like if the price goes down, it's not going to go down for you. And when I say you, you don't have to log in for this. It's just uh, if, if the cookie saved into your browser that you've been there and you've searched a certain route, uh, they will sometimes hold the price constant or make it even go up, uh, knowing that you probably have an interest in traveling and you're probably going to buy it anyway. Uh, so here are some suggestions for using the sites. First of all, the, these uh, these aggregate sites, those ones like Kayak that uh, try to look up airfare everywhere and then show you uh, all of them, and we'll list them like from cheapest to most uh, expensive, they are not always equivalent to what you will get from going to the direct website of the airline. But don't think that going directly to the web li- the website of the airline is always better. It's not. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes you'll get a better deal directly on AA.com, United.com, Delta.com than you would on, on like Kayak or one of the other ones like Kayak. And sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes, and not even like a promoted deal or anything. Sometimes just you run the Kayak search tool, it'll show a certain price and you can click on it there and book and, uh, and and get and actually you know book a ticket that way, whereas if you went directly to the website of the airline, sometimes it'll be substantially more. Now, why that is, I don't know. I just had that myself. I just bought a ticket, and I verified this with a few different browsers, and I I, I checked it several ways. I couldn't believe it that American Airlines, uh, I paid uh, significantly less on uh, through a kayak search for the identical flight at the identical time than I did than I would have if I went to. AA.com, and it was true for all the flights from between those two airports. It wasn't even just one weird flight. Uh, so I've seen it go both ways. So always check both of them, and when you check them, open up your browser into what's known as incognito mode. Uh, it's Control-Shift-N on uh, Google Chrome. It's it's known as in-private browsing on, uh, on Microsoft Edge, I think also Internet Explorer. But just uh, you browse the mode where it's browsing without any cookies saved. 
And this way, you're seen as like a fresh customer there. Now, yes, you're, you you have the same IP as before. You're not completely anonymous, but but as far for the purpose of these sites, you can do this, and they won't have any information about your previous searches. Hmm. So so look at all look at all these. Look at the aggregators like Kayak.com. Look at the the direct website to the of the airlines. Sometimes you will actually find cheaper on one of the two, and there and there's no difference. It's not like. Uh, Booking through one or the other gives you disadvantages. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter which way you do it through. Uh, so now here, here's a here's a good trick. Let's say you see a, a fare, and you go, I kind of want to book this, but I'm kind of afraid. Like, what if it falls the next day, and I'm going to be pissed? And once I'm lo- you know, once I've paid, I'm locked in. Maybe I should wait till tomorrow. Maybe it'll get better by tomorrow. Well, guess what? You can wait till tomorrow, and you can also have it at today's price. You can have the best of both worlds. Why? Because in the U.S., and I believe Canada as well, but I'm not 100% sure about Canada, but I know in the U.S., this may be a law or maybe it's just a policy they all adhere to. I think it's the law. There is a 24-hour period where you can get a 100% full refund on any airline tickets you buy. This is not always uh, stated very clearly because they don't want you to know this. But, yes, you can get a full refund. Now, sometimes you have to call the place to do it. It's not sometimes online. There's no way to just take click, give me my refund. But you can buy a ticket right now and sometime tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, whatever, as long as it's not 24 hours when you bought it, call up and say, I don't want this anymore. And they will refund your credit card fully. Why is this good? Well, it's good because if the fare goes down tomorrow, then you can cancel and rebook and save money. And if the fare doesn't go down tomorrow, then just keep the ticket. Or if you change your mind tomorrow, cancel it. Uh, I don't know if there's any limit to this. I presume there's not. So presumably you could actually just keep doing this every day. That would be a pain in the ass. But uh, if you really want to be a hard, hard ass on this, you could. But there's something that's actually much easier that you can do with American – that doesn't involve even paying, but yet you guarantee yourself the ticket at the price that you see at the moment. And that is you can do what's known as a hold. Now, you used to only be able to do this on the phone, which is a pain in the ass, but uh, now they have updated their website, aa.com, and there's one of the reasons I like American. You can when it, you just go all the way through the booking processes if you're really going to buy it right now, but then when it gets to the point where you enter your credit card, do not click on credit card. Click on hold. And hold for totally free and no credit card required, nothing required. They're, they couldn't charge you even if they wanted to. You just click hold and it gives you that itinerary on hold at that price up until 11.59 p.m. local time of wherever you're departing from the next day. So you can actually hold it for two days. Like if you if you go book – or almost two full if you go book shortly after midnight, you have it all the way up till 11.59 p.m. the next day, which is almost 48 hours. So uh, now what happens if you put something on hold and then don't do anything? Well, no penalty. It doesn't hurt you. It just falls off. And uh, so that's something with American you can do. United you can do it, but you have to pay a fee. Uh, if it's only one ticket you're buying, it's not that bad. If you're buying like four tickets, it can get expensive because it's times four. And it depends on the, the overall price of the flight. It's something they compute. So it can end up costing you, like, if you're buying, like, tickets for round-trip tickets for four, it could end up costing, like, 50 bucks to put on hold or something. So that, that could end up not being worth it. If it's just you on, like, a cheaper flight, it can be, like, $7. So then it might be worth doing. I, I never use the pay hold, but I, I do use the free hold all the time. In fact, I what I do with American 
if the flight is far enough away and I think the price might go down, I just keep uh, holding, releasing, holding, releasing. I just I just hold it, and then if I'm not ready to buy it, I just let it expire off. I'll just keep holding it. So just in case the price shoots up, I, I have one at the, at the previous good price. In fact, there is a, a, a flight I'm looking to purchase right now that I have on hold as we speak. So that's the hold is very useful. And if, if there's, even if there is no hold, just go ahead and buy it, and you can cancel it. Bit of a pain, but you can do it. You'll, you'll get 100% full refund. And uh, that's something a lot of people don't know. Now, as far as choosing seats in the airline, first of all, there's a myth that first class is, number one, a lot better than it actually is. It's, it's not that great. It's, uh, it's, better, it's a hell of a lot better than coach, but uh, it, it, you know, they, they serve you some kind of meal usually. If they're red-eye, they don't even say you're serving you a meal. But the, the meal, it's, it's, it's okay, but it's, it's not a gourmet meal by any means, and it's not uh, – Did they do the kosher meal? They'll do a kosher meal. Yeah, you have to stay, state it beforehand, though. Okay. But uh, it's not great, the first-class meal. And, in fact, the, the meals you can pay for in coach are not that much worse than the first-class meal. So uh, you're not uh, – the meal's not that wonderful. But, nevertheless, uh, they do serve you a meal there. Uh, the service is better. They, they do treat you with more respect. There's a lot fewer people up there. The bathrooms are cleaner because there's a lot you – know, there's one bathroom for a lot fewer people in the front. Uh, first class, the best thing about it, at least for me, is you get a hell of a lot more room. The seats recline more and and you can, uh, they don't lay back like a bed on most uh, airlines, but, uh, they, they recline more. They sometimes have a footrest. They sometimes have better entertainment options there. Uh, you, 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 there's fewer people for the stewardesses to serve, a hell of a lot more leg room, fewer seats in front of you. The seats in front of you are not anywhere near as close. If you're tall like me, that's important. Uh, I actually have a very hard time fitting in a standard coach seat. They, they quote economy plus seats, the ones that are uh, in the coach section but, but have more leg room that you pay extra for. Those are fine for me as far as uh, room. But uh, the regular coach seats I have a very hard time with. If it's a short flight, I'll do it. But if it's like a five-hour flight, uh, it's very hard for me to sit in those seats. I'm just too tall. So... First class, uh, the one myth about it is that it's just like ridiculously expensive and only rich people can use it. That's not true. Sometimes first class is only a little bit more than coach. Sometimes it's even the same price or only slightly more than economy plus. If you see something like that, you should definitely jump on it. Also, first class gets free luggage, or I think two per person. So that, that should be enough to check luggage per person because if you have more than, you know, if you have a family of, of four traveling, you get eight free luggage. Even if it's just you, how much luggage are you going to bring as one person? So you get, you get two free luggage uh, usually for uh, first class. So that also should figure into the price because coach, you have to pay for luggage. And if, if the luggage is uh, $25 each, that's 50 bucks right there if you're bringing two on board where that's uh, – so, so if you see a first-class ticket that's the seventy-five dollars more than the coach ticket, and you have two bags, well, it's really more. It's only twenty-five dollars more. Oh, in reality, uh, the Hanson kid says, "Thanks to Calawat, I got TSA pre-check." He encourages us. Well, this is me saying to spend the fifty bucks and go to the airport for a two-minute interview. It's so worth it. Cut the security line. That's Don't a good take suggestion. your shoes off. That's a good suggestion. And no laptop removal. It, it's, Any it's, person flying more than two times a year, it's worth it, even for a quote-unquote 
frugal guy like Druff. Well, he's Huge right. I'm, I'm actually going to do it. I'm actually going to do it. Yeah. I actually hadn't yet, and I was just about to do it. Uh, Huge difference between domestic first class, which is not worth it, and international business. I was going to bring that up, too. Uh, so, yeah, TSA PreCheck, uh, go ahead and do that. In fact, if you have the American Express Platinum card. Yeah, I was just going to say that you get it for free. Yeah, for free if you have the American Express Platinum. Which is, that, that is I high... chopped that card 18 ways, you said, but still, you should be able to get it for free. Yeah, so so you get <laughs> I, I I do, but uh, yeah, the, see, I, I know. not eighteen ways though. A lot of ways though. So yeah, you get it for free for the. <laughs> so I'm actually about just about to sign up for that. I've I've made a mistake by not having it. Now the three class versus two class service is very important. If you're on a plane, usually one that does uh, international routes, but it, but it's not always an international flight. Where is this from? Why don't you give me a call sometime when you have no class? Where is it from? I don't know. It's, when, it's back to school when Rodney Dangerfield is hitting on his teacher, that, old, that older oh, okay. lady. I, you and know, he, I, he keeps asking her, like, tomorrow, what about the next day? And she's like, I have class. I have class. He's like, why don't you give me a call when you have no class? <laughs> I love. That's one of those movies that every year I can just sit and watch. You know, I him should putting, watch that again. I haven't watched that since the 80s. Him putting a fucking... Uh, Hot tub in his dorm room. <laughs> yeah, I really haven't watched, or maybe since the early '90s. It's been a long time since I watched. Uh... Do you remember who his bodyguard was? No, his bodyguard was Polly from Rocky, Adrian's brother from the Rocky movies. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He was in a lot of things. Bert, Bert, yeah, Bert Young, Bert, Bert Young. Young. Yeah, he was in a whole lot of things. In fact, Bert Young always looked older than his age when he was like in his 40s. He looked like he was about 60 years old already. So that guy, that guy was like one of those people that always looked old. And this yeah. this is not from uh, it's not from that movie, but uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Just give me your hey, call, everybody. Yeah, we're all gonna get late. <laughs> so the, the funny thing about that line is that it really meant nothing. Like it had nothing to do with everything that happened in the movie when he said that. Yeah, in Caddyshack. So uh, anyway, uh, back to the airlines. Three class service. If if you're if the plane you're booking has first class, business class, and coach. The first class is going to be a hell of a lot better. And in that case, the business class will be equivalent to or maybe even better than first class on domestic flights where there's only two-class service. So if you can get a flight with three-class service, uh, it's worth taking that over two-class service if you're getting business or first, especially first. And if you can get it at a reasonable price, but but first is not always that expensive, and in fact sometimes it's only uh, and and you know, you also have special lines for uh, for checking in. There's a lot of advantages to first class where you shouldn't waste a lot of money on it, but it, it's worth something. It's it's worth something extra. It's uh, even on a two class service, it's worth something extra. So if you can get it for a reasonable price above what you're paying for coach, you should do it. Especially knowing that on uh, coach you have to pay for luggage, and you also will, if you want the more leg room like an economy plus, you have to pay extra as well. So sometimes you add all that stuff up, and you're actually doing, getting it cheaper with uh, with first class. So uh, I, I do feel like it's a bit of a waste when I end up getting a first class seat, and and I'm going with Benjamin, and I have to pay for him because uh, his leg's going to come close to reaching the floor. But uh, and also he can't. Uh, uh, there's a lot of other things he can't appreciate really about uh, first class, but. Yeah, you got to do it. And uh, let, me, let me tell you about choosing seats, though, aside from just choosing where you are on the plane. There are seats on the plane that do not recline or have limited recline. And you need to avoid those, unless you just don't ever like reclining. But I do. If you like reclining on a plane, 
then you must go to SeatGuru.com. And you don't even have to go directly there. What you can just do is go into Google. So find out what type of plane it is that you're thinking of booking. Or, and, uh, and type in, you know, like a United 737-800 seating chart. Just you know, type in the name of the airline in Google, the, the exact model of the airplane that uh, they tell you it is, and then seating chart. And you'll see SeatGuru.com is one of the choices you can click on. You click on that, and they will have a diagram of the plane with each seat there. And they, re- they show the seats. They, they color code them. The ones that are green are, are known good seats. The ones that are yellow are ones that are questionable and have warnings that you can mouse over and, and see the warning. The ones that are red are bad seats, and they'll tell you why. You know, it doesn't recline. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's cold. There actually are seats on the plane that are cold sometimes, where they're, they're just in a location next to the bulkhead or something where it's, where it's just uh, cold air gets to where you are and, and you're going to be freezing the whole time. So there, there's a lot of warnings like that. And there's also comments from travelers from, hey, I was on this seat. I didn't like this. And it's not about a, a one specific flight. You know, it's, it's, it's just in, in general they notice that a certain seat isn't good for a certain reason. Another one sometimes uh, is color-coded bad because it's, it's right next to the bathroom and it smells bad. Just, just things that uh, you look there, you pick a seat that is not rated poorly and uh, – that helps a lot because a lot of times these seats they're all the same cost. Uh, they, they, Jenny you know. Anderson likes that. <laughs> no, the bulkhead. You get it? No, no, I'm trying to think what that what bulkhead. Oh, bulkhead. Okay. Giving head in bulk. Yeah. I, I was think I just kept thinking of the slide. I you know she had a baby. I yeah I think Jenny I Anderson that. is a mom now. Wow. Is it a boy or a girl? I don't remember. I hope Saw it's it a boy. Facebook. I really hope it's a boy. Yeah, I'm just afraid if it's a girl that it's gonna, she's gonna end up like her mom. And okay, and we have one more uh, Hanson kid. It's good he's participating. We lost. Well, we got him in the trade for what was the guy's name? I, I am professional talking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Druff is smoking something now in a three class layout internationally. You are talking about a difference between a coach, eight hundred dollars round trip to Asia, and a business class, thirty five hundred dollars round trip to Asia, and an eighteen thousand dollar round trip. To Asia. Also, point ratio is about the same as that cost difference. Okay, uh, he, he he didn't hear everything I said. Well, I think I, he's going to beg the difference. I'm not. I'm not smoking something. I didn't say taking an international flight. Which, by the way, if you book, and I'll get to this in a second about booking with miles. If you book far enough ahead of time with miles, you can sometimes get an excellent deal with those. But but putting that aside, I wasn't talking about taking an international flight. I was talking about taking a domestic flight on a plane that is three-class service anyway because it also will go internationally or sometimes it's part of a route that will go internationally. So I am I actually have a flight booked that is going from uh, uh, like Philadelphia to L.A. that is three-class service. And I'm not paying anything more than I would for a normal two-class first-class service. So that, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for – to you, know, you have to look into it. A lot, of, a lot of routes don't have this. But if you do see it – Take that over the two class service, and uh, yeah, that's that's the type of money I wouldn't spend. I wouldn't spend uh, like way, 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 way more for business class or first class because it's just not worth it. Now, since since I brought it up, I want to talk about booking with miles. So, so but always pick a good seat on the plane, and uh, it, it'll really figure into your enjoyment of the flight. 
And and I would recommend not sitting by the bathroom, not just for the smells, but also you're going to have people standing in front of you the entire freaking uh, flight that are waiting for the bathroom. So unless you're in first class where the bathroom is not that busy, <clears throat> you, you don't want to sit by the bathroom for that reason, where, where it'll be close enough for people to be standing in front of you. It'll be very tilting. Uh, so anyway, about booking with Miles, what your goal here is to do is get the best value with miles the 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 attitude you should not take is well these are miles these are that's free it's free airfare so it doesn't matter what value i get it's free on the hansen kid i think he's conceded that you're not smoking nothing he said okay those routes were only san francisco new york city and lax new york city domestically but point taken okay so i think you've okay i've convinced him i'm not smoking that's good so so good kid he is so booking with Miles is it's something that uh, you should always try to extract value with. You shouldn't just don't it, get those magazines for Miles. It's a waste. Yeah, that's a good point. You shouldn't get magazines or any Citibank, Capital One. Get this, get that. For only this many miles, I can get uh, cigar aficionado. Why would I want cigar aficionado? <laughs> yeah, Why would that... I want they have this one magazine. You know, all it's about is weddings. Why would I want a wedding magazine? It's a good point. What Brandon's, fair. what Brandon's saying here is that usually anything you want to buy exactly. with miles that isn't flights is a bad deal. You know the only time I even seen any part of that Vanity Fair? Do you have any idea? What, when uh, Demi Moore is pregnant on the cover? I am Caitlin. Oh, okay. And it was on the, the fraud site. Yeah, it was beautifully photoshopped. I am Gary. It, it was, it was <laughs> beautifully photoshopped. But between that and then the mosaic that the one kid... From the across the pond, in. yeah, Belly Buster. As those are my two of all time, I think. Yeah, I met Belly Buster very briefly during the World Series. Nice kid. Yeah. So okay. Uh, so anyway, about uh, booking with Miles. Is he a is he a big boy? I kind of pictured him as. No, he's really he just kind of looks like a normal middle aged guy to be honest. Oh, middle! I thought he was young. No, he's not young. Oh, I mean, no. is he old? No. Whatever happened to the one guy I met? For the rich guy from Australia that spends like a quarter million in the World Series every oh, year. Oh, that's that's uh, that's that's Gary. Yeah. How did he end up in the World Series? I don't I don't know. But he, he you I'm know sure. he's like a tall yeah uh, guy and he comes and he works hard all year down under and then he comes to Rio and plays and what have yous. Yeah, yeah, he's a big fan of the show. So is his wife. Yeah. You met him at a tire shop. I met him at a tire shop. Yeah. That's where you meet the listeners, right? A tire shop. I told him. I told him I have an hour, a few hours to kill here. You can come on over to the tire shop, and he did. That's hilarious. It was a good use of the time. So anyway, getting back to the miles here. The, uh, you you have to get value. If you if you take the attitude of oh, who cares? I just want to spend them. It's better than spending real money. Like I I I'll, I'll, I know people who would rather get horrible value for their miles than spend real money for an airline ticket. And, you know, if you know you're going to die and never take another flight after this, then that's a good decision. But if you if you think you're going to be around on this earth for some time, that's not a good idea. Can I ask you something? You know, i got to be honest. I almost need an assistant to help me with my miles and my points and this and that with all these fucking offers I got because of that fucking credit card whoring thread. Now, when <laughs> is it ever appropriate to use or convert your points, your reward points, into miles. You which, know, any which specific point? credit which point? cards? Which points? Well, I have American Express points. I have like over well, okay, I'll, like I'll, three hundred thousand. Well, it's, there's no there's no easy airline. answer to that. But I, what you have to do is you have to find what kind of miles they are, 
and then figure out the value of the miles. And you can do that by just kind of Googling it. How much is a mile? How much is United mile worth? How much is a Delta mile worth? How much is an American airline mile worth? And then what you do is you, you have to then, uh, see what the credit card is asking you is going to give you for converting it. And if it's, if it's more than that, then do it. If it's less than that, then don't. So that's, that, that's the formula. I don't get that offer very often. So to me, I haven't had to think about it much, but that brings me to the point about the miles and how much they're worth. Now, American miles are worth the most of, of the major carriers. The United is second and Delta is third. I, I don't really have much experience with the others. So I know these other smaller programs, but of those three, Americans worth the most, then United, then Delta. You're looking to only buy flights on what's known as the saver fare, the saver mile fares. So if if you if you're getting a discounted mileage purchase, then you should do it. If you're not, then don't do it. Then it's a horrible deal. In general, if you are paying more than, or, or shall I say? Yeah, if, if you're using more than uh, one mile per penny, then you're getting a pretty bad deal. So let's say the ticket, you could buy it for $500, but it's going to cost you 60,000 miles. You should not do it because they, this way each mile is going to end up being worth in a, uh, worth less than a penny. The only exception That's the is- thing. You look at the Southwest. If I want to like book a flight tomorrow to go somewhere, it's not even worth to get the, use the miles. Yeah. Because it, it's... Is that the point you're making? That's, well, that's the point, yes. If the miles are – if you're just getting poor value, you shouldn't do it. And Delta is the only exception because Delta miles are worth less than a penny. So you, if you get a penny on Delta, you've done fairly well. I mean when I say worth less than a penny, I mean usually worth like a – so if, if you – you shouldn't be as hard line about that with Delta. But with American, if you're getting less than a penny, absolutely not. With United, don't do it either. Uh, if, if you're – Really Jewish about it, and you do it far enough in advance, you can sometimes get uh, two and a half cents on things like American, or even close to three if you get lucky. Uh, as far as far as the value, and but you should always do, only do the saver ones when you're booking. And I, I know at least for American, it's 330 days is the earliest time you can book it in advance. But that doesn't always work. You don't always know you're traveling 330 days in advance. You're, there's also the fact that. Just like a regular airline ticket purchase, you you there's really no easy refund process for this if you decide not to go. So that's another problem. You buy th- 330 days in advance, uh, you have to account in the next 11 months. Nothing's going to change. So yeah, you do have to keep that in mind when you when you're going to make a purchase with miles. But just always make sure to get good value for your miles. And, and really, the only way to do this is to go through the the website on uh, whatever airline you're going to be using. And, and seeing what you can get and also seeing if maybe you can adjust your trip a little bit. Maybe go a day earlier, a day later if, if, if the miles purchasers are a much better deal. But don't just regard miles as uh, valueless because they definitely have value. And uh, something else you may not know is that anybody can use miles to purchase for anybody else. You don't have to use your own miles to buy your own tickets. So if, if you have a relative who has a lot of extra miles that they're not going to use anytime soon, they can, they can buy them for you. Uh, you but you're bu- not condoning taking advantage of the elderly, though. 
No, no, you, know, you should you shouldn't uh, trick your, your. Well, but I'm saying, well, you could, you know, oh, grandma, just give it to me. I'll take care of it. All right, there. Uh, you know what? But you know what I mean. Well, it can be the best of both I worlds. Think... You, you could tell your grandma you're gonna you're gonna go see her in New York, and can you use her miles to go see her, and then you fly out to see your grandma in New York, and you spend some time with her, and she's happy. And what she doesn't know is that this is the first leg of a flight uh, to Paris, and then you just you go off and, uh, and. If I was a congressman, that would be a bill that I would pass to make it a felony. For stealing miles from the elderly. <laughs> Don't they have crimes against the elderly or well, something like Yeah, they do. They do. But listen to this. What if what let's say you have a relative like a parent who has a lot of miles and they die. What do you think happens? Do you inherit them? No, they they're gone. They're gone. So this is what you do. If you have this isn't a joke. I'm serious about this. If you have a relative who has miles that dies, do not inform the airline that this person has died. The same thing you do about a relative's social security or pension. Yeah, well, that's a, <laughs> that's actually a, that's actually a crime. But the but the yeah, but the uh, but the miles, it's not. But the, would they really bust you if you took it for a couple months? I don't know. What are you supposed to do if it's direct deposit? <laughs> what did Pooh do? Well, I, I don't know. You can ask him. He's he's missing, so I I don't know what's going on with Pooh. But you, what you can do, yeah, with that, if it's no, months, he hurt himself really bad in uh, playing golf. Is that true? He was in, uh, what do they call it, traction. I don't believe he, that. He, no, I'm telling you, I had text with him. He was in the hospital. Really? Is that what happened? Yeah, he hurt yeah, himself he really gets, bad. I hope he gets he had better. to have back surgery. I hope he gets I didn't know this. Yeah. Well, he hasn't been posting. I assume, he's been right? totally gone. Yeah, I wonder yeah. what happened to him. I'm glad he's not dead. He's a good kid. So, uh, anyway, about, uh, yeah, if, if a relative dies... Just log on to their account and and, and <laughs> like it sounds it sounds See, this morbid. This is the kind of shit you're not going to get on the two plus two. No, you're definitely not. But uh, what's his name? Uh, Terrence. Terrence Chong? Shannon. Terrence Shannon. Adam Schwartz. Yeah, well, I like the Adam Schwartz though. Yeah, I, I don't I do. have a bad thing to say about him. Yeah, but here on the fraud site, we'll tell you log into your dead relative's account and hoard those miles. Well, you know, and use and them. Then, you use them to purchase for yourself for your trip. And you may think that sounds callous, but the, and if, if you, the pension. Your Social Security's direct deposit, you don't even know the wiser. The bottom line is that with those miles, they were earned. So even if the airline's policy is to take them away if, if the person dies, you know, F them. Don't, don't tell them the person died. Just use it. Uh, and they're of not going to check They're not going to check up on it. Just just log into that account or if you have to, you know, request the password through that person's email. And uh, this you is worth real money. You don't think that fucking – that Wisner – that cake poker shill, she's not using grandmammy's points to fly to him from the Rio back and forth. She was in uh, Madagascar. You don't think she used grandma's miles? Of course she did. Who goes to Madagascar to play in a poker contest? That's what I'm asking you. You tell me that it's not suspicious if you're going to Madagascar to play a poker tournament. I don't even know where Madagascar is. It's one of the, it's one of the, it's, it's it's one of the farthest places. It was it's an island, but it's one of the farthest places from where you are. It's expensive. It's it's one I of bet. the farthest places you can go, on Earth. For her to fly first class uh, to Madagascar with a special vegan diet, how much miles do you think it would cost <laughs> her grandma? That's my question to you. Oh, it depends when she books. But it would be, it'd be no, hundreds of thousands. No, she books last minute. She don't care about those things. It's oh, okay. just, hundreds, uh, hundreds of thousands to, to do this. Yeah, it's a, it's very expensive. So so uh, yeah, you. So what yeah. would they have to even do? What would have to even occur for you to go? Madagascar. If they moved, if they just said, you know what, 2017, the entire WSOP will be all limit hold'em, and it will only be in Madagascar. Okay, and if you were born, raised, or lived, or played limit hold'em in the state of Minnesota, 
you can't come. Yeah, yeah, the Minnesotans are, are, are right. banned. Would you go to Madagascar then? <laughs> then I, I might. I might if they if they if they eliminated the Minnesotans, I might. How how long would you think it is from LAX? Oh, it's, not, I, I can delay, tell. I can tell. Just you try, just you know who's actually fascinated with this is Benjamin. Not about Madagascar, but what's right, right next to Madagascar is Mauritius, <laughs> and Mauritius is the farthest place from Los Angeles, and I also believe Las Vegas on Earth. That's twelve thousand. What is it called? Mauritius. No, Mauritius, and it's twelve thousand miles away. You know, that sounds like a good like uh, Hebrew restaurant. It's, Have got, all the it, Jew food you want. Come to Mauritius. Yeah, so so Mauritius and, and Madagascar is right it. next to it. So Madagascar is you know right in that neighborhood too. But it's twelve thousand miles just about from Los Angeles to Mauritius. So what is that airtime? Oh, it's, it's probably like the twenty hours in the air or more. Well, Australia is further than that. Australia no, it's not. Like, nope, it's not. Australia from Vegas is like seventeen, eighteen hours. Right, but it's not twenty. So it's only two hours further than Australia. It may not be as direct of a route to who knows, but I can tell you that I, I, I haven't – I'm just guessing based on how fast an airline can fly, but but it wouldn't be direct anyway. There would be no direct flight. Is, from... is Madagascar a third-world country, like bad, like you walk there and they're just – It's, it's gonna... a third-world country, but it's not it's, – I don't know if it's dangerous. I, uh, I know Mauritius actually gets a lot of uh, tourism from people in, in that area. It's just uh, – it, it wouldn't be tourism from the United States because it's so far. But from Los Angeles, right. that is the farthest place you can go. It's, I think if from Vegas you too. had to live in any country in Africa for one year, like you had to, whatever your 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 baby's mama does, they gave her an opportunity of a lifetime that she has to go start up whatever company it is. I don't even know, but she has to start up the African branch of it, and she has to live there for one year, and they give her some insane bonus that, uh, whatever that you can't. Well, it would be it would be South Africa. I can tell you right now. That would be the one. Yeah. What about that Cameroon? No, no. Cameroon's terrible, but South uh, South Africa is very, very violent, and they don't like white people. I heard. No, but there's a, there's enough of a white contingent there. See, that's the problem. You, you don't want to be like the only white person in some of these countries like Cameroon. At least in in South Africa, there's enough white people to where you're not uncommon. Is that the South Africa? Is that the richest per capita country? In well, yeah, South and there's a, and there's a lot of there's there's rich people in South Africa. You can live in South Africa and be in some very nice areas. And, and so you realistically, you could be in South Africa chilling on the online poker you go to a mcdonald's or maybe a pollo loco and you run into genocide's baby father i could yeah i mean he's a good Jesus. example but yeah how big is south africa yeah it's it's, it, it's fairly big but it's and most and most of it is poor but uh there, but there are but like, like is it a quarter that i don't know I, I mean i know geography but i don't know size no i don't think it's a quarter like, of the size of the u.s it's not that big it, but it's oh just, so it's smaller than that yeah but it's it's not it's not tiny but it's not it's not i just big. know that one guy that uh the blade runner that killed the woman on Valentine's Day. Yeah, I'm sick of hearing about it. Yeah, yeah. All okay, right. Okay. So, well. so, so. Anyway, using uh, yeah, just make sure with your miles that you get uh, you get good value and uh, and don't just don't just waste them. Look how how much they're worth. Now, you get miles these days not necessarily from flying. You get that too. But the way people get miles these days, for the most part, is from credit cards. So. You should look for credit cards that have good offers for getting free miles. They usually, now it's wise to get these when you are able to run up money on them. Uh, for uh, if you're about to make a purchase, like if buy furniture, buy buy you're, you're buying a car, whatever you're going to make a big purchase, has a good time to get these cards. But also, or even back in the day, you could have used it in online poker. Yeah, or you can use it to. Uh, it's, uh, 
they're they're clamping down on this. You used to be able to run up these cards by buying by buying prepaid MasterCards with it, but I, I think they're clamping down on that. Oh, I've always wondered that. I, I've I've bought and, uh excuse me, I was washing my hands. I've bought and prepaid cards a few times in my life. I've never really had the need. I've gotten them for gifts for like miners or uh, you know whatever. But I don't remember if I've ever used a credit card to buy them. Do you have to buy it? Use cash to buy credit prepaid well, cards? Well, yeah, some some places don't allow you. To, yeah, some places may well, use like cash. Like you walk into a Smith's, they have like. 30 at the grocery store in Vegas. They have like 30, 50 American Express, these kind of visas, MasterCards. For those, do you have, they won't let you pay with the I'm not, credit I'm card? not sure what the policy is, but I know sometimes also they will, will charge it as like a, a cash advance or what's known as pseudo cash. So you end up paying the, uh, you, you're basically paying the credit card fee instead of the merchant, which which is crappy. So I didn't know but, that. But, but there were some, it, it wasn't always like this. But why it, would you ever do that? Why would you need to buy an excessive amount of, Prepaid cards with a credit card. Well, I'll tell you, if you wanted unless to, unless you're like going to declare bankruptcy. Well, no, if you're if you're, if you're going to run up the credit card, where you have to spend three thousand in, in, in ninety days oh, in order to get these okay. bonuses. That's what people used to do, and then they uh, oh, credit yeah, card started uh, they started clamping down on that, not letting it happen anymore. See what I would have done is I would have gone on a cruise ship, okay, and paid a nominal fare, and then just gotten thirty thousand dollars in cash from that online poker room you were talking about. Yeah, that's that's. Or that online. Yeah, that could be done too. What line was that? That was on Princess with the digital poker. And yeah. it's done now for sure. I, I don't know if it, I, I, no, I haven't been on Princess in five years. So I don't know. Maybe it still works. No, and there's no cash advance fee, no nothing, transaction. Nothing. That's it was, amazing. It was just, it was just shown. That as, is fucking amazing. It was just shown as, as Princess Cruises. I would have thought you would have sailed the seven seas, knowing that, buddy. <laughs> I did. How I didn't. Could, actually, I didn't abuse it that badly. I just uh, I ran up some, a few thousand. That was it. Maybe amazing. five thousand. So, know. what do you do with your points that are non-airline cards? Well, usually you, you can just do cash you them. them. Do you redeem them for cash? Well, do you make if, purchases. If you can redeem them for cash, and if the cash you can redeem them the for, cash is usually half of what the value. Of no, the no, then I would never do it. I only redeem it for cash if I get full value. Uh, otherwise, uh, like, okay. The card that we both share, the Platinum American Express. I've built up a lot of points, and I've never cashed out. Um, and I've noticed when it says you redeem it for a purchase, and I'll look at like laptops or furniture or their electronics. It literally is about you know what I'm talking about. It's literally yeah. about half of what an actual product would cost. Do you know any cards that it's a one close to a one to one ratio for cash versus Ordering or buying a product. So you're telling me buying the products is cheaper than, than getting the cash? And Absolutely. Okay. Like, well, okay. Here, that's unusual. Ex- that's unusual. Here's an example. With the American Express Platinum, say there was roughly uh, – I'm just going to say this. Uh, a MacBook Pro that was, we'll say, $1,000. If you chose to use your points, you would get a product worth 1000 If you chose to use it to pay for part of your bill – you know, like say I have five hundred dollars and on my American Express, let's wipe out the five hundred of my points. The thousand dollars would equivalent to about five hundred, if and, you know, used for cash on cash correlation. Yeah, so, you're, you're, so basically, you're saying getting the cash is, is giving you half the value as it would give. Absolutely, up. Okay. I've that's unusual. A bunch of different. That's, Whoa, uh, I'm surprised I, you haven't noticed that. No, I've, I've noticed the opposite. I've noticed that sometimes it's actually worse to get merchandise, and at other times it's it's, it's the same where there's no point to do it. Like like uh, like I'll see uh, you, you can cash twenty five hundred points out and either get twenty five dollars cash or get a twenty five dollar gift card to uh, 
Yeah, to Buca de Beppo. Like, why would I ever do that? Why would I ever get the Buca de Beppo gift card for twenty five? Well, why would you ever sit there and get five thousand dollars in shoe gift cards? I saw you knew that. Well, they were a... out. They were giving you five dollar cards, twenty five dollar cards. You had you had about a, 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 a your whole hand, top to bottom, was covered in shoe gift cards. Let me tell you Remember something. That? I, I I still have them, and I'm I, sure you do. I, no, I just I just how had many it, shoes can you buy? Listen, I just had it the other day. I got an email from from Benjamin's mom saying, uh, "Can you buy these shoes for me, please?" And I said, "Okay," and I I just uh, answered those gift cards an in email. Just, you guys don't speak on. Well, so she was at work. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. that's cute. So, so I well, what did you end up? I won't go into more details, but what was your total score? Oh, of those gift cards. I think I think I got like seven thousand dollars worth. Of I shoes. just remember walking the one time when they were out of big denominations, and you had so many in your hands. <laughs> it was pretty no. I, funny. I, I think I had like seven thousand dollars worth of those Zappos gift cards at one point. Jesus Christ! I even got Dave Lerman to go down and sign up. I, I was there. That's how I met him. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you had a, you had, had everyone and their mother down there. Yeah. So, okay. So so. Uh, Anyway, but back to some more airline tips here. You, uh, as far as the uh, the internet on airlines, uh, usually it's this go go internet. And uh, well, I, I'm sorry. I well, one more question. What if you're listening? If someone's listening and say they don't have a airline that they're devoted to, or whatever, out of all these search engines, like if I look at my phone now. I need to actually go through these apps. I have Expedia. I have Kayak. Um, is there anyone that you would recommend? I remember for a while people kept saying, use Kayak. It's the best prices. And I was naive. And I realize now that it's all basically the same bullshit. But is there any one of those brands yeah, Kayak's, rec- Kayak, Kayak's the best one, and as I said, it, it is will, still the best. It will sometimes, not usually, but sometimes, like it was for the one I just bought a few days ago, it will sometimes be a better price than the airline's uh, website itself, and even better than other sites like it that that are kind of kayak knockoffs. So that, that's the one I would use. Now it has. How, few... how 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 does the airline, from a business model, let it be possible for it to be cheaper booking through a third party site than their own? I, website? I don't understand how it happens sometimes, and sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes kayak is more expensive than than their airline sites. You should check on both sides. What is what is the actual? time in which an airline price starts to go uh, rise i've always was told like two to two to three weeks you should always have it booked by to get an optimal fare usually 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 it is two to three weeks but that's that's not you don't don't that doesn't mean wait until two or three weeks and you're fine sometimes if this if the they have computers analyzing this really closely, and it, it also has historical data from previous years, so it, it knows what to expect. So if it's selling behind schedule, then the prices go down. If it's selling hmm. ahead of schedule, the prices go oh. up. But then if it catches up again with the schedule, then it will readjust. So the only time you can it will be reliably be expensive is like just a few days beforehand or the day before. Then it's a horrible price usually. But 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 uh, anything two weeks or more be, uh, before the flight. Uh, it can pretty much be anything, and and that's why it's important to start looking early, and see see how the fares look. And uh, the earlier you look, of course, then you have more flexibility in in waiting to see what happens. And 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 uh, it, it's also better to not start looking two weeks or three weeks beforehand because if it is getting very full, then you're just screwed, and then you you have to pay a super high price or just not go. Whereas yeah. uh, uh, earlier on, you have more options of other things you can do, or even change the dates you're tra- planning to travel, or, or look at you know, other airlines, and nothing's ever going to be like totally full and an exorbitant price uh, months out, where where two weeks it can happen. But but th- th- what they're saying with the two weeks is that you don't want to ever 
book a few days beforehand because it's it's always really expensive. And the reason they do that is because they're trying to sock it to business travelers because business travelers they just have to go, and uh, they and they know that and businesses have deep pockets and they're willing to pay it. So now I know I've seen this on TV before, but I don't know if it's really. Uh, uh, fortunately, I've never had to inquire. Is it true that airlines offer a bereavement fare? Yes, but it's it's crap. It's uh, the bereavement fare is a small discount over the horrible prices you have to pay for a last minute airline ticket. It's a small discount, though. And what do you have to really show them a death certificate? I think you do, but uh, but I've even, never. But, but you're not getting. Like I said, you, fortunately, you're not getting much over on them if you did, because you're you're uh, you're still paying way more than most people on the plane paid. Oh. Uh, so so let me uh, let me uh, tell you another thing. Speaking of uh, other people on the plane, one time in December. I was taking a flight, and uh, they announced, Hi, we need some people to volunteer to get off the flight, and what we'll do is we'll put you on standby for the next flight here, and we'll give you a voucher worth... uh... Oh, no, there wasn't a voucher. We'll put you on standby for the next flight. If you're willing to do a good deed for people who need to get home for Christmas, uh, please come step forward. So, of course, some naive people... Got up and said, "I'll do it." You know, I don't have to be anywhere I right used now. Used to do that a lot when I was younger, but they weren't getting anything for it. They, they wouldn't. Oh no, I've it. only done one. They'd give me vouchers right. for right. other hotels or other trips, and they put you in a hotel. When I was young, my dad used to. We used to love that. He'd always try to. Right. You know, now, if you, if you get something for it and you don't have to be somewhere, that's fine. But what you have to understand yeah, yeah. is when they say something like that, "Hey, can you do a favor? Can you do this for these poor people?" Don't do it because they are required. The airlines are required. To when they overbook, which is frequent, overbooking means they've they've booked more people on the plane than the plane can hold. They are required to somehow make it right, to somehow get everyone a seat either on their airline or another another airline. What they're not allowed to do is say, "Well, we overbooked, so it's just too bad you can't fly." They can't say that to anybody. So what they first try to do is get volunteers to get off. Now sometimes they will get suckers to get off for free. By, by giving a sob story of, oh, this family really wants to get home for Christmas. And you think, oh, my God, this poor family, they want to get home for Christmas. And, and if I don't volu- and I don't have to be anywhere today, so if I don't volunteer for this, uh, this family's going to get screwed. Don't think that way. The airline will have to – if people refuse, then the airline moves up to starting to offer money for it. Then if, if, if it's not enough, they, are, they offer more money. Then they offer more money and then – Like a bidding war? Yeah, it's like a bidding war. But, but, but uh, of course, most people don't know this, so you're not going to be able to hold out beca- usually because someone else will grab it ahead of you. But well, If you colluded – but but uh, if if you see there is just isn't interest because a lot of times people just can't do it because they've got to be somewhere. Okay, if you see there just isn't interest in getting off, just wait. Don't ever feel sorry for anyone because they're always going to make it right in some way. Like that Greg Raymer, for instance, he's got to make it to that Heartland Poker Tour and shoot off in the cash games with other people's money that he can't account for, and he's got to be there first thing in the morning. So right. he can't. Yeah, he can't, he can't get off. But you know you know who actually pulled this one. Uh, our own uh, Sonny. I don't know what's happened to him. He's been gone for a while. Hopefully he's not dead. But uh, our own Who's Sonny? Sonny, you know, son of Lockman? No, I don't know who okay, that well, is. Anyway, he, he, he Wait, fl- was he the one that lived in Mexico? Yeah, yes. On his flight to Mexico to go live there, he actually uh, – they kept asking for volunteers to leave. And I, I, for whatever reason, they, they got to where um, they wanted him to get off. I think nobody else would get off. And anyway – he negotiated some like monster thing to get, to get off of that flight, like twelve hundred dollars or something insane like that, uh, to get off the flight. And uh, now I've never seen anything like that, but I've seen it before where it escalates. Like, okay, hundred dollars. Anyone want to get off for hundred dollars? Okay, we really need the space in this flight. So if anyone's willing to get off, we will uh, put you on another this first flight available plus the two hundred fifty dollars. And so they'll keep going up. So 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 hold out 
especially if it's a small amount of money. If, if it sounds good enough to where you think someone's going to snap it ahead of you and you want it, then just take it. But but uh, they it, give you the, they still give you the hotel if it's like the next day. Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll and they'll give you some kind of food voucher. So I've never I don't ever do this, but but if you if you want to do it and, and uh, get some money that way, why wouldn't you do it? You're a cheap Jew. Because I, I hate sitting around airports. So, but but so if someone offered you five hundred dollars in vouchers, a free night at a Marriott, and, and a nice dinner, you wouldn't do it. No, because it disrupts like my next... whole tra- it disrupts my whole travel plans. If 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 I, if I have if you're just going home, I mean, and it also it also matters. Well, it also matters about what everybody else is doing. And if like it's five hundred dollars for four people, that's not that great. Okay, right? so say it's yourself. You have nowhere to be. Your son is taken care of. Th- then I'll and you're do. You're flying yes. from somewhere. And they offer you like you know decent uh, compensation, five hundred bucks. Yeah, then I nice do. Nice hotel. Then I would do it. Yes. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I would, but I wouldn't disrupt anything, and I wouldn't put others through it uh, just just for my five hundred. So I've done that before. It's been years, but I, I did that a ton of times back in the day. Yeah, but I but I actually watched. I actually watched three years ago. Idiots do it for free because they felt bad about a family wanting to get home for Christmas. I, I was kind of pissed off seeing that because it was just the airlines manipulating people. That sounds like a John Candy movie. <laughs> well, bunch of idiots trying to get home for christmas yeah i know what was that movie with him trying to get home for christmas with uh, uh steve martin a uh, plane trains and automobiles yeah that's a good that's another yeah, one was, that's another one of those classics so uh with uh oh here here's here so once you're on the plane uh Let's say you 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 get on there. First of all, I, I suggest getting on the plane as early as possible. And uh, if you have kids, you can usually be in the priority boarding group. Even if they're not tiny kids, you can usually you – know, if they're teenagers, it's not going to work. But you have like a five-year-old, six-year-old. Like I can still do it with Ben. Say, you know, can put us in the priority boarding because I have a kid here and, uh, you know, he's, he's not good. How old is Ben right now? He's almost six. How old will you, How long will you keep doing the like kids under five get this for free? Or five and under. How much longer do you think you can? Because I know you're doing it. If you went somewhere right now and it's five or under, getting for four. Well, then, but then he for... then he would qualify. He's he's still five. Okay, but I'm so you keep doing it, and they're like, "Come on, he's almost six feet tall." Yeah, it would depend on the circumstance. Yeah, it would depend on the circumstance. There's like, nothing wrong with it. I'm just well, asking. no, no. Where, it's, where where I feel is especially like nothing wrong with it is like if if. Let's say it's it's somewhere that he's going to get nothing out of either way, or if, or, or if it's a meal where he, where he's 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 barely going to eat anything, and I know it, and I don't want to pay the adult fee for he's he's hardly going to consume anything, or something like that. That's uh, then I wouldn't feel bad. How many places these days? I don't have you know children. How many places these days still offer like like we, you know we were younger, the kids eat free or whatever. It's mostly cra- of... it's mostly crap places, and there are not many. Oh. Yeah, I, that's why I don't I don't run into it much, honestly. So, anyway, getting back to the when you get on the airline, you should get on first. Why? Because you want to get overhead baggage space. Now, if you have no carry-ons, it doesn't matter. But if you if you have carry-ons, I suggest you get on as soon as possible, because everybody has a lot of carry-ons these days because they're charging for luggage, and so everyone's bringing as many carry-ons as possible, and that makes the space very little. So you need to, and basically the policy is first come first serve. So there, there's no such thing as. Uh, uh, oh, this should be my space. Kick this guy's stuff out. It doesn't work that way. One step tried that, and, and it didn't work well for him. He got kicked off the flight. One step actually got kicked off the flight. He got kicked off a he flight. He got kicked off because he got in a big uh, fight, like some altercation with a guy whose stuff he tried to move. And by the way, there's only one poker room in the whole country of Madagascar. It's the Hilton Madagascar Poker Room. Interesting. Yeah. 
So that's where it would have to be the limit holder. <laughs> so, Wait, so why did One Step get kicked? He off got the an fight? altercation with someone who, who uh, One Step got on. He couldn't fit his stuff in the carry-on thing because some guy was hogging it up with all his stuff. One Step said, "You're only supposed to bring on one thing. You brought on two, and they got in a huge argument. One Step tried to like move the guy's stuff out without his permission, and they, they started shoving each other, and they both got booted wow. off. Yeah. That's amazing. I've never got kicked off a floor. No, I Not even uh, close. No, I, I, you've got to be careful. You can get arrested for this type of thing. In fact, they, they didn't arrest one step, but they'd questioned him for a long time. It was, it was, he missed the flight. It was, it was bad news. Jesus. So, so anyway, you, you, uh, you should get on as soon as possible. Get your stuff on the carry-on. But what if, what if you're, by the time you get on, the, the, the place for the carry-on luggage is full above your, your seat, and then the, the one next to you is full? Uh, should you store it under your seat and and just put your feet on it, or or, uh, or or give it to them to check? Well, if you don't mind them uh, holding it the entire time, where you won't have access to it, then give it to them to check. But to, there's probably a reason you brought it as carry on because you want to have access to stuff there. So if you want to have access to the stuff there, I would suggest walk around the plane and and find room for it because you don't have to use the one directly above your seat. One time I I got on a flight; it was gonna be like a five hour flight, and they. Uh, I was one of the last ones on there, and they they said, uh, "Sorry, sir, those are full. We're going to either have to check it or have to be at your feet." Well, can you imagine? Like, uh, I can't have that crap at my feet. My, my, you're my, a big guy. I am. My legs are long enough. I can't. I mean, have not like you can play basketball, but you're, you know. Yeah. So, so I couldn't have the crap at my feet. So I said, "Absolutely not." That's so, the mo- thing most people say to me behind your back. They say, "I didn't realize he was so tall." Oh, huh, really? So, yeah. so I, I. What are you six? Four? No, no. I'm actually only six two. They must be. Uh... You look a lot bigger. Maybe it's because of the hat. <laughs> I don't know. So, so oh, I... I have, I'm sorry. I'm gonna let you talk about the airline. Can we talk one segment? And my dinner is gonna be delivered soon. But I would like to talk about uh, A Rod's last game tomorrow and his legacy. Okay. Since you're a baseball fan, I know yeah. you have some opinions, and I have my opinions. Uh, so please, if okay. it's okay, don't let me forget. Yeah, okay, I'll I'll try to remember. So, so yeah. So well, just, write it down. Don't you lose the show notes if you don't write it down? <laughs> I, I have show I you lose. Have me. you lost it tonight? I yet? haven't lost it tonight. It's been right in front of me the whole. T- in fact, this is the last. Yeah. I can't lose it because it's the last thing. So, so you you look at uh, you can walk around and look for it. So that's what I did. I the the stewardess said they're, they're all full, and I said uh, I'd like to walk around and look for that. So I walked around. Looked in each one of them, and I found some that weren't wide open, but some were. If someone's stuff was kind of scooted over to where they were more compact, that they could fit what I had. So I'm not allowed to touch other people's stuff, and I knew that. But I said, uh, "Hey, I found some over here. So some stuff needs to be moved." So the stewardess asked the people, "Can can I push? You know, can she push over the stuff so I can fit mine?" They said, "Fine." Now this wasn't by my seat, but at least I could walk over to it and get to it uh, during the flight if I needed to, and I did a few times. But but always check all those bins. It's it's so brutal to have stuff under your feet, even if you're not tall like me. Uh, it, it, it's so brutal to have. Yeah, stuff. but I'm strange. I always have something on the plane that's of importance to me, and I can't put it in the bin. But but what's going to happen? Nobody can run off with it. I just I don't know. It's a weird thing. They can't go anywhere. I, you know, I mean, it's a... okay. Well, say you're on a plane with forty or fifty thousand dollars. Where do you put it? Don't you put it like in a backpack or something? I, I yeah, but you keep I, it I, on you. It's all it's you know. I know you travel with some cash from time to time. Something, something like cash that would be easy to like, like that would be super tempting and super easy to pocket. There, I would be more cautious with it. But there's a, um, for the most part, I, I just right. put everything up there. I don't, I, I don't think it's too hard to steal. And it's say 
People can't get I'm away. Just, let's just imagine, and you're really a secret agent, or, or and this whole poker thing is a ruse, and that's why you travel so much because you're your secret agent, and you're transporting some cougaran or maybe some blood diamonds, okay, to to whoever your your you know your higher up is. Are you gonna really put it in the overbin? Yeah, why not? I mean, in fact, it's the last place I'd look, right? You, you just, All right. Okay, fair you're, enough. You're just sneaking. Have you ever had any Cougaran or Blood Diamonds? Uh, Cougaran or Blood Diamonds? Cougaran or, you know, the gold? Yeah, no, I know what that... it is, but it... I don't know, possibly. The sad thing is I actually think of now, Austin Powers when I play that. What I've never understood, and you can maybe help me out here, if, say, I went wherever it was, Tiffany's, I don't know, wherever the fuck, how would I know if it's a blood diamond? How would they know if it's a blood diamond? If I had on me a bunch of blood diamonds, how do they know it's a blood diamond? Yeah, they, I, I don't think they would. <laughs> so when they say that people are trading in blood diamonds and beware, how the fuck do you know if it's you, a blood you, you don't. You have to know the source. and. Uh, so it's impossible to know a non-blood diamond? Well, when you're buying diamond. it, you're not going to know, no. This. So hypothetically, when you, if you ever propose or I ever propose, we could be giving our soon-to-be brides blood diamonds, and we wouldn't be the wiser. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, if the diamonds come from a certain area of the, of the world where this isn't happening, then you would know. That well, I know, like if you go to Zales or you know probably Tiffany's, but you're in Europe somewhere, browsing down the streets of France or wherever, or wherever it may be. You don't. No, I you just don't always know. wondered how when they tell you to stay away from blood diamonds. How can they tell you to stay away from yeah, something I, I don't if understand. you wouldn't even know? I mean, just you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't understand that either. If someone does, they can tweet at us, please. Maybe the Hanson kid can help out. So let, yeah. me, let me think what else here. Uh, what uh, kind of meal do you get when you fly? Oh, so that's, that's, that's you reminded me of something important. Uh, if you are not pre-reserving your meals, provided mm-hmm. that you, you're on first or business class, if you're, if you're in coach, then you just buy the meal, whatever you want. But uh, – if you don't pre-reserve your meals in business or coach, you're probably going to get the crap nobody wants because they they don't have unlimited of each type. So it's just you're you get the leftovers. So it's always a good idea if you're flying business class or first anything that's going to be serving you a meal that's included to go on the website and and pre-reserve your meal. Then you're you're guaranteed to get that. And I you know as far as what I typically get, I just get whatever I think sounds best and it sounds best to me it's there's no uh specific type i typically get oh and about the internet it, it, it's uh whether it's go go internet or one of their competitors that's available on a flight uh, let me tell you a few things with that first of all it's device specific the way it works is uh, tell us again how to steal it you call them and you complain no matter what and you no get no no free. well not steal if first it's important to know you can if you, you know, I'm just kidding. If, if you've had if you've had a bad experience with them, like you like let's say you've used GoGo Internet and, on a flight and it just sucked, you could barely connect at all. It was it was unreliable. It was basically unusable. Even if you used it for a few minutes here and there, if it was basically unusable and not what you were expecting, next mm-hmm. time you take a flight, just keep the receipt, keep the confirmation number. What you know, keep the email of, of was sent to you as confirmation for what you bought, and and uh, and tell them. I bought on such and such date. It was a fail. It didn't work. Can you please give me a free code to uh, you know for this time? And they'll just about always do it. 
I, I don't know if they ask you for proof or not because I, I've never tried to roll them. I'll only tell them this when it's really happened. So I've never, like, I don't just go there every time and claim it was bad last time. I only, I only tell them it was bad last time if it really was bad, bad last time. But, so you're honest about your Yeah, I'm, I'm honest about experience. it. But, but, the, but what I'm not 100% honest about is when I, when I, I always get a discount. And so what I'll, I'll, the way I angle for the discount is I'll say, oh, I saw such and such discount offered in a, a, a magazine or I, I saw it offered in an email, but then I get on board and it doesn't exist. How do I get this discount? It, it doesn't matter if that really exists. They always have discounts they can give you. So like let's say the GoGo Internet is, uh, is $22 for this flight. Uh, they can end up offering you one for $14 that's identical to it. Well, they got the one plan for $599 and that covers you the whole year. Yeah, that's kind of fail unless you're using it like every day. <laughs> Can't believe they have a plan like that. <laughs> Who's shelling out that kind of money? Yeah. So, so, so uh, oh, you know what? The business version of American Express Platinum, you actually get free Google Internet, I think, 12 times a year. Hmm. But but anyway, but, uh, back, but yeah, if you have a problem with it, don't be uh, afraid, to, afraid to speak up the next I'm time. I'm getting a text. What's 734? Do you know? I think it's Pittsburgh. Is it true that when Druff flies first class – he walks up and down economy with a hot fudge sundae with fudge dripping down his chin. <laughs> That's the 734. No. Do they give you hot fudge sundaes? No, oh, they, they will give you a, they'll give you a dessert, so sometimes something like yeah. that. Uh, so, so anyway, that's uh, so yeah, don't be afraid to speak up about the internet if there's a problem. Now, the, now the internet Let's say you have a few devices. You have an iPad. You have a computer. Maybe maybe uh, you're traveling with other people, and they want to use the internet too. Can you can you buy the internet? And can all four people in your family use it at once? Answer is uh, no. Can you use it on your iPhone and your computer at once? No. There's not no wire or tether or contraption something to share it. Well, I was going to get to that. There is. Of course, there is. There is. It's a, if you go download a program called Connectify, <laughs> it's free too. It's a free program called Connectify. But download it before. Don't download it on the airline. Right. It might take a while to, for the speed. Okay. You yeah. know what I mean. But if you get Connectify, then you can turn your computer into a little router, a little repeater that will, and, and so you can be sending out your own wireless signal from the plane's internet. And then you can use all your other devices through your computer, and it works. So that that's a way to share your internet connection and uh, not make everybody buy their own GoGo internet uh, in your family or, or just yourself if you want your cell phone too. Like I, I think I texted with Brandon once. Didn't I text with you once when I was in the air? Yep, yeah. more than once. Yeah, I've texted you while I was more in the air. More than once. And, and yet I was using my computer on Poker Fraud Alert at the same time because I was using Connectify to my uh, – to my to, yeah. so that that's a tip for the internet. I think I'm, I'm, I have a kind of a, 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 I guess, a standard that unless it's like a two-hour flight or longer, I won't pay for the internet. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, if I like, I went this year. I've only really gone on short flights, but hour, two hours. I mean, it just—it's not cheap. Fourteen dollars ain't going to break anyone, you know. But it just—you know—it's a waste. I, can, I know. Yeah, I can kind of just go without it. I, I you know. Yeah, I, I but, feel I feel the same way. And but JetBlue, I encourage you to try it. I mean, very comfortable seats. I've been on there maybe five times in the last two years, and literally, it's like Direct TV, uh, free movies. I mean, ESPN, uh, all the major. Uh, oh, uh, China! Everyone just gives great advice. China Maniac, uh, the guy that used to host the Zone Blitz. Yes, uh, he said that T-Mobile subscribers get free GoGo Wi-Fi. And T-Mobile users get free MLB TV. Huh. 
Isn't it amazing the, the, the amount of knowledge that we get here? Yeah. At the home network from the Hanson kid and the, the, the Zone Blitz guy and. Yeah. And, and, uh, what else I going to say? You. Never You're mind. talking about using the Connectify that I mentioned. No, I think I think I'm done talking I about spend, the uh, yeah. yeah about talking the internet, but yeah, and and just oh, I'm, I have one more. When you're done, I have one other question about this uh, Bovada thing. Okay, I know we don't need to make it long. I, I you know, yeah, go funny. go I ahead. I think I, I think I'm done with with the airline stuff. Okay, I know I text you, and then you told me this had happened, and I I didn't even know it was the same day. And I read about you know the Bovada thing. Now, what I'm not understanding is right now it's called Ignition. Yes. So say right now if I went on there and I created an account, would I be playing with the Bovada people? Yes. But but okay, guess what? So you... right now you're saying that's oh, that was my so the players the, the pool right now is Bovada. It's Bodog, which is still their Asian base, correct? Yes. And it's Ignition right now as we speak. Yes, and and by the way, you couldn't create an Ignition account because you're in Nevada. Right. No, no, I re- it's the same five states. I realize that. Yeah. Okay, so it's already a part of it. So basically all that's going to ha- – well, I, I understand You know, this is may force you into retirement. But So in essence, what's going to happen is you can no longer be able to log into Bodog app or Bovada after uh, whatever – what is it? The end of September. Yeah. And you'll have to create a new sign-in account, and you have to physically – transfer your money yeah except except you can you can log into bovada and you and bet sports still or whatever but you're right or you can keep money in there if you want it for your you know your baseball games or you know casino games or whatever but if you just want to play poker then you transfer money uh but if i okay i guess i'm saying is if i lived in california now i could just be on the ignition site and if i just want to play poker it wouldn't make any difference yeah yeah it's the same exact pool. Yes, right, right now, gonna, it's, right now, it's the same pool. Yes, and it's going to be the same exact software and client. Yes. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, and you can transfer unlimited times up till September thirtieth, and you can't transfer anymore. Okay, makes sense. So, so let's okay, let's talk about A Rod here. Uh, A Rod is 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 retiring. He's uh, uh, the Yankees were pu- basically pushed him out. They they wouldn't. Uh, the biggest insult to him was, and this is when he knew it was the end. They had barely played him at all. I mean, I mean, barely played him, and here they were out of contention anyway. And they had. We have a call here. That <coughs> we just lost it. Someone was calling from from Canada, actually, for four one six. But, but so so they Bartola Colon was pitching. Oh, here's the four one six guy again. Bartolo Colon was pitching, who's 43 years old, and, and A-Rod has just killed Colon in the two in their careers. And they're both old, of course. Uh, Colon is uh, 43, A-Rod's 41. So they they, uh, they were sure that they play A-Rod that day because there's monstrous career numbers against Colon. They don't even play him that day. So so they asked, uh, why didn't you play him? And, and Girardi's like, well, I, I didn't play him because uh, that was a long time ago. That was a very long time ago when when he was hitting Cologne like that. So you know it's a different time. The things are different. So then pointed someone's pointed out. Wait a minute, uh, Cologne is older too. Doesn't everybody age at the same rate? <laughs> like like the, the answer was kind of like, well, that was a long time ago. He's not going to well, necessarily hit him now. But that's a but it, like they both sorry, age. Say, I, I lost you. I'm sorry. It, this is part of my say say that one more time. 
they sat just before it was announced that uh, his career as a Yankee. You're talking was before the, the the news conference. Yeah, before the news conference, uh, Bartolo Colon was pitching for the Mets, and the Yankees were playing them. And Rodriguez has a has huge numbers against Colon in his career, so they were sure if there's any time to play Rodriguez, it would be that game against the pitcher he always kills. And they still didn't play him. And when asked why, it's like, well, that was a long time ago when he was hitting well against Cologne. Oh, okay. But then people are saying, well, yeah, but Cologne is old now too, so shouldn't they both? Shouldn't it still be the same? At least, at least in theory. And so, at least, why not give it a try? So right, it was clear you. they were purposely sitting him and just never, never running him out there because they were done with him. So uh, they must have had a, a talk event finally, and uh, and uh, a rod rather than just slogging through the end of his contract where they're basically never going to play him. Uh, agreed to let him retire more in in, uh, in dignity. So that that's. I, I mean, he was forced out, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it was he's... way forced out. I mean, when, when, when with how infrequently they were using him, it was really like a, a big middle finger to him. And what is he? Three home runs from seven hundred. Yes, and I think that's part of it too. That they they don't want him. To, they they may not want him to reach seven hundred. The whole thing's like a big fu because of all the bad blood that's developed all this time. And uh, you know I don't uh, I don't blame them for being angry at a Rod and uh, and he I, embarrassed I, the club tremendously. Yeah, he, he really but... did. And and the uh, he was always very arrogant. And the the whole thing with with the steroids, uh, I mean that just massively tarnished his his image. And then uh, and then the worst thing was how he reacted from it instead of just accepting what he did and, and accepting the consequences. He, you know, he even went as far as uh, talking about suing the team. So this just uh, it, the whole thing was a mess, and he, he really ruined his legacy. And of course, even with his great career numbers, who knows if he's even going to make the Hall of Fame because of the steroid thing? I mean, they, they, they kept Bonds out, and he has the 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 most home runs in history. So yeah, they'll keep him and other steroid users out of there. And and Barry Bonds, by the way, he he wasn't someone who only succeeded because of steroids. Now the late career Bonds, yes, that was all the steroids. But uh, Bonds was really a very very talented player who, if he had not taken roids, could have easily made the Hall of Fame anyway. But he took roids, especially uh, in the later stages. What do you of think career. of the, of those who argue that the pitchers were on roids too, so it kind of balances out? Um, I, I think the problem is that you know it, it doesn't affect everybody the same way. And it it will give you certain talents that uh, you otherwise wouldn't have had that uh, can sometimes match up better, you know, with the talents against you still, and and uh, and, and manage to inflate the numbers. So that's why. Uh, but I'm saying Cle- Clemens is on roids, Bonds is on roids. You're saying it gives more of an advantage to Bonds. I don't know. I, I, I think it depends on every matchup and what particular talent. Uh, is, I mean, is, Andy Pettit was, you know. Was, Okay, well, you get Roy, you get advantage. Like, look at D. Gordon. He wasn't taking the roids to hit home runs. He, uh, everybody, yeah, is, everybody's right, right. getting something different from them. Was that roids, or is it just an unnamed nutritional supplement that was on the ban list? I don't remember. I should know this because that's my team. I, I think he was taking some sort of a, some form of a steroid. It just uh... okay. Well, this is what I don't understand. Okay, and I've read a lot about this. This actually intrigued me. Okay, in, in regards to A. Rod. Now, when they had their files, fire sale right before the trading deadline, okay, they made when they got rid of uh, Chapman and Andrew yeah. Miller, and then they got rid of the the uh, Beltran, the, the DH. Yeah, Beltran. Yeah. Yeah. 
they basically, uh, and, and you know what? I, I hold on one second. I'm sorry. I read everything thoroughly, and I think it was a great trade. They literally, from what you know, baseball GMs and scouts tell me, and that's all I know. I don't follow you know minor leaguers. That literally in two days, uh, Brian Cashman turned uh, basically a bear uh, farm system now into one of the top five in all of baseball in terms of the talent he was able to bring in. He got like a number five and number seven prospect in terms of what they're rated in all of minor league baseball. Some kid named Gary, and I, I don't remember, but I remember reading that, uh, especially with Cleveland, when they traded Miller, they got like Cleveland's number one prospect. Um, so this facade that they're putting on that we still are trying to win, they're not trying to win. Uh, they've given up on the season. They're not trying to get the last wild card. So if that's the case, why do you do this facade where a facade where halfway through the season they're giving they announce they're giving him five days to play they don't they're going to eat his salary next year he's going to be some advisor you know Derek Jeter I mean I don't know people don't really talk about this but the last four months of his season uh, his final year he had one I mean he slumped so horribly that he no way he should have been batting number two but they were never going to remove him just because you know he he was a very you know he's a popular Yankee he and I get it. You're right. I get it with A-Rod. Okay, but you know what? He's still a very polarizing figure. He, he, if it wasn't for him in 2009, without a doubt, they don't win the World Series. What, why don't you let him finish the season? What, why? Okay, and, and even if, if, if this is your case, I don't know. The whole way it was just planned. It, I mean, he's not. Okay, here's another way to look at it. He's producing better than Mark Textera. Mark Textera is batting below the Mendoza line. Yeah, I, I know. And, and and he's playing every day. Well, yeah, it's, it just, it's definitely it, because of the bad blood. They definitely just decided that, uh, uh, and it's easier to do. Unlike last year where he was hitting well, now they can justify even even if there's other players like Mark Teixeira who's who's who are even doing worse. Uh, at least on an absolute basis, he's doing poorly. So then they can justify benching him. If he's hitting really hot, then they can't explain to the fans why, why is he not playing. But but here it is, someone who's not hitting well. And they they can and they don't like him, so they have a reason to bench him. And this is all definitely being done because they. I'm sorry, I lost you. I'm back. Yeah, this is all definitely being done because they do not like him because they resent him for for everything that that's happened. And uh, so they they must have had a discussion with him. Okay, uh, you, you can quickly wrap things up and and. Uh, and have closure to this, or you can just rot on the bench and almost never be played for the remainder of your contract. But we're talking about another two months of meaningless baseball. But but it's not about that. It's not about how the team will do. So why didn't why didn't they release him a month or two months into the season when they stopped playing him? Why now? Why not the All Star break? Why now? Why with with forty thirty games left, whatever it may be? Why now? I, I think I, I'm I'm guessing that he probably pressed he finally probably pressed the issue and it's like you know this is a problem what's going I think also the press I think people were pressing the issue I think it just looked weird and and then he was getting then, he was getting so such little play and I'm sure he, his agent was complaining he was complaining I'm sure they they they're, they're, they were tired of getting questions from the press about this of uh, like that the game with Cologne why they're not playing him then like so I I think they got enough pressure to where they probably 
it was almost like a troll job. They were trolling him by just letting him play, you know, once every two weeks uh, for an at-bat here and there, and and they were just going to let that see, happen. That's the point. I mean, okay, I, I'll tell you, I, I, you know, A-Rod's from the same city I was born at. We're roughly the same age. I'm a little bit younger. I, I followed him when he went to uh, Miami-Dade Community College, when he went to Miami Christian. That's just that he went to a private school. See, he was one grade higher than me. I knew all about him way before you even knew. I mean, I knew about him when he was 15, 16 years old, and he was making headlines in the Miami Herald as this literally once in a decade, if not more, type player. Um, you know, which which are, uh, arguably he was. I mean, those years with Seattle, those first six years, I mean, second year he hit 358, almost 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases. Um, but Joe Girardi came out, and I've always admired him. I thought he was a good manager. You know, I know he's a player's manager, but I also thought he didn't take bullshit. Uh, he coached the Marlins, I think, for one year, and then he got fired because the, our owner's an idiot. He came out and he said, over these next five games, A-Rod's going to get to play whenever he wants. That's what he said. Then he benched him for three days. I don't know if, do you, know, I don't know if you followed this. Oh, no, I didn't see that, no. Okay, he benched him for three days. He pitched it. He played. They played one one more series at Fenway, and then they play have one game tomorrow against Tampa, and that's going to be it. First two days they benched him. Yesterday they benched him, and they let him pitch pinch hit uh, in I think the ninth inning or the eighth inning. It was late in the game, uh, and then today I guess he started. I don't know what his results were, and tomorrow's going to be his last game. Then Girardi went back and said he made a mistake. He got emotional, and they asked him why are you going back under promise. You know, he, he literally, his quote was, he'll play every day. And then A-Rod uh, literally went in. I mean, I mean, I guess the point I'm making is you're right. It, it, it's They're shitting on him. And I I, I, I don't know. I, I just, like I said, Mark Texera is a perfect example. I mean, if it's about getting young talent in, if it's about, you know, getting no, the best players. No, it's not players, about that. It's just, it's, just uh, it's like a big it, FU. It's an FU, and it's one they feel that they're justified to but make But everything that I've read has indicated the last two years since he came back from his suspension, he's made amends with Hal Steinbrenner to the point that they're actually on very good terms. He's mentored other players, and he's conducted himself. I mean, at least well, it must, it, must, it must not be what it appears with that because he's – because obviously, uh, you know, he has a lot of influence. He, he's, he, he can talk to Steinbrenner if he wants. There's There's – he could be in contact with and go above, even if you want to say it's Girardi's decision, he could go above his head if there is this problem, if he's being intentionally held out of the lineup uh, to screw with him uh, or, or for no good reason, uh, intentionally being barely used. And obviously this has to be agreed upon throughout the organization of what's being done here. And maybe he's not on as good terms as he thought he was with, with ownership and, and upper management. And, that's why they uh, this this was the best they're going to give him. Like, okay, you get you get a few more days, and that's it, and then that it's done. Or you can just sit and languish on the bench and, and have one at bat every two weeks, and you know enjoy that one. So this is they're not even going to let him finish out a, uh, what's a meaningless season. And I can't feel sorry Stuart, for him though. After everything Stuart. he did, he brought he brought it on himself. It, it, this isn't this isn't punishing a player for not performing. This is punishing him for everything he did. Uh, uh, that it's embarrassed the organization, well, that this is caused this a lot of stress. Is, this is what the media is speculating. It's pretty much divided among anonymous baseball execs whether he will stay retired 
where the consensus is if he doesn't, he will sign with my hometown team, the, the Miami Marlins, and at least pursue hitting home run number 700, you know, three away. What do you think will happen after tomorrow? Uh, I mean, he's getting paid $26, 27000000 million, whatever it is, regardless. Because, as you know, baseball contracts are guaranteed. And uh, he won't be getting the milestone bonuses. I don't know if you remember when he signed that humongous contract. There were multi-million dollar, um, multi-million dollar milestone bonuses for home run 660, home run 700, home run 725. I mean, he's lost probably on top of his salary from that suspended year. He lost about $50 million. Wow. He lost $26 million the year that he was suspended by baseball. And then he agreed to forfeit the milestone bonuses that were in his contract, which I think 660 was like $5 million, 700 was like $7 million, And then after that, it just kept going up till you know, in the event he passed uh, Barry Bonds. But what do you think? Do you think his ego is so big that he'll just sign with any team at, at the veteran minimum? The Yankees are paying his salary anyhow, so they would just have to play – the prorated, you know, any team would have to pay, pay the prorated veterans minimum and chase that, or is he quietly going to go away? I think he hasn't decided yet, but I, I could see where he might do this just, just to get to the 700. If it wasn't a matter of... And that's what I mean by spiteful. Like, he's that close, they can't play him for three weeks and let him ding off three more meaningless Yes, and I think they don't, yeah, they don't want him to do it. They, yeah, they no, obviously they don't want him to do it. You're absolutely... absolutely. But I just don't understand the timing now unless what you're saying is true, that he's put so much pressure behind the scenes that he kind of forced their hand. I think that – and also the media has. The media like, keeps asking what's going on with this. Why are you, why? I mean because it's not like he just slumped the last month. He, he's slumped all year just like Brian McCann has and Texterra has and you know half the Yankees offense has. So it's it's not just about I mean, it can't just be about performance because like I said why are they playing Texas? No, it's, it's not about the it's not about the performance. Yeah, it's but been, I, I I guess that's what I'm saying. Why now? That's what I still don't get. Why? I, I think why it's not? just the pressure. Yeah. Oh, it says it says he picked up an RBI tonight. That's what I just read here. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna watch tomorrow's game. I haven't watched a Yankees game all year, but I am gonna watch his final game. And. Uh, I don't think, uh, you know, they were saying, uh, one of of these ESPN writers was saying that with a younger demographic of Hall of Fame voters coming up on the horizon, I don't know, I guess he meant that people are dying, the old school, that there's a a possibility that he could really truly be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think it's going to happen. I I don't. I, I can't see. I think it'd be a huge, massive... Okay, massive in terms of being just contradictory. If they allowed him in, and guys that did the same as him, like McGuire, I know Palmero, you know, is maybe even a little bit more spiteful because he lied, you know, in front of Congress and he went out the way he did, you know, that big. I did not ever take any drugs, and a week later, you know, he tests positive. But all those other guys, Clemens isn't in, McGuire isn't in. Some of those guys are falling off the ballot. Because they got so little, you know, whatever it is, you have to have a certain amount, you know, of votes. If not, you fall off the ballot. What would what would make him any different? Why is he any better than those guys? Yeah. Well, I mean, do you agree? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it's it's very interesting. It, it's one of those things where I really wish I knew what happened 
behind closed doors. Uh, A-Rod said on a talk show today that he went into uh, Joe Girardi's office yesterday and asked if he could play third base for his final game, meaningless game against the Rays. And Joe Girardi just replied, no. Uh, this is true. I mean, this isn't some, you know, gossip. Like, A-Rod, these are quotes that I read from him that he walked in there and he wanted to play third base for his final game, and Girardi told him no. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I guess it is kind of spiteful. And for everything I've read, his one solid relationship, friendship with Joe Girardi. Uh, you, know, you have to remember, Joe Girardi played up until, I think, 2004 or yeah. five, So they were in the league at the same time. Uh, is now just totally, you know, gone. They're not even on speaking terms, apparently. Uh, anyhow, I, I don't know. I did, it, it's just kind of interesting. I'm, I, I guess more so to me than most because, you know, he lives in Miami. That's where his kids live. And by everything I've read, if he does choose to continue his career, it would be Miami that he would approach. Um, I don't like it. You know, I, I don't – I mean, he's an overaged, you know, overpaid, uh, you know, pathological liar. I mean, no one can question that. You know, he sued baseball. He sued the Players Association. He sued the Yankees. Claimed he was innocent. You know, everyone knew he, he wasn't innocent. But for him to put on a Marlin uniform and parade around there, you know, just to get three more home runs, and it just it would only be for his ego. And also, the Marlins are in the middle of a, a pennant race for the first time, or at least a playoff race for the first time in a decade. So, I don't know. It's interesting. We'll see what happens. I hope he stays retired. And uh, other than that, I. I think it's, I guess since we're still talking about sports, I think it's utterly sick what Michael Phelps continues to do at the age he's doing it. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, he won another gold medal today. Now? Huh? How old is he now? 32, 34. Yeah. This is fourth Olympics. So assuming he started when he was early 30s. But still, that's, you know, for a swimmer competing against, I mean, the guy... The guy now has, what is it, 22, 24 gold medals? Yeah, he's, he's 31 now. Okay, 31. He won another gold medal tonight. Like, it, it's, it's fucking unbelievable. Yeah, he's, he's been killing it. And, and uh, you know, there, there were rumors that, uh, remember the rumors that uh, Peach Murray was really Michael Phelps? Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I because, remember because, she, because she knew him somehow. Like, so, somehow they knew each other. Like, he, like, she was one of the few people he followed on Twitter. It was weird. It's one of the many weird. Okay, uh, I'm just getting a text. I'm not. I mean, you know this person very well. I'm not gonna. I don't know. I don't think I should say his name unless you choose to. But it's someone we both know well. He just texted me and said, "Please have the cheap Jew read the text message on the main line." Okay. Someone I haven't talked to in a long time. Wow. Uh, Let me see here. Uh, oh, but this isn't from that person, but uh, this person asked uh, from the 505. It's uh, one of our black listeners. He lives in Vegas. He says, uh, I've been looking getting into the casino, and at this school, I can only afford one game. Should I do craps or carnival games or baccarat? Which would you suggest? I say it one more time. This guy is going to, he wants to go to one of these uh, dealer schools, but says he can only afford one game. Uh, to learn, would it be should he learn craps to deal craps, carnival games, or baccarat? Craps. They don't teach you how to deal baccarat or carnival games in a dealing school. You learn that actually in a casino because they're so easy for the most part. The only games that you're going to learn as primary games in any dealer school in Las Vegas are craps, blackjack, and roulette. Um, 
I would say definitely uh, learn crafts. It will give you the most job security, the most leverage anywhere, East Coast, West Coast, Indian casinos. If you want to always be able to move around, advance, move up, you need to learn craps. Okay, it's still even to this day, the majority of casino dealers don't know how to deal craps. If you can learn that game, you'll never have to worry. And again, you know, you don't fuck up, alienate people, do drugs. You'll be able to have a job security until you retire. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, the, the person who I, th- I think you're referring to, I, I saw some texts earlier, but, but the, the one I would think he'd want to read, he wrote, do not read on air. So I can't read that one. We're talking about uh, uh, someone that lives in Las Vegas. No, this person doesn't live in Las Vegas. I, okay, that's not, that's not who I'm talking about. I, I don't know. Uh, you're saying someone I, mean, I don't want to embarrass him and say his name if he doesn't. Someone uh, texted you in Las Vegas. Yes. Um, do you know my? Do you know my friend? My good friend, uh, the, the the anesthesiologist. Yeah. It's his best friend. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know who I'm talking about, or you don't? I think so. Yeah. First name starts with a C. So, is he... I haven't heard from him in a, like two years, four years. I don't know. I have nothing, nothing, no problem with him. Just haven't heard from him. But it literally, he sent me this text. You know, do, you, do you not know who I'm talking about? Because I'll text you. The no, no, I, I, I do. Yeah. He just said, "Please have the." This is literally it could be five years. First time I've heard from him. Please have the cheap. Do you read the text messages on the main line? That's, okay, that's there, is, there is one from me. It was, I, I didn't know if it was from him. It was a, a troll message, so I didn't bother okay, to read I'm it. I'm just repeating it. Okay. So. Uh, what's the message? Okay, you want me to read it? It's, it's, a, it's a troll should message, I, but okay. It's a, should uh, I, I, he's, I, I mean, you not read it? I don't know. Well, I, I, I just I, – what I've done here is when, when I get like some kind of uh, legitimate criticism or, or – or, uh, Anything that I – even if it's something that doesn't agree with me or says something negative, I, I will read it. If it's just like a troll message to just uh, just say something nasty for the sake of something nasty, I don't read it. Because I don't want to give uh, the troll texters that airtime here. So I didn't I – didn't, If it's something nasty that you don't want to read, then don't read it. I don't – I mean – Yeah, this, this – no, I, I, no, I didn't – this was from the 702. I didn't know who was sending it. It was just uh, – Do you, you really know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I do, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm just going to text you. Okay. The person's name. I mean, I got one text from 702 tonight, and it was a, a troll text, so I I didn't recognize okay. the number. I'm not yeah, hostility. Yeah, I don't yeah, know what he even texted. Yeah, text. I haven't, you texted I haven't talked to him in five years. I don't have hostility towards him, but I don't know if, if what he sent you, it's it your was, discretion. Provided, provided, you, it, was, you provided it was from him, it was a troll text. I mean, whether it's from him or not is a troll text. It was just a, 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 negative, a, a very negative text that didn't. Have to do with the show about me, us. It, it was uh, it was about you. It looks like. All right. Well, <laughs> you know what? Can you send me a screenshot? Yeah. I don't want. I'm not going to say it on air. Well, thank you for not reading it. That's. <laughs> I mean, it's not giving out any like personal info. I'm just saying that's. Uh, well, this, it's and that's text. someone that I, I haven't had any interaction with in like literally about half a decade that I don't have any issue or problem with. So I don't really understand. Okay, just send it to me. Yeah, I, I just sent it. That's, oh. Yeah, I, I don't understand why. Oh, that's cute. Hmm. I, I don't understand a lot of what uh, some people send. I don't really send. know. I mean, he's listening. He can go ahead and call me or I know he wants a passive-aggressive behavior, but it's someone that I haven't 
had any interaction with in half a decade. So I don't know. Okay, well, whatever. Um, I guess the only other thing, I mean, I know you've been watching the Olympics. Do you think the USA's, and I know you, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel really exhausted, so I won't keep it going much longer. Do you think the USA men's basketball team, their dominance is good? I guess you can even say the women's. I keep reading about it. But I don't. I. I mean, I take pride, you know, in our country. I take pride in our country winning, but I don't enjoy. I don't think it's entertaining to watch them. I, granted, I know the game against Australia. They won yesterday by ten, which was their closest game in, in fuck me, ten years. But do you think these routes in both men's and women's basketball? Do you enjoy it? Do you think it'd be better if the games are more competitive? No, it'd be better if they're more competitive. You just expect them to crush every time. It's really not uh, not that interesting. And uh, but it's a problem. See, back in the old days when they couldn't have pros playing, it, it was kind of annoying to watch the U.S. get clobbered, sending out amateurs in sports where we knew that we were the best in the world. So that 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 was irritating to me in those days. And I was going, you know, this is this is supposed to be a competition of people. Uh, who are the best in, in their respective sports, and it's dumb that we have the people who are the best and can't play them because they're pro, so we have to set out fail players who lose. <laughs> like It just seemed nonsensical to me. But but now that we have the pros playing, now it uh, it, it just isn't fun to watch because they're, they're just crushing everyone. When, when 10 points is the, is the close game, you know that's a problem. Yeah. It's just I read about it all the time and how everyone loves it. But to me, if I was going to watch a game where I know the team is going to win by 50, 60 points, I mean, I I don't know. It's just weird. I don't want them to lose, of course. But to me, it's just I I can't see how it's really good for international basketball just, you know, being so dominant. Yeah, it's it's not. And it it uh, all it does is make these players want to aspire to come to the NBA to become good in their uh their country's league and maybe be able to compete in the NBA. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just a sport where really the rest of the world is really is far from catching up on, uh, yeah. uh, you know, they'll have their few players here and there who are good, but they're, they just don't have the, the structure for the, their basketball programs in the rest of the world, like the U S has. So it's funny that probably all things continue on. Like they probably will, the most decorated ever USA international basketball player would probably be one of the most unsuccessful pro players in terms of postseason success. I'm, I'm referring to Carmelo Anthony. I don't know if you saw, uh, he became the leading scorer last night ever in U.S. international basketball history. And he'll break every record probably before it's over. He was close to rebounds and field goals. Um, I think Michael Jordan had the field goal record and David Robinson had the rebound record. And he'll have, I think, three gold medals after this or four. I'm trying to think, yeah. three or four. Uh, I'm talking, you know, Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, I, I always felt he was he was like one of those players who just isn't a winner. They just you know, he, he has talent. He puts up some good numbers, but he's just someone who's never going to. Well, you know what? Really it's kind of, kind of like Kobe with his last couple of years, even before he got hurt. I mean, he's he hasn't been surrounded with that talent. I mean. Look at the roster of the Knicks. But I, but I have a feeling years. I have a feeling you put him with talent, he's still not going to win. It's just it's Dwight Howard was that way too. I just there are certain players I just think that. Uh, that well, I just, think there's a big difference between Dwight Howard and Carmelo Anthony. I just don't. I, 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 I just there's certain players I just don't think are. Uh, 
are, are winners. Now, of course, if, if you if you just put him as a as a piece on a team that's going to win anyway without him, yes, he'll still he'll win. But uh, I I think that he's someone as a major piece of a team just can't quite get it done as a, as a champion. Yeah. Well, it's probably going to end that way. I don't see New York. I mean, now with Durant going to Golden State, if those guys all stay healthy, I mean, we could literally be seeing the first dynasty in the NBA since the 90s Bulls. And I know people are, that are San Antonio fans are going to say they're a dynasty. But, you know, when I say dynasty, I mean, you know, like winning four or five years in a row or five out of six. I mean, those are, that's what a dynasty is. I don't think, you know, t- in today's day and age, you know, a dynasty is considered winning three out of seven, eight years, or you know, even in baseball, people refer to the Giants as a dynasty in baseball. I mean, I know you don't want to hear that because you're a Dodger fan, but well, I, don't, I don't think of the, well, it's the not, Giants. It's especially not true because in 14, wasn't even a good year. Well, but I'm saying the fact that they've won, what is it, three World Series, right, in six years? Yeah, they, they won in, in 10, 12, and 14. Yeah, the, the people have referred to them as a dynasty. But that, that 14 and, team wasn't even a good team. It just got lucky. I mean, you know, and, and I guess since we're talking about, like, look at a team, no offense, China Maniac, look at a team like New England. I mean, they they finally won their first Super Bowl two years ago for the first time in six years, seven years, whatever it was. Do you consider that a dynasty? Do you consider the Patriots of the last 15 years a dynasty? Or just a really excellent team that's stayed together? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a dynasty. Yeah, I don't think so either. I know people are going to give me grief and say they are, but I guess I think of dynasties like, you know, the Bulls in the 90s and the Lakers in the 80s and, you know, maybe the Cowboys in, in the 90s. But, yeah, I, I, so I take it you haven't watched uh, too much Olympics. No, I haven't I haven't watched that much. And uh, you know what? Uh, you know how long this show has been? <laughs> this show, I know you came in in the middle, but this show has now gone. Ten uh, hours? No. Nine? No, it's gone about eight, but it's it's still pretty long. So, okay. I'm, well, listen, I'm, I'm going to be I, done I'm, here. This is the most I've talked in probably two months. So I'll let you uh, end it with any final remarks, and thank you for letting me kind of hijack well, the show. Yeah, no, I'm glad you came back. It's been a long time since uh, we've had uh, a Drexel appearance on the Druff and Drexel show. So it's a very nice change to have you here, and. Uh, Talked about a lot of interesting topics, especially you know, the Vegas stuff. You you had so much to add, so that really added to the segment. Which I uh, honestly, when I came up with that segment, I didn't think you were going to be on there. So I thought I was just going to be reading from a list and commenting on the things I knew about. It. So anyway, but th- thanks for being here, even though you're not feeling well, and uh, you're probably on what like four or five hours, and. I guess another A-plus hour show is in the books. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday, six days from now. I guess technically five days from now. On uh, August 17th at 7.30 p.m., again with a free roll. Should be back to a regular schedule for the foreseeable future. So, Brandon, uh, hopefully you can make that one on uh, Wednesday. But I will understand if you're not feeling up to it, if you're... Uh, Still suffering for the current issues. Do you have any reason you can't make it other than that on, on Wednesday? Uh-oh. Brandon, where are you? Did I lose you? Brandon. <laughs> I know where he is. You still have to ask him offline. But yeah, we'll be back next week. I'm sorry. I, I lost you. Oh, it's weird. Now, I was asking if you if you could make it next Wednesday. Provided you feel okay. If I feel okay, yeah, I don't yeah. have any other obligations. All right. No. 
All right. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, we'll see how you feel, and uh, thank you for joining. Thank you, Calwatt, for joining as a co-host uh, in the first half of the show, and more than the first half, actually, first two-thirds of the show. Thank you to Trader Ruski for showing up and making your presence felt on this show once again. And I would step. I would thank One Step for calling up and bringing the gay to this show and asking people to sponsor his gay sex trips, but I can't thank him for that. Okay, that's all. We'll be back. I'm not retiring. Not yet. Might be soon, though. Good night, and shalom.